Friday, March the 3rd, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. And we have so much content, we have to split into two episodes as we have, wow, just a ton coming up. So on this particular episode, you're going to get a couple Friday best bets, just one at San Anita, one at Gulfstream. Then we get into a lot of NBA talk. First up, Eric joins me to take a run through the standings. We spend about an hour going through the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. We look at how everything has happened in the last week, a week where there's been a game that was 176-175. We had a 70-point game scored by Lillard. We had the biggest comeback of the year where the Lakers were down 27. LeBron got hurt. Kevin Durant came back. The Bucks have won 16 in a row. And the West is the wild, wild West. So we're going to talk NBA with Eric and then also with our buddy Dave Handelin. Remember Dave, he's been on so many times to talk NBA. Dave is the radio statistician for the Timberwolves, so he knows Minnesota very well. The Lakers play Minnesota on Friday. So we got a little preview, talked about how both of these teams have been playing coming into the game and what to look for as they're separated by like a game and a half in the standings. And they're both battling to try to get in the play-in. Maybe they can get a series. So we talk T-Wolves. We talk Lakers with Dave Handelin. Everything going on in in, uh, in the NBA. And shout out to Dave who made it to the uh, NHC, the National uh, Handicapping Contest. It's going to be coming up soon. And uh, we wish Dave the best of luck there. Following that, we'll get into some horse racing. We have Saturday Aqueduct Stakes with David Aragona, the man who makes the morning line over there. We talk about the Gotham and the two other undercard stakes for Saturday. The Gotham is an incredible betting race. It's a full field with an also eligible, and it's a wide-open race. Then we move to Gulfstream Park with Barry Spears, the sniper. Our good buddy Barry helps us out. We go through all of the stakes races. It's a 14-race card. We hit every stakes race on the card with Barry Spears. Then we get into Santa Anita for Saturday with Emily Gullickson. Santa Anita has four graded stakes races. It's the Big Cap. It's the San Felipe. We hit on all of the four graded stakes races with Emily Gullickson. So, wow. NBA, two different guests talking NBA. And then you get... Three different guests talking three different racetracks, all three Kentucky Derby preps covered with a different guest. We didn't even have enough room for This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper, which will be on the next episode, and the old wrestling rewatch of WrestleMania 11. So what I'll do is I'll make the next episode just like a wrestling-heavy episode where there's the old wrestling rewatch, everything from this week, and we'll get the, uh, the WrestleMania 11 recap and review with Andrew Champagne. So yeah, this week alone in just the last few days, had interviews with Andrew Champagne, Eric from ETOF21 Sports. We spoke with Barry, Emily, uh, Dave Handelin, and um, David Aragona. So all over the place, talking wrestling, NBA, and horse racing on this episode. That's what G said. That is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas. Go give them a follow right now at BTV Bets on Twitter. Let's talk about some of those Friday best bets. I've got one at Gulfstream and one at Santa Anita for you for Friday. And normally I'll have a couple more, but my focus this weekend, lots of Saturday stuff at Gulfstream and at Santa Anita. And uh, we'll have a, a lot of content here and then all over the place for you covering those. Let's start at Gulfstream Park. Friday, don't have to go far. Race number one for Friday, March the 3rd, Hot Bottom Girl. Now, In her most recent race, January the 21st, she had a good start. She took back on the inside. She was fourth, fifth, about three and a half lengths off. She was chasing a lone speed wire-to-wire winner. She moved into second early in the stretch. She was within a length before fading. It was not bad at all. And 
she finished behind two horses that won their next start. The winner came back to win against 35 uh, non-winners of two, and then the second-place finisher came back to break their maiden. Hot Bottom Girl goes second off the short break, second start going long, and she's bred for the turf. Both of her siblings that tried the turf won on it. I like the two Hot Bottom Girl. She's 12-1 to on the morning line. I think that's great value on her. I thought she should be more like six-ish in here. So that's a look at Gulfstream Park, my best bet for Friday. We've got one over at Santa Anita for you also, a best bet for Friday at Santa Anita. So let's uh, let's head to Santa Anita, take a look at our Friday best bet, and that's going to be in race number three. This is a Calbred Maiden special weight race. I like the eight Ashley Sandcastle. This is a filly who's only raced one time, and she drew the rail. She was a step slow. She was fifth inside, and it was in a race where the top two just separated. They finished 1-2, and they were on the lead early. There was no passing in that race. She moved through the rail, kind of made a little middle move, and then faded. I think she's going to be a lot better in this race. She moves to the outside. She's actually bred to be a nice one. She's a half to a horse named Marino, who was a Smarty Jones, the Smarty Jones winner and was grade three placed. And also a horse named Sandy Surprise, who was a stakes winner. I like the eight. Ashley's Sandcastle making her second start. So there's a look at the Friday best bets for you. Just wanted to give them to you quickly there. Before we shift to the NBA, let's talk NBA with Eric. We go through the entire NBA standings. We start on the East, and then we go through the West. Who's been hot? Who's not? What's going on? What to look for? And then following that, we'll get into the NBA with Dave. But first up, Eric talks basketball and everything going on in the association. NBA! Who's hot? Who's not? Who's hot? Who's not? Time to talk some NBA. Eric is here with me, and we take a look at the NBA standings up on NBA.com. As we record this on Wednesday night, keep in mind that things are fluid. There are games happening right now, and so if, if we talk about things, this standings might be a game off or a half a game off, things like that. But in the, in the last week, Eric, we've had the second highest scoring game in NBA history, 176-175. Damian Lillard scored 71 points. We had a the biggest comeback of the year. Lakers were down 27 and came back to win. Um, LeBron's hurt. Durant's playing tonight. He's back. John Morant had a big quarter. And then John Morant had some very disturbing news come to light. We're not sure what's going to happen with him. Out West from the fourth seed down to like the 13th, there's four games that separate them. And your Bucks, they just don't stop losing. And we can start right there with them. They are now number one in defensive rating. They've won 15 straight. They're the number one seed. They have the best record in the NBA. And they showed that they were able to do it a little bit without Giannis. Then he comes back and he has 33 and 15 and kind of puts any doubt or any worry for Bucks fans away with that game. You're a Bucks fan and just sort of looking at them as, you know, the the team that's the hottest in the, in the NBA right now. How do you feel about Milwaukee? I feel they're in a, they just, no one should get hurt. I mean, that's kind of, you know what I mean? Because the reality of the situation is they just want to get to the playoffs healthy. Last year, obviously, no Middleton hurt them. So they just want to get in there healthy. I kind of like how they moved Hill. So now they have Carter playing a little bit more. Carter will pick you up full court. He can make the opposing point guard's life pretty miserable. Unless Grayson Allen on the court. Uh, he's not that athletic. And his release point is really low, so it's easy to block his shot. He doesn't have that quick of a release. 
So when you get in the playoffs, it's he's pretty like having him out there for more than 10 to 12 minutes is a hindrance more than of a help. But yeah, I mean, as long as they stay healthy, it, it is what it is. You know, that's, that's just a big goal for them. You know what and, I mean? Like that's, that's basically because they're not playing a meaningful game until May. Yeah. And, and you, you pointed something out for Philly and I think, I think for Philly and Boston, it's a little bit more of the case than it is for Milwaukee. Like I, I would agree that like, I would rather not have to play against Embiid in a series earlier than you have to not, not even the fact that Philly is the the greatest team in the world, but you, you just never know with a guy like that. If he's healthy out there, it you have to end up getting beat up a little bit to foul him. You know, he's just like a big body that you end up taking some bumps and bruises that you may not need. If, if Milwaukee's able to sit and stay one where they are here too, like you're we're probably in a situation out West where you want to make the Cavaliers prove it to you come playoff time right now, right? With this new team that they put together, we need to really see it from them before we get really scared of them. And the one thing about Milwaukee is, a, like, I was just effing around on Twitter today, and I saw um, some guy reference what Brian Scalabrini said. He said right now what Giannis is doing is he's playing Nerf ball. Basically, everyone else is playing basketball, but he's just so physically dominating it's like you're just playing Nerf ball with your kids, if that makes sense to everybody. Just because yeah. he's so physically imposing. And, I mean, if you just kind of look at, like, the star players in the league and who kind of has that drive, that epic, to just kind of do what needs to be done in a game. I mean, Giannis right now, I mean, with LeBron, like, obviously, like, not 100%. We don't know what's going on with him. LeBron's in that alpha position right now, kind of in that league. So, yeah, I think they're sitting pretty as long as they stay healthy. You know, I think they are going to be the team that comes out of the East because they they were up 3-2 on Boston without Middleton and lost in seven. So I think unless there's an injury, I think the East is theirs right Yeah, now. and Boston is currently number two. Tatum got tossed the other day. He's kind of had a couple disappointing games, not up to his um, normal status. But – Boston being behind Milwaukee in the number two seed, that would put them in a possible second round matchup with Philly. Again, we saw them play Philly the other day and Philly had a great game from Embiid. Tatum was only seven for 17 with 18 points and Boston still was able to win that game. But as I'm pointing out, Boston doesn't have a ton of big bodies to throw at you. It's like, that's going to wear you down. And if you want to try to win the East and go and beat Milwaukee, you don't want necessarily want to get into a six game series with Philadelphia and a huge dude like MB that's going to give you some, you know, some, you're going to, he's going to wear you down a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, my one thing with Boston is Tatum can just go off at any time. Brown's kind of a little bit inconsistent. Smart's inconsistent. Brogdon's inconsistent. Robert Williams, you know, if he gets hurt again, you know, he's going to get that injury bug, which is really that injury bug tag, which is really hard to get away from. Horford's another year older. I just don't know. I just don't – I don't trust Boston as much as everyone else does. Me neither. I, no. I think Grant Williams played insanely over his head. Last year, last too. Year he was – You know, it. it is what it is. I think Derek White is a good piece, but he he comes off the bench. Um I, this isn't a team that I really trust that much in terms of Philly. I really think realistically, and we talked about it last week, 
if Philly wants anything to come out of the East, they need to that one line. Cause I don't think with the history of Embiid and Harden not being in shape that they can go in a deep battle with the Celtics, then a deep battle with the Bucks back to back. They don't I can agree. only beat one of those teams. I don't think they and can I don't and I don't think for Boston and the same sort of thing for Boston. Like I don't think they want to do that, right? Just the way those teams match up. I think for all of those three teams we're talking about: Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly. Towards the top, you have to make the Cavs prove it, right? At this point. Because while they've been a very good defensive team and they have Donovan Mitchell, who's um, uh, a very proven playoff performer, you just have to make this new group of guys show that in a series, they can beat these other good teams. And I'm right now not quite as scared of Cleveland as I would of any of those other three teams, honestly. My thing with Cleveland is this. I know he scores a lot of points, but like I just can't get over – You've had one series when you were the man in Utah when there was no caught, no Leonard and you lost to the Clippers and Trey Mann let you up. And then you last year, you were the man in Utah yet again and you lost to a Luka-less Mavericks team. That's twice two different years. I love Jared Allen. I love Evan Mobley. I really feel like Mitchell being there, you took the ball to Garland's hands, which I'm not a big fan of. So I'm just not – Mitchell is a phenomenal scorer but I don't know if you can win with him, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and if, if you can win with him being your one, your one, a right, like your number one guy. Now I, I will give him a little credit. He's trying a little bit harder on defense this year. You can see he's just making more of an effort where uh, last year and in, in other years in Utah, he would just stand there and not even move his feet and get in front of people. Um, Cavs currently sitting in that fourth spot. They're just ahead of the the red hot Knicks. The Knicks have won six in a row. They in that stretch, Eric, they've outscored opponents 120 to 106. So they're winning games by more than 14 points. They're shooting 49% from the field and 38% from three. And I'm not saying the only reason why they've won is because of Josh Hart, but look at Josh Hart in those six games. 13.8 points per game. He's playing 26 minutes a game and probably less than he would be if these games were closer, right? Like the Knicks are blowing out their opponents during this stretch. He's shooting 61% from the field, but he's shooting better from three. He's shooting 63% from three point range, 5.3 rebounds over uh, three assists and uh, 1.2 steals during that six game winning streak. He's just a winning player. Right, right. He's a guy that makes winning plays, and um, he's a good player to have on your team. The Knicks are are playing well right now. They are they're in an interesting spot because you know they're they're the five right now, and they would have a first round matchup with Cleveland, where you would at least feel like the Knicks have put themselves in a spot where they probably have a fighter's chance in that series for a team like Cleveland that is not proven yet. We have to see what their makeup is going to be like come playoff time. I like Brunson more than I like Mitchell. I mean, that's... We saw it last year. He carried a team. He's proved it to us. Mitchell really... Oh, yeah, that's the the rematch from last year. Hasn't really proven... That was them last year. Yep, you got Mitchell Robinson, who can bang down low with Mobley and Allen. And you got Hart, who's Mr. Mr. Everything. 
uh, RJ Barrett, Quinn Grimes. They they have some pieces. You know, it, it's going to be an entertaining series against the Cleveland team, which a lot of people like, a lot of people are hyping. Um, I'm just not quite sipping the Kool-Aid yet. The Nets are kind of in a, a tough spot because they've lost three in a row now. They're still the sixth seed, but you can tell, like, They've got a, f- a bunch of fun players, like rotation players, guys that would be really, you know, uh, really useful for winning teams, but they just don't have a star. They don't have someone who's been the guy on a team before, a closer, right? They've got Bridges, they've got Dinwiddie, and some fun pieces, but I, I just don't know what to expect from them down the stretch or come <laughs> playoff time. Right now, they are only a game and a half, two games in the loss column ahead of the Miami Heat in the seven spot. And it, and behind them are the Hawks. The Hawks are, you know, four games behind the Nets in the in the loss column there too. So it's, it's probably Miami that Brooklyn's trying to hold off. But I don't know. I just, I don't think much of what we could see from Brooklyn if they were to get themselves into a playoff series. And I, I'm more likely to see them kind of falling in a team like you like Toronto even like moving up the ranks and getting hot and catching them. Yeah, and I'm telling everyone right now Shea Gilders Alexander is going to be on the Brooklyn Nets next year. Um that's going to be the star, the young star player that's a little disgruntled that they're going to go out and trade for. Miami, the thing with Miami is look, Miami's behind the eight ball with that Duncan Robinson contract and I just really don't feel a big three of hero Bam and Butler is quite good enough. Also with the point guard position, you know, what what are you rolling out there? Caleb Martin. Don't get me wrong. I love Caleb Martin from his Nevada days, but you just can't win at that. And when you, when I tell you, when I, when I say, okay, think of the Miami heat as an organization, what's the first, what's a word, what's the, one of the first words that comes to your mind right now? If I were to ask you. See, I was going to use the term developmental. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, kind of yeah. what I think of the Heat. They're a developmental yeah. franchise. Yeah. Now, just a couple years ago, what, five, seven, ten years ago, they had Wade, Bosch, and um, James. You know what I mean? Like, they mm-hmm. kind of need to do something right now because they just – they're kind of stuck the, kind of in the dead zone right now. The best thing that could happen to them would be to get to the six – get a series with Philly if Philly was the three and then hope that Bam could match up well enough with Embiid. And you like, I could see them beating Philly, but I don't think they could beat Miami or I don't think they could beat Boston or, or um, the, the bucks like as, as they are right now, I think in, in like, if everything were to go well for them, if they played Philly, if they played Philly and Bam played uh, just serviceable defense on Embiid. And then you've got Butler who's sort of like, Oh, you know, kind of still pissed off at Philly for what happened there. I could see them winning that series or at least having the best chance against Philly than they were against anyone else. But that's like their ceiling right now. Right. I mean, I just can't, I I can't see more than that for Miami trying to get to the sixth spot. Um, And then behind Miami, uh, we see the Hawks in the eighth spot. They just fired their coach, and they're at at 500 right now. Uh, Behind them is your Toronto Raptors team that you like, Eric. They've won eight of their last 10. 
And then and they're Washington, like the quietest team, the quietest, hottest team in the league. They're so under the radar. Right nobody now. talks about them at all. You never hear about them, and you really yeah. rarely see them on like national in national games. No, no, they just they're just kind of there, just trucking along, doing their thing. Um, now piggybacking back to the Hawks, Trey Young's been in the league for how many years? Four, and you've already, he's already gotten his second coach fired. I've I said this couple of years ago this guy's got some serious leadership issues and it's kind of going right now all this hype was made when you brought in DeJounte Murray and at the end of the day Trey Young is ruining this franchise you look at that team you got DeJounte Murray Clint Capella and DeAndre Hunter there's no way with those three young guys and if Trey Young is supposed to be what everyone thinks he is eighth place in the east right now that you you just you just should not Trey Young. I think the Hawks really need to look into moving on from Trey Young, just because he you're gonna you're constantly gonna be getting that headache, and you're not winning with the headache. Um, the thing with the Raptors, it just everyone's playing in the natural position. They play to try to play small. They really were lacking that true center. You got and now Pirtle. they got him. They got Pirtle, and he knew. And what's play. nice is that he's someone like. Things that a lot of these teams are going to have to deal with, growing pains, right, with new players that they acquired. It, it's not always just slot them in and it's automatic. But what's nice is that this guy knows their system. He knows these players too. So he can come back and he's really familiar and comfortable right away. There's not that much of a – like a, that that process, again, of, of like relearning everything. And he's a smart player. And it puts everyone back – in their natural position, OG slides to the small, Barn, Barnes to the off guard, um, and then you bring in Gary Trent Jr. off the bench where you finally have a scoring punch that comes off the bench. He was starting with him being in the starting lineup. You had no scoring on the bench. Now you at least have someone to get some buckets in that second unit. Yeah, I think... I really think that Toronto is going to be the team that I think they probably get up the seven line and they actually probably do have a chance to get on the six line with when you look at their schedule and how their schedule lines up, especially like the last, I think it's like last like eight games. I I will tell you this. If Toronto, if, if Boston was the two and Toronto was the seven and Toronto won that seven, eight play in game to get to the seven spot, I don't know if I would play Toronto in the full series, but I would definitely be playing Toronto a lot of games throughout that series uh, against Boston. Because the thing is they would match up really well with Boston because they have a couple long wings that they could throw at Tatum and Brown, right? They've got multiple bodies that they could throw at them to make things really difficult for them at the very least, make them have to really earn it. Um, That would not be fun in a six game series for Boston to have to deal with like Siakam and Ananobi um, repeatedly and Barnes, even just these longer um, like athletic um, wings. So let's see. uh, Let's see if Toronto can continue their rise. Washington's holding that 10th and final spot right now. And they are just a game and a half ahead of, the Bulls and the Pacers, two teams that are going to try and see if they can make one last uh, one last rush in the final one, weeks. One quick betting tip. 
The Chicago Bulls, and they did it today again, are a first quarter covering. Oh, you yes, you called this one earlier. Yep. Um, they are by far the best team in basketball in the NBA covering the first the first quarter, especially when they're on on the road. First quarter, they're absolutely insane. Along with that, the Knicks are the best team first half ATS. A little look at what's going on out east. Let's head over to the west where uh, the Nuggets, they're just sort of cruising right so now. Before we, get, before we get started on the west, I need to ask yeah. you a question. Okay. Yep. One player made a change. Okay. And since he's been on his new team, this is his this is his stats. Okay. Field goal percentage, 53%. Pretty good. Three-point percentage, 44%. Pretty good. Very good. Three throw percentage hasn't missed. 100%. And it's like, it's, you know, he's shooting like four or five a game. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's just like one or two. Yeah. 5.6 assists, 9.3 rebounds, 16 points a game, 2.3 steals. Is that someone that you would want on your team? Absolutely. That's Russell Westbrook. Yeah. That's just funny. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When you just kind of look at the numbers and we'll talk, you're going to talk about the Clippers and like, the thing is, is like, look, like, with the way the game has changed, Russ isn't as effective as he as he was, but he's still putting up good numbers. You look hard ahead of his had his best season had when Russ was his point guard. Durant had his best season statistically. Russ was his point guard. Um, and there's one other guy that had their best season. Paul George had his best season. Russ is his point guard. I kind of think that with how the stuff went down in LA. There's many people that needed to be blamed, but I kind of feel Russ got the blunt of it unjustly. He, if that makes sense. I yeah, and it will because like well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Blame. Russ shouldn't have been in LA. That yeah. was the problem so, yeah. to begin with. Nobody from the beginning thought this was going to be a great fit. So yeah. from it was destined to fail. It yeah. was never going to work, and immediately. We've seen the Lakers just look better as a team in the little bits that they've had everyone together. Cause whether or not they're a team that could win the title, they just fit better on a basketball court yeah. with who they have now. And they never, it didn't make sense to have three max level players. None of them are above average three point shooters. And one of them is ball dominant. And you want like, you want LeBron to have the ball in his hands a lot because now if it, you don't, you're, it's if, if Russ has the ball, you're just taking it out of LeBron's hand. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, the way it didn't the make, team, yeah, the team was built. And you it know? wasn't and, like Russ was like demanding a trade to LA. You know what no, I mean? Like, no, he wasn't forcing his way there. I and, just kind of feel like in the in the media and the stuff I, I read on the um, excuse me on Twitter, he kind of gets the blunt of the blame. Well, like for example, you can go this way, right? Out a little bit more. They've, the Clippers have lost three in a row with Russell Westbrook. Yep. The last 13 games he started have all been losses. Yeah. Which, like, is that his fault? No. He's he's still plays well. He has he won a few games for the Lakers this year. He gives you a boost and a bolt and of energy that you need sometimes. The problem mainly is sort of like is when everything slows down. Yep. Right? If you could use Russ just as the lighted up bench guy or the guy you could just ride when he's playing well. And then last couple minutes of the game. Okay. He comes out. The problem is when you do that to him, he gets mad. 
he gets discontent. He starts chirping and like he makes the locker room sort of not a great place to be, which is what he's done in the, which is what he did with the Lakers and the other two teams he didn't really do because he was still going to be the best guy on those teams. It's sort of like, can he ever just fully tell himself and embrace the fact that I'm not really the guy I used to be? Because if he can do that mentally, he will still be able to be valuable to teams for a while. Like you can use guys like him. It just, it wasn't a fit for the Lakers. Now, as we're talking about the Clippers, let's talk a little bit about them. One of their biggest problems, Eric, is their defense. For some weird reason, they are awful consistently on the defensive side. The last 15 games, they have the number 19 defensive rating. They're only in front of the Pistons, Jazz, Thunder, Mavs, Hawks, Kings, Spurs, Pacers, Nets, Rockets, and Blazers. Those are all like tanking teams and teams with bad, bad defenses. They've been allowing 117 points per game. They're letting their opponents shoot 50% from the field and 40% from three over their last 23 games. They've had players in and out, but Kawhi has played a lot in that stretch. And some of it comes down to just effort, right? They just, right? They have a couple of guys. A lot of their players are sort of those quiet, relaxed veteran types. So maybe a guy like Russ can at least help to to get an energy level raised, but that's not championship level defense at all. No, not at all. And I mean, I'll say it like they just don't have like leadership. It's not like, you know, Giannis or Joker, Jokovic or Joker (laughs) are like in your face guys. No, but they're well respected, and they'll they have a subtle way of being intense and being just a leader, and their team will follow them into war. Same with uh, Fred Van Vliet, you know, like those guys are quiet leaders, and it's okay to be quiet, but Leonard's not a leader; he's just quiet. You know what I mean? Like he just doesn't he. You know what I'm saying? He just doesn't lead anybody, and I really feel like with the NBA is you have to have that alpha that's going to be leading you. And because of that, you look at who the Clippers have with George and um, Leonard being their two best players. I just don't think they have it. I love, I love the Mason Plumley edition. I thought that was one of the sneakiest yep. best ads, but I mean, I think this team is just, you know, going to be what, what they are. I mean, I think the West, the West is absolutely crazy right now. It's we nuts right now. Team. And it's so hard to like, as we talk about it, and like, I mean, I kind of feel like the team that kind of is getting lost in the wind is Dallas. You know, Dallas has not been playing, and I know we're not going in order. I'm sorry for that. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. That's fine. We're talking because it's hard to go in order in the West because they're just all jumbled. So let's talk. Yeah, just talk about everything. You know, they're just. I mean, like, let's just kind of look at their schedule right now. Their next games at Philly, who's guarding Embiid. Next games at versus Phoenix. These are home against Phoenix. Yep. Who's guarding Durant, Booker? Then you have Utah, Pelicans, Memphis, Memphis. Another game against the Lakers, Memphis, Golden State. Two games against Charlotte. You know, we saw Anthony Miami, Davis just completely Philly. dominate them. They have no big. They have no size Philly, down there. Miami, Atlanta, San. I mean, you look at this. Their schedule is it's- a tough schedule, and you and I talked about it along with Caleb earlier today on the BTV show. I really had an issue with... I think you said Caleb, which was great. You meant Kyle, Caleb, sorry, which sorry, is great. Sorry, Kyle, no, that sorry. was great, though. Shout out, um, Caleb. Um, And I just really had an issue with um, Luca in the corner 
and Kyrie at the top of the key. Right. With the ball. I really like I really had an issue with it. And when that first happened, I was like, look, like you got two ball dominant guys with huge egos. Well, and, and honestly, there. who and, would make the more the most sense to have the ball and then to be the spot up guy? Kyrie is just a better pure shooter than yeah. Luca is. Luca's the guy you want making the decision and controlling it. Oh, and he's 100%. gonna get Kyrie the ball in that situation a lot of the time. But I agree like, with you. I don't like it's like they're forcing it, right? Are they trying too hard because it's like the new guy when you're in a new relationship and you really want to please the girl, right? So you're doing stuff that's like not in your comfort zone. Is that what's going on right now with Kyrie? Because they don't have a whole lot of wiggle room as we're no. looking right now. No, no, no. And their schedule is tough. They, they, they don't play a lot of teams that are tanking. They play a lot of teams that are in the same boat as they are. Um, but let's be honest. Dallas had to do something because Luca wasn't happy. They got yep. someone out there. I don't think it was the right piece to add. <coughs> Excuse but you, me, but, but you gotta take a shot. Guys, like when you have these guys that come in that are both alphas, I really feel the reason Wade and um, James worked so well together is because both those guys were mature enough in their careers. They understood when to take the back seat to the other. And it was like a roving thing when to do that. And, yeah, and but remember, it took a while because their first 10, 20 games, they were like 10 and 10. And I remember everybody was saying right yeah. off the bat, like, uh-oh, this isn't going to work. And then it was like they just started to understand that it was like they could flow. They played off of each other. And it was sometimes it was you go, I go. But it it didn't become as much of like your turn, my turn as a flow. Right, like as a constant flow uh, type thing, where yeah, it, it's it's not worked great for Dallas early on, and as we see, Dallas has now dropped into the seven spot, and they are only two games in the loss column ahead of the Lakers in the twelfth spot yeah. right now. And as we're recording, the Lakers and the Thunder are playing in a big game, but there's a lot of these important games happening right now. The Lakers play the Key Wolves coming up later this week. Um, let's. Get back towards the top, Eric. Who did we miss on the the Grizzlies? Who will, uh, you know, they're in the number two spot. And I, well, I let's, let, first, real quick, can I just say, like, I still don't get everyone's hate for Joker. Like, it's not like he is, he did have that one incident where he pushed the Morris brother. Me, which, me, yeah, I don't understand. I, I mean, then, I mean, just what this guy does on the court is it's just unbelievable, absolutely insane. BTW, you see him, Vanderbilt's about ready to beat you. Kentucky straight up. You see his arms and and stuff at the at the games after the games, Joker, where they like scratch him and he's like bleeding on his arms and he's cut up all over the place. Like he gets. Well, did, you, did you hear his his um his thing? Like they they kept asking him about the triple doubles, like trying to get so many triple doubles, and he just kept on saying, "Oh, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care." I well, he care. doesn't. There was a, and well, there's no, no. a stat. Then, then, then they asked him, he goes, well, I mean, I'm caring. I'm trying to get blah, blah, blah. And everyone like stopped. And he goes, why do you care all of a sudden? He goes, well, you kept on asking me. I thought I was supposed to care about this. Yeah. You know, so. You can tell yeah. the way he plays. He's the most unselfish player you will see. There's nothing about him that's a stat patter at all. There's nothing about him that's like me, me, me. I'm trying to get this at all. And you know what? They're five and a half games up in the West. 
there's nothing he can you can really say about him. Like he's he's not doing it instead of winning games. In order to win, him being involved in everything is important for them. And now, and honestly, he he is so good offensively that I think because I was thinking about him like in comparison to you know just the the big men right and the other really good big men. And the obvious thing that you'll say for him is that he's not as good defensively, or he's just not quite as dominant as a presence. He has improved a lot on the defensive end though. I will say people act like he's just nothing down there, but he is so good offensively. It's not that it doesn't matter, but that it's like he, he gives himself this margin on the defensive end, right? Like a guy like Anthony Davis, for example, because I bring him up, I'm a Laker fan or whatever. When he's playing well, healthy, he's, as good of a defensive player as there is in the league. Like I, I personally think he and Giannis are probably like the best two defensive players because what they can do defensively and how versatile they are. Um, and like how for big guys, they can like get out on smaller guys and actually sort of guard the perimeter and like they're smart and stuff too. But, and then on the offensive side, Anthony Davis is really good too and super skilled, but like he is a very good offensive big man. But what Jokic does offensively, like they're not even in the same ballpark. Like there's there's nobody even close to Jokic what he can do on the offensive side. I, I'm I'm in so much agreement with you. I think we just get like we start hating on guys sometimes because they get like we get sick of them and we just hate on them for a hate. But like there is nothing negative that I can possibly say about Jokic or Giannis right now. Like yeah. I just don't know what I could say about either one of those guys. That's not. And Absolutely both of guys have, oh, I, I don't know how to say this. They have that pit bull in them, but it's, oh, you yeah. Know what I mean? They yeah. definitely have the pit bull, they have that mindset. And they, they're um, two of the guys in a league of players we're watching just in the last few days. Guys that aren't playing. Really scary. Can you just, just imagine for a minute, I'm going to say two people. Just imagine if they had Giannis's and Joker's just mindset and just pit bull on him on the court. Okay. I'm going to mention three. Sorry. Embiid, um, Luca, and AD. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause like, just no, like, no. The mo- guys, like the motor, those guys, like the motor and the mindset. Those, those guys are so, those guys are, all three of them are good. And because when you, and when you see them, wired. they're just not wired. Because and when you see them motor, do like it, the two guys and, do. Um, because with all of them, you see glimpses of it. Yeah, you just don't see it night in, night out, and that's yeah. the difference between Giannis and Jokic. They don't care who you're playing, where you're playing, on the road, at home, Sunday morning, Saturday night. They are basket. They don't care about anything else but just beating the crap out of you. Yeah, on the basketball just, court, like they don't. Yeah. Like Anthony Davis gets mad that you know we see him like Draymond will like start like getting at him, and then Davis gets mad, and you start to see him, and then and then he sort of takes it to the next level, and then Luca sometimes he's pissed off or whatever the refs, and then you could see him get that oomph that where it sort of takes him to the next level, but that's every minute of every game with Jokic, and every minute of every game with Giannis, every minute three, just had or like if. You know, earlier in their careers, like, you know, 
Joker is a little plump, but he has gotten in shape. He's never going to have like the bodybuilder type body that like LeBron has or Giannis has, but he has dropped some weight and he's in shape. I really feel like, especially with Luca, you know, he's just, just not in as good a shape as he should have been. Um, so let's kinda, talk about, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like, in all this, I kind of feel like, my best future ever was Kings plus 450 to make the playoffs. Oh man, um, that is so nice. And like, okay, so in the to Mike Brown and everything that whole organization is doing. In looking at the way the West sets up right now, Memphis just got some news. There was a disturbing report about Ja Morant that came through that he was involved in an altercation with a 17 year old. Um, I'm sure more will come out about it, but it just, it, yeah, it like, we don't, it's one of those things. Like we don't know everything. what you anything, know what I mean? we don't so know anything, kinda, everything. We don't know if it's going to cost him hard to speculate playing games or anything, but I will say in just watching the Grizzlies last night, even they were a full strength team last night and the Lakers played them without LeBron, without D'Angelo Russell Lakers were up at halftime. And then in the third quarter, Jaw scored 28. He went crazy. The Lakers had 26 turnovers. And in the fourth quarter with like three minutes to go, it was still a four-point game. Like yep. things went really poor for them. The, the weird thing about Memphis is they're not a crazy three-point shooting team. And they're still like sloppy. And I, 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 I have a tough time trusting some of the guys after Jaw. Like I totally trust Jaw. In like closing I mean, moments, and he he's, but there I two trades at the deadline that were so close to being made, and if they were made, the way we look at the NBA now would be completely different. Vrant, Vrant, Fred Van Vleek almost got dealt to the Bucks without the belt Bucks having to give up Middleton and Holiday. I mean, could you imagine that team with that lights out? And the Grizzlies offered an insane amount of picks, first-round picks. I think it was like four or five first-round picks plus a couple of their young players to the Brooklyn Nets for Bridges. You get Bridges on that team, for as young as Bridges is, I kind of feel like he's going to be an adult that's constantly on the floor, and that's what that team is kind of lacking. Dylan Brooks is a pit bull, but he's an immature kid. You know what I mean? He does some stupid stuff, and because he does that stuff on the court, it takes him off the court. If you put Bridges on this team, imagine how differently you look at this team. I know, so. and then because you have the combo of Brooks, then you have Jaron Jackson Jr., who, when he's on the court, is very good. He gets into foul trouble a, t- a lot. And so he has to come out of games a lot because he's super. he's really athletic. He's a great defender, but he gets himself into foul trouble. So now all of a sudden, you have Brooks, who's sort of a wild card, you have Jackson, who's very good, but sometimes in the big moments in playoff series, we've seen that he's hard to trust. I will say this. If you are a team in the West, any any team that's in like the five through where the Lakers in Oklahoma are, 13, I think what you want is to try to get to the number six spot, which is what everybody wants, but just if you can get to the six. And if the two and three were to stay Memphis and Sacramento, like if I am a fan of the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavericks, any of these teams, I would sign myself up right now for a playoff series with the Kings who have been very good and have a great offense, but they're not proven. 
And then if you were to win that, you could possibly get a playoff series with the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't think in the two, three, it looks as difficult as the one, four, where you'd have to play either the nuggets or maybe Phoenix even, or maybe a healthier golden state warriors team. It just, that's something that I think to, to take a look at because Memphis is a team that I still need to see it from them in the playoffs. And then Sacramento, obviously, who's been really good. They just beat the Clippers in this awesome 176-175 game. But come playoff time, when things slow down, are they going to be able to get stops when they need? Right? No. And so just sort of looking at the I jockey. Don't, I don't trust Memphis. like At all. Me neither. I don't. At all. Um, the Phoenix Suns are, are uh, having Durant back tonight. So we'll see how it fits with them there in the four spot. But again, right, you know, Eric, like looking at them, they are three and a half games behind the Kings for the three spot. And they're only four games up on the 13. For as much black as Anthony Davis gets for missing games. If you just look at Durant the last couple of years, he's missing a ton, ton ton of games. And I really don't know, like, how everything is going to work work there. Because Durant... Just like you said, late in the game. What's going to yeah. happen with... Where's... Are they just... Is it Chris Paul and the other two stand in the corner? Or is it Durant's got the ball and then Devin Booker and Chris Paul stand in the corner? I don't know. And also, like, Durant needs the ball at the top of the key. He likes to bring it up. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... It's not where it's just like, hey, you know, get in the post. Hey, work the pick and roll. It's... I don't know. Like, is Durant talented? Yes. Is Booker talented? Yes. But I think Booker's a little overrated in most casual NBA players' eyes. And I just don't – I don't know. Like, I just – I could see that exploding. I agree. And that's, again, with 20 games left, they're as close to dropping into the play-in or out of the playoffs as they are as just getting to the three seed. So it's it's not like it's a lock for any of these teams, which is really scary. Heck, the Golden State Warriors, they've won three in a row without Curry. Wiggins is having some personal family issues, so we hope all is okay with them. Uh, they beat Houston, Minnesota, and Portland. Um, and now they're all the way up to number five, and they're only a game back of the four. And uh, reportedly, Curry should be back, I think, next week. Um it's just so weird because it's like it's so fluid with all of these teams. Like a week ago, it looked like Golden State was on their way down, and now they've won three in a row, and all of a sudden they're back up to five. I mean, I really think they're up there because of the Clippers and Mavs struggling. Yeah, you're right. It's more of the the uh, teams around them starting to struggle than it is to them really getting red hot. Um, now, we spoke about the Mavs, and we spoke about the Clippers already. Um Let's get to the T-Wolves. They're in the number eight spot. They just beat the Clippers, and now they kind of had a nice schedule where they beat the Clippers and they on Tuesday, and they don't play till Friday when they play the Lakers. And then yeah. the Lakers are going to be coming back from a little bit like a road trip. So T-Wolves get a big win, which snapped a three-game losing streak. Then, But they're only four and eight in their last 12. But some of their role players have stepped up and helped. And that's sort of what they made the trade for. They made the trade to let it be Ant's team. And it feels like they're going to pick one of the big two, one of the big guys next year and maybe get rid of the other big guy. And you have like guys like Nas Reed and McDaniels who have stepped up in some of their last few games and really helped them. What do you think about the T-Wolves? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I really, really am not sure if they are a team that is 
still all that motivated, but I, I will say I like them handing the keys over to Ant because I'm really high on him. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last year that that's what they should have done is hand it over to hand it over to him right away. Um, I it made zero sense the trade that they did in my eyes sending Russell. I just really feel it was the GM's way of saying, "Hey, I'm going to get Mike Conley here because Mike Conley has worked with." Um, uh, Rudy okay. Gobert in the past, I, I, I just with how this team is built, I just have a lot of issues. So, the Jazz now they had a really bad loss at home to the Spurs. Um, the Spurs had lost sixteen in a row. Now the Jazz play Friday and Sunday both against Oklahoma City. Those are important games, and then they have a six-game road trip ahead. Do you think they're going to be one of these teams that kind of continues to fall? Yeah, they don't want. Anything. No, they just they're, they're gonna they're gonna keep falling and going back. That's exactly what they want to happen. So they're they're fine with it, man. You know what I mean? It's one of those things they don't they were overachieving to start the season. Absolutely, so absolutely fine with what's going on. And then you have the Pelicans who are not playing good ball either. They've lost four in a row. They've lost five of six in that stretch. The only game they won, they won by three. And their next seven games at Portland at Golden State, at Sacramento. Then they come home and they play Dallas, OKC, Portland, and the Lakers. So a lot of these teams in the West that are right in front of them or right behind them, and they're they're just not... They lost to Orlando last night. They're really not playing well. And so the games for them that you sort of would have circled as wins aren't wins right now. That That's sort of what's happening with them and with Utah. Um... Or the New Orleans Pelicans, when Zion was healthy, this team was the one seed on December the 30th. And it's yeah. he's another guy that we'll continue to talk about, and I'm sure we'll have a lot more conversations about, is, like, what do you do with a guy like him? I, what do you do? He's just not He's just not reliable. Like, how he can you count on him and pay him big money and he trust can't. him? You can't. You just can't. You got to move on from it, unfortunately. It's it's sad because when he's playing, he's so talented. Even this year, in glimpses when he hasn't played, um, even consistently last year, he was still good. But Zion, it's a bummer as this Pelicans team is all the way down to the ten spot now. Portland, see, like all of these teams, Portland doesn't play enough defense. Like, no, Portland plays no defense, and they've lost three of their last four. Um, and they've got a six game road trip. They go at Atlanta, at Orlando, at Detroit. Those aren't great teams, but. Portland's only 12 and 18 on the road. They're a yep. bad road team. They then play at Boston, at Philly, and the Pelicans. So they're they've just got a the team with how bad they play defense. You just can't trust them absolutely at all. And that's the um, only thing for me, Eric, as a Laker fan, that that where I feel like not like again, LeBron's hurt. And tonight, as the Lakers are playing, Anthony Davis isn't playing. Um, he hasn't played on the back-to-backs. They're doing it. I think they're just doing that because it's a back-to-back more so than him being hurt, uh, which is what they said. But this is this is my thing with with the Lakers. I just I don't feel a, so like with the Raptors. I feel right now with the Raptors when I watch them play, I feel there's a sense of urgency. Oh, see, because I, I do feel, with the Lakers. I do like I because I, I, did I just, you watch? Like if, for example, the game last night. I watched the third quarter. Like I had my live stream last night. I had the game on on the corner. 
and they gave up 47 points. See, that was see that was the problem is that if in the first half they were awesome and Anthony Davis was like just dominating on defense and it becomes a little bit too much when there's no because what ended up happening in the second half you start asking Anthony Davis every time to be like, "Hey, you're the defensive stopper." And then on offense, we're going to throw it to you every single time because we don't have LeBron and we don't really have D'Angelo. And that started to happen. And I mean, Jaw just went crazy in the third quarter. That's really what happened. Like they couldn't stop Jaw, but they played really hard. And even after that, they came all the way back. What happened is they were turning it over. So I I kind of feel like there's that effort level from them and, and from some of these new guys too. Like they're playing hard and they're a better team. And I don't think... They even need to go win 10 in a row. You just sort of have to be better than these teams around you that are also struggling. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see what happens towards the bottom of the West right now, Eric, because man, I mean, like as we, every day things flip and flop so much. And I will say this, I think kind of think like everyone talks about LeBron and everything. I, I think one thing with LeBron that just truly just, utterly effing amazes me when you look at his his career is who taught him basketball because like the, if you just kind of look at the top play, top 10 players of all time Shaquille O'Neal you know had Dale Brown one of the best college basketball coaches ever okay like literally ever as his as his um coach. college coach Kobe Bryant obviously grew up around the NBA with his dad, pro ball in Italy. So he was around the game. Tim Duncan, um, you know, came in, Pop was there as his coach as a rookie. And he, I'm spacing on who his coach was at Wake Forest. Larry Bird goes in to Boston and everything they had there when he was young. Magic Johnson, Judd Heathcote at Michigan State, one of the most underrated college basketball coaches. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, developmental years, John Wooden, um, Wilt Chamberlain, spacing on who Wilt Chamberlain had as his coach. But I had this written down. I can't find my sheet of paper. But everyone has these awesome, like, mentors, or at least really young developmental years, they have these mentors. LeBron James went right to high school to Brendan Malone. You know what I mean? It's like he really didn't have a coach until he – had already taken teams to a championship game. And when he got Spolstra, Spolstra by far, and it's not even close, has been his best coach. And it's, I don't know, it's just, when you just kind of think back, like he is truly the smartest basketball mind probably ever. And it's all self-taught. And he's so, like, he's so unselfish for all the crap that he gets to um, from guys who, anyone who wants to compare him to Jordan He's never really had any scandals, right? Like he's came in, he's always had his head on pretty straight. There are times where he's not the greatest teammate, right? Like there are times where he's not always the greatest leader, but but then there are times where he is a really good leader and you can see like how important it is to his teammates when LeBron gives him a high five after a big a great pass or just acknowledges what they're what they're doing or after a game in a press conference, when LeBron mentions Austin Reeves or Lonnie Walker or gives him a nickname, like, so I think for a lot of the crap that he gets, there are moments where you could see him also being a great leader. And, you know, it, in the West, it's so wide open where we don't 
really trust the two seed. The three seed has never shown us anything in the playoffs, and they're having an awesome year, but they have to prove it. The four seed is a brand new team. The five seed started off this year with their teammates punching each other, and they've had a lot of guys in and out. The six seed, we've seen the Clippers the last few years. We don't really trust them. The seven seed, Kyrie just joined them. We don't know what's going on. Uh, Minnesota made a trade, and they haven't really fit all year. The Jazz are likely going to drop out, and the Pelicans have struggled. There's just nobody in here other than the Nuggets that you can really, truly trust. And it's not as if the Nuggets are unbeatable, right? Like I think if any of these teams played their best versions of themselves, they could beat the Nuggets. You just don't know what to expect from any of these teams. No, no, nothing at all. So it's it's completely wide open. The West is going to be a complete crapshoot with who, who gets there. So, Eric, um, talk to us about what we've got going on over the next few days. Uh, you and I are going to pick back up this week with those Santa Anita Pick'em uh, preview contests. We'll do a stream for that probably on Friday evening. Um, we'll do some college basketball Saturday morning with Better Than Vegas at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And then Sunday morning, um, noon Eastern time, we'll be talking some NBA. Uh, what else do you have coming up this week? Uh, I have my podcast that uh, comes out. On Friday, there will be some UFC talk, some basketball talk, uh, some NASCAR. We hit Kyle Busch 10-1 to 1, and some fantasy, some early, early fantasy football talk. We had, me and my boy Nick had a insane discussion about where to draft Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey for next year's fantasy football draft and how he's going to be probably the hardest player ever to decide where you have to draft him. So. Stay tuned on everything going on in the world of sports with Eric. Thanks so much, buddy. We'll check in again next week with everything going on in the NBA. And I'll uh, talk to you this weekend for some college basketball and some NBA. Sounds good, my friend. Folks, don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. If you're watching or listening on social media, thanks so much for hanging out. Make sure to give Eric a follow and uh, check out all of his great content. So you want to set the mood something all natural soy wax non-toxic baby since for every season now don't be afraid baby to spell it out C-E-R-A-N-O-S.com. and don't forget promo code gino gets you 10 percent off mm-hmm. final 20 games or so of the nba season and things are as crazy as I could ever remember in the Western Conference. We had to bring in our buddy Dave Handelin, the radio statistician for the T-Wolves. You've heard him the last three years on some of our most highly listened to shows when we preview everything in the NBA. We always spend a couple hours going through every single team, positives, negatives, everything. Today, our show will be a little bit more focused because we're going to talk about the T-Wolves and the Lakers that play a really big game on Friday night. But before we get into everything NBA... Got to congratulate you again, Dave, as we welcome you in. You are heading to the NHC next week. So uh, what's that going to be like for you? I think you said a week in Vegas. I'm going for a week in Vegas. Yes, Ooh-wee. thank you very much. We got, it's going to be exciting times. Like, I'm, yeah, first time qualifying. Qual- I qualified almost a year ago to, like, year ago, like, this week. So it's been, like, a year of, like, buildup. And then it's like, all right, it's finally here. We're finally going to try it. So I've got some friends coming out there that are coming from Minnesota. I've got somebody from Louisiana. My parents are going, my wife's going like, 
kind of my aunt and uncle are coming from California. So it's going to be kind of like a little gathering as well. I'm going to focus in. I get kind of, I get in on Wednesday morning, kind of have some alone time for two days before it all kind of kicks off and exciting. I, what, from what I figured out, I can't, I can't be afraid to get last. Like you you have to swing away and you have to go for it. The way the prize structure works. That's exactly right. Don't, Don't play scared. Take your big swings. I know you're the type of person that doesn't play. You, you you will take swings too. So that that shouldn't be a problem for you. And all I want is that when you're on the final table on the last day, I want everybody out there. This this better be like the bloodline. I want to see you telling everybody to acknowledge you. I want your wife and your family members behind you, like Sami Zayn and the Usos and Solo. I know you're a wrestling fan, so I want some NWO, some Four Horsemen. I want something with you and your faction uh, uh, when you're on the uh, the final table on that final day. Las Vegas, acknowledge <laughs> me. Something like that. <laughs> there we go. This is, how, this is how we'll kick it off, or how we'll kick off the final table. But I, like as a as somebody who bets on things, like yes, I I want to do well in this. But one of the highlights for me is going to be getting the little souvenir purchasing that you can bet on yourself because they have yes, like, in the, the ticket. Book. Mm-hmm. Like I can get a ticket from Las Vegas that's going to have my name added at like eight million to one that I'll be able to like put two bucks on myself and make some make some Christmas gifts for some friends. Just a really cool experience for you, Dave. I can't wait to talk with you about it over uh, over your time there. I'll have to uh, text you and see how you're doing. I'll keep monitoring you. And like you said, win or lose, it's just fun. It'll be fun to go out there and you'll turn it into a Vegas trip for you and the family at the very least, right? Yeah, at the very least, we got that. We got Pac-12 basketball tournament going on out there. While yeah. Oh, yeah. Here, so. And you, dude, my Trojans are playing really good basketball right now. They, they're, they got a big game as you and I record on Thursday tonight against Arizona. Um, Arizona and UCLA, both really good teams that have national championship uh, hopes. So yeah, that'll be a lot of fun for you, Dave, heading out to Vegas. But I'm sure it was fun for you. On Tuesday, seeing your uh, your T Wolves get a nice win over the Clippers, and what a cool little schedule quirk for the T Wolves this week. They played on Tuesday in LA against the Clippers, and then they had nothing till Friday in LA against the Lakers. So they got to hang out in in California, out in Los Angeles for most of the week. Compared to hanging out in like 25 degree weather here in Minnesota, I'm guessing the team wasn't overly sad that they had to spend a road trip. Invent spending in LA for about five days. I'm yeah, I'm sure could, they're really heartbroken. They really that. had to wring their arms for that one. But w- w- I gotta say, um, you know, during you and I are huge NBA fans, so like I'm watching NBA every night. You're watching NBA every night. We're watching teams that are the teams that we like or random games. But for a lot of people that are just sort of novice NBA fans or maybe not hardcore fans. They will complain that a lot of the games throughout the year are meaningless, like star players aren't playing all the time, that kind of thing. But over the last like week, the NBA has been incredible. We had a 176-175 game that was the second highest scoring game of all time. We had Damian Lillard score 71. We had the Lakers come back from 27 down for the biggest comeback of the year. All of a sudden, as the Lakers start looking good, LeBron gets hurt. Durant comes back. John Morant has this weird, crazy story that's going on, but he also has a game where he scores 28 points in a quarter the other day. And the Bucks have won 15 games in a row. They keep winning. And if you look on the Western Conference standings, between 4 and 12, they're separated by three games. It's nuts. 
it's nuts. The, the Rattlers, uh, Clay Thompson, like 12 point, 12 made three game as well, right? Yeah, Something yeah. Was, but it's just... like the whole Western Conference, and it's been like this all year. And I think it, we've all kind of thought, all right, look, it'll, it'll, it'll form itself out. Everything will kind of fall into place. Well, we're like 19, 18 games left for teams, and we're not any closer to figuring out what's going on than we were on Thanksgiving. Like, and honestly, these, honestly this, this is a battle for all these spots, and it hasn't turned into a complete like tankathon yet, which would maybe would ease some of it. Like the Lakers are on the outside looking in, but they're fighting like hell to get in. Portland, I think, is still fighting to get in. Oklahoma City, I don't. Did they wave the white flag? They, they maybe said now, a little right? bit longer, but I know yeah. he was sick. He was. But. He had COVID stuff. It seems like that the Jazz and the and the Thunder were the teams that we were all kind of waiting for to just sort of give up, mm-hmm. and and they both haven't. Now the Jazz lost the other night to the Spurs, and if you look at the Jazz um, coming up, they actually play Friday and Sunday against OKC twice, and then they have a six game road trip ahead. So they're probably in in a little bit of trouble, but um, like. I only trust right now in the West Denver. It's funny because like that's the only team that for most of the year has been pretty solid. They've had Jokic. He's going to be probably the MVP again. They have some nice adds to their team, so they're a little bit deeper. But I mean, following them, you look at the two spot right now is Memphis. The, your T Wolves had a series with Memphis last year where Minnesota, I think, should have won. In I just watched my Lakers without LeBron and without D'Angelo play Memphis the other night, and the Lakers played them really tough. Like, Memphis needed a jaw 28-point quarter, and the Lakers had 26 turnovers in a game where they didn't have their point guards. Like, there's something weird going on with Memphis. There's this, like, a weird energy to Dave because they became, like, a year or two ago, they were the young darlings that everybody loved. And they've become mm-hmm. they they had like a really quick heel turn all of a sudden, right? Like a lot of the NBA, like the the players and and the fans don't really root for the the uh, Memphis the way they did just six months or a year ago. Like yeah, last spring it was everybody was all in whoop that trick and dancing mm-hmm. around and that and oh what a cool environment like and it's all a cool environment. But when Ja came out and had like the comments about nobody fear, they don't fear anybody in the West. And it's like, Israel haven't like won anything to like, I know being really? able to like say those kind of statements, like let, let like Steph Curry and Draymond say that, or LeBron say that, like, I don't heck even let Jason Tatum and Boston, at least they made the finals. Let them say that. Like you guys don't get to go with that. And then right, you had the, the Shannon Sharp incident in LA. And it's like, then the jaw stories like it like everything there's a lot of national well, dylan brooks is kicking guys in the right balls now. every other yeah. game like you never he's doing he he talks cheap and he he, he says because all of a sudden this team that was super lovable and super likable they're they're not quite and i don't there, there's something like to them inflicted stuff too it's yeah like they, they're bringing it on themselves of very right. weird Un, unnecessary energy um, and unlike an unnecessary attention that you don't even need to, yep. to 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 bring, and then I just like watching them in games on the court. Jaw could always be awesome and dominate. There's something weird like they don't they don't close teams out all that well. We saw that when when your team, the Wolves, played them last year. Same thing the other day with the Lakers. They have a really good home court advantage. They're not fantastic on the road. I don't know. There's something that just kind of feels like it's missing with them when I watch yep. them. 
with them, it's too, it's like, I believe it's their half court offense. Like when transition, yeah, yes. Jaws, Jaws a beast in transition. Jaron Jackson can run the floor in that. And when they're running in transition, Baines, Bain and Brooks can find open spots. Luke Kennard now with them. But when, when it's a half court and it Absolutely comes right. down to, all right, how are we going to break defense? Especially, especially now, like you mentioned, like this last week, NBA has really taken off, it seems. And that's the all-star game at that point. And it's not a halfway point. It's like, no, it's 20% of the season is left. It's go time. Like mm-hmm. it's time to lock in. If you're going to, if you're going to be something in the playoffs or make the playoffs for some teams, like you have to, it's time to go. <laughs> like and, there's no more, no more screwing around now. And so, maybe, and that's maybe caught them off guard a little bit. And again, just exactly what you said, watching in the first half when they, when they weren't running as much, Anthony Davis shut them down in the half court. They couldn't mm-hmm. score on him. And then in the second half, in the third quarter in particular, Jaw was going up and down. We couldn't stop Jaw. And then the game opened up, and that was when they look a lot more like their team. But if you were if you were the, a team like, for example, your team, like the Wolves, or mm-hmm. my team, the Lakers, or any of these teams that are in the bottom of the West that are trying to jockey to get into the playoffs, to get into the play-in, and maybe even above that, I would love, like right now, if if Memphis were the two seed and the Kings were the three seed, I would love to be either the six or the seven and play a series yep. against one of those two teams and just make them prove it. And then even both of those two teams, could you imagine being your Wolves and getting the six? And then you get a series against Sacramento in the first round, who has been awesome all year. You and I thought they were going to be better mm-hmm. than they were, but we didn't think they would be this good. And it's when it comes to playoff time, I still want to prove it, right? I want to make Sacramento in a playoff series show me that they can get defensive stops. I would love like, if you could stay away from Denver and then in like, the four and the five look like they're probably they might be Phoenix and maybe even Golden State. Like that two, three, six, seven side of the bracket is probably where you want to be in the West, right? Oh, for sure. Like that that quad, like who is ever going to be the eighth seed? But you're going in with like, all right, Denver, Phoenix, and Sacramento are all going to be on like one side I as know. of right now of like the West bracket. Like, I, I don't know. You could probably say Phoenix with we saw our first glimpse of the Durant version of phoenix last night and looked pretty dang good mm-hmm. and curry's coming back next week by all reports and so it's it's better with, like with those teams with with injuries and all right is is chris paul going to be able to survive through the playoffs is curry clay draymond they're going to stay healthy enough like if we saw him do it last year in the postseason everything clicked and they won it but what a what a what a fun slash dangerous four or five Right series that would be a Phoenix Golden State if if things ended right now that, that would be way, awesome that would is. be a blast and then the yeah. winner of that series would go on and get Denver and like I said if you know we you and I are rooting for our teams to get as high up the list as they can I would sign up right now to get in the six and take a series with Sacramento or even in the seven and take a series with with the Grizz with Memphis I keep saying that with Memphis mm-hmm. knowing that if you beat them you got you get the Sacramento side too that's that's where I'm looking, and the the team that I like the every, beam, yeah, the team that everybody <laughs> wants to always get behind, Dave. And you and I were were not from the beginning of the year, and r- right now again, I'm not. Is the team that you just beat the Clippers? Like there, there is no excuses for the Clippers anymore. 
They've got everybody healthy now. They made some new acquisitions. They went and brought in Russell Westbrook, which I don't know is going to help them very much. They're 0-3 with Russell Westbrook. He's He has 0 the last 12 for games that he started. He has not won any of the last 12 Ooh. games that he's been a starter. <laughs> so that just sort of shows you a little bit. And yeah, I, I, watching their game and like what I watched pretty much the whole game of, of Beery Wolves and Clippers their night. The Clippers defense is so inconsistent and like there's no energy. Their last 23 games, they're allowing over 117 points per game. They're allowing a, their opponents to shoot 50% from the field and 40% from three. They have the number 19 defensive rating over the last 15 games. And honestly, the only teams that are behind them are teams that have are either given up and are tanking or that were like the worst defenses in the league that we knew. Like, you know, the Mavs are really bad and the Hawks and the Kings. Other than that, you see Spurs, Pacers, Rockets, Blazers. This team can't get stops. They do not look like a championship defense right now. And everyone wants to always crown them and anoint them with Kawhi and Paul George. But I've been really disappointed with what I've been been seeing with the Clippers when this would be a perfect year for them. If they just got their act together, they could very easily be like a number two seed and feel like they were like the toughest team in the Western Conference. And I don't feel like that about them at all right now. Yep. I am not overly scared of the Clippers. And if it works, it works. But it's Stan Van Gundy did a pretty good job in that broadcast the other night of pretty much saying how Minnesota is getting whatever they want to in the paint. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota's good at getting to the paint, but it's also like, it's not like, are like Jordan. We're talking right? about Jordan McLaughlin. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If, if and, that's what and, Minnesota's doing to the Clippers and able to get to the paint, like what other teams are going to do is probably the same thing, if not more. Like it's, I, I don't know. With like, I, we were surprised when we did our preseason podcast. I said, I think I gave a number of like, oh, how many games over under are John Wall, George, and Kawhi going to play together? Right? I think and, I set the and number the, at fifteen. You're like, no way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know we what were, the number ended up, but it was not that. And then, no, like I don't think Wall we isn't on their team, and they cut him Johnny like Wall we expected. First, like it's yeah, not weird. I, I don't know. I I hadn't seen a ton of them, so like the the Reggie Jackson transaction was odd to me. He me just too. seemed like he had his moments in the playoffs for them that that they were going to get rid of him and essentially swap out and put Westbrook in there. Like I don't know. It seemed like that was a on paper, it looked like a, a name transaction that you do five, six years ago because it, the name's associated with it. But I don't know if that was the right thing. In well, no, is, is, just like you year. said, is Reggie Jackson a downgrade for the Clippers over Russell Westbrook when what what has hurt the Clippers, too, over the last few years is, you know, a couple years ago, they were like the fun Pat Beverly feisty Clippers. Right. And then like he was sort of like the heart of your team. And then you get rid of him. And then you have Lou Williams, who was sort of the heart of your team for a while, and then you get rid of him. And then you had Reggie Jackson, who was kind of the heart of your team for a while, and you get rid of him. And the leaders on the Clippers, they're not like super vocal, emotional leaders. I just don't ever know what that locker room's like. Like, are people holding each other accountable? When Paul George and Kawhi are your your best players and supposed to be your leaders, Kawhi doesn't say a word. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. I don't know what that what that's like when your leaders don't talk. I am and and the the Westbrook fit 
you, you saw it in the game, Dave, where he he will have good spurts, and mm-hmm. and he can still like Westbrook if if he was not a human and he was just a robot and we could program him to just say, hey, you're going to be a great sixth man right now and come off the bench, he would be fine. But he can't do that. Like he mentally, he won't do that. And <laughs> there was the one stretch at the end of the game. So the t- your your uh, Wolves take a 10-point lead, and there's like three minutes to go, so it looks like it's pretty much done. But all of a sudden, Paul George hits a quick three, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, Minnesota turns the ball over. Paul George comes down and hits a quick, uh, another like a layup, and all of a sudden, it was a, within yeah, like it was a d- 30 seconds, it's five. Right. Yep, it's, it's right back down to five. And then T-Wolves come down, and it was like a bad, quick shot, and the Clippers get the ball. And Paul George has it, but Minnesota doubles him smartly right off the bat to try to get the ball out of his hand. So he passes it to Russ, and Russ gets it for like two seconds, and he looks back at Paul George, and he can't pass (laughs) it there, and he just goes. And it's like there was two minutes left to go in the game. Paul George is just warming up. You just cut a 10-point lead down to five. You have to give the ball back to Paul George or Kawhi, and you got to back up, but he can't do that. And they missed, and then I think Minnesota came down. Came back and hit a, hit a three, three, and it was over. <laughs> it was it was it. They missed. He went. He went up and hit. He threw up like a contested layup. That was not a good shot. Not a smart look. Minnesota gets the rebound, comes down, hits a three. Game's over. It's eight with like a minute and twenty seconds to go. It yeah, was just plays this, itself out from there. But oh. it, yeah, it, it was a win, right? Give it, give it. Paul George is starting to get on his heater, and it's like, well, here. Now on to plan B, and plan B isn't Kawhi. Plan B was Russ trying to trying to save the game. I you saw know, a lot like, of Le- LeBron give and Anthony Russ Davis credit, faces. Right? Like he was, yeah. As the when he morphed into the six man role and took that on after I don't know maybe he didn't want to do it right away, he started to the national perception of him started to come back, and he was he one of the favorites for six man of the year, and it was it was generally going pretty good. It he seemed. was playing pretty well, and then it just it's only it can only happen for a few weeks. Then he gets mad again. He wants mm-hmm. to do more. He thinks he should always be closing the game. I saw Anthony Davis and LeBron make faces a lot for things that he did, just like he did with Paul George at the end of the game, where it's like, okay, we're getting this this flow, and then he just like he can't. Stay in the flow of the game, and then if so, if you could just bench him at, in the last few minutes of those games where you could tell he just doesn't have it, that's fine. But the problem is, then he goes and becomes a malcontent in the locker room. You know, he doesn't stay quiet and just keep his mouth shut and just be an end of the bench guy. He'll be mad. I'm Russell Westbrook. Why you bring me over here and you're not going to put me into clothes? What does this make like that? So now you just you're sort of in a lose lose situation with him a lot of the time. Which is not where you want to be. Like, like coaches need to be able to coach and be able to make the decisions and not be, like, yeah. Some, some it's game to game situation. So, like, and I think that's what kind of the good coaches can do with stuff like that. Along when they have the right players and temperaments, where, all right, no offense to you, player A, but you don't have it tonight. I'm going to leave you out the final four game, final four minutes, and we're going to roll with what we have. I don't think you suck. I don't think anything like that. It just I don't wasn't hate you. Tonight. It's not personal. Yeah. It's just tonight, the matchup, you're not, your shot isn't a little bit on, you're a step slow. Whatever it is, we'll get you back tomorrow. But like, it's not like, it's like he doesn't trust you. He doesn't believe you when you say that. You can see his faces and his body language. And it's, it's going to be tough for this Clippers team right now. Like, there's just not a good energy 
with them it's, either. It seems like it's an awfully big piece to insert into your lineup this late in the year. With 20 like, games to go. As it is. I know. Like if it's a if it's a three and D guy and you're and you're and you're mixing that in. Or Jared Vanderbilt's on the Lakers and it's like go in there and bust your ass on defense and rebound and just kind of be a pest. Like mm-hmm. that's a lot easier to plug in than like here's a guy he needs he needs the ball. He wants some usage. And oh wait, we already have two guys that are top fifteen in the NBA. But this guy still needs we need to keep him happy. It's like that, that's, and, it's and just the a keeping lot it happy is a big part of it too, right? Like if it's even with John Wall, which doesn't work, and you then you get rid of John Wall and it's fine. But like we weren't hearing John Wall's torpedoing the locker room or John Wall's all mad about everything. You just don't hear that kind of stuff. But from Westbrook, it's always loud. It's not. It's always loud. It's never quiet. Think about all of the, and it's like. It's like the girl, like everyone, or it's like a relationship. The the, the girls that want to fix the bad guys. Oh, they're going to come over <laughs> here, right? Like they're going to yep. come to me and I'm going to change them. And they're going to do, they're going to be a good guy. And they're going to be a family man and this and that. And exactly like you said, there's a short window where Westbrook came in. It's like, man, he's a good soldier right now. He's coming off the bench. He's doing what they're asking. And then boom, all of a sudden we hear, I hear that Anthony Davis and and Russell Westbrook had to be like held back from each other from fighting in the locker room. Like that Davis hated him and that they got at it with each other and and Westbrook at the end of the games we could see. So that's unfortunate is cuz the Clippers this window, this was another year where you look at the West and you go it's pretty wide open. There wasn't like mm-hmm. this unbelievably dominant team. This could have been our year and it right now it doesn't feel like it for a Clippers team that at a, at, in the sixth spot, all of these teams got to be careful because Golden State, Clippers, Phoenix, you know, Dallas, like is as good as you feel like your years might have been or as, as you look at the standings and you're like, oh, we're fine. We're in the four, five, six. These teams are closer to falling totally out of the playoffs than they are of catching the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, it's which is absolutely crazy that even like. New Orleans with everything that's happened to them and the Lakers with everything that's happened to jazz. Like these teams are still there closer to Phoenix at four than like Phoenix is to the Kings. It's, I know <laughs> it is one bad week, one bad week or one really good week can move you in such a, such a digression of wherever you're at. Like, yeah, looking at like the records right now, like team six through nine, they're all, like they're all just kind of mucking it up. Like Clippers, and, Dallas, Wolves, and Jazz are all four and six in their last ten games. Like, and, all right, come on, and if you, somebody get moving here. And all these teams towards the bottom, we just heard that for the Lakers, they're going to be without LeBron for a couple weeks moving forward. Now, after the trades, they have a better team, right? They've just got more NBA players, yeah. and and they can go out there like last night without LeBron, Anthony Davis, and D'Angelo Russell, and win a game. Mm-hmm. Against Oklahoma City um, So they're a little bit deeper uh, But a lot of these teams Towards the, the bottom of the West too They have tough stretches Coming up like for example We have the You know the Mavericks All of a sudden they're down to the number 7 spot Right now after trading for Kyrie They're still trying to figure it out Defensively they're a sieve They have no Perimeter defense no paint defense Whatsoever it's Powell and it's Kleba and it's like 
nothing. They they got they've no bigs, and they even traded their better wing defenders. They had nobody to guard LeBron. They had, they had Reggie Bullock trying to guard LeBron in that game, and LeBron just kept backing him down and backing him down. Um, Dallas isn't necessarily playing all that great. They blew a twenty seven point lead to the Lakers, and then they lost to the Pacers at home. And the Pacers are tw- are ten and twenty on the road. The like, the Jazz yeah, just I lost. They're one and four with when they have Kyrie and Luke in the lineup together. Technically, yeah. technically, I guess for the for everyone, they're one and five, but that's also because Luke and Kyrie one and five, but that's because they were on Team LeBron in the All Star game. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. The one and four with Dallas when they're in the lineup together. <laughs> oh and one if you factor in the All Star game on top of that. And like Utah just lost to the Spurs at home. I mean, that's like the worst team in the league. Those the Spurs have lost 16 in a row and Utah lost to them at home. And that was like a guarantee game for Utah that you probably circled and said, yeah, that'll be a win for us. And they have they have a six game road trip coming up, Utah. So they're going to be in some trouble. How about the Pelicans? Before their win last night, they beat the Blazers. They had lost four in a row and their next stretch of games coming up. They play at Golden State, at Sacramento. Dallas, Oklahoma City, Portland, and the Lakers. Like, all of these teams that are right next to them. This is going to be a fun couple of weeks, Dave. It's going to be a very fun couple of weeks. Like, let's put up a shut-up time for a lot of these teams. It's, the Timberwolves have a weird schedule on this where they play a lot of East teams. It's Yeah. So, like, usually it seems like if you factor in and you start playing teams within your conference. Like, the Timberwolves play L.A. and Sacramento on this road trip. But then they have a stretch where it's, Eight East teams in a row with Atlanta yeah. in there twice, Philly, Brooklyn, Boston, Chicago. Like, they're, yeah, the Wolves are going to play Sacramento on March 4th. And then the next team in the West that they play is Golden State on March 26th. So they go three full weeks without a Western Conference game, which, which is, is bizarre. Weird. And let's talk a little bit about your Wolves. Um, it's a fun. It's fun that this is like a really meaningful game against the Lakers coming up on Friday. We have, you know, the T-Wolves who are currently in the eighth spot right now, but they're just ahead of the Lakers. Uh, So Minnesota is 32 and 32 at 500 and the Lakers are 30 and 33. So a game and a half behind Minnesota. And we're, we saw new ownership come in, made the big trade for Gobert. Cat got hurt this year, so it's it's hard to say that it like it didn't work because it never really got an opportunity to like to play out with D'Angelo and and Towns and Gobert and and but they make the move to trade D'Angelo. They bring in Conley, who knows Gobert a little bit better. Probably not going to stick with D'Angelo long term, so that that was a smart move there. And what they've really done is you you've just handed the keys over to Ant, which is what. What they probably should have done a little bit more and maybe just said this is his team. And you have some really solid role players around. I mean, just in the last few games, McDaniels had 20 and Nas Reed had 30 in games that were, you know, these are important games. And, you know, McDaniels has a huge game in a big win against the Clippers. You kind of needed that because you had you had lost three in a row right before that coming in. It was like a real and it, it just kind of it felt like a big win for you to just calm everything down with a few more days off afterwards. Correct. Yeah, it was it was a three-game losing streak, and it was teams versus that weren't that good. Other The Golden State was in there, but you had Sacramento and... Sac- Orlando, Sacramento, right, or someone, uh, yeah. Orla- yeah, Charlotte 
and Charlotte. Washington. That's who it was. Yeah. One before the break and one after, but it's, it was, it was it, with cat out. It was time to turn it over to Ant and let him kind of roll with it. And not, not like the full fledged point guard, but like the, the guard that the lead guard, that's going to initiate everything. And all right, it's kind of go how he is, but it is like Jaden McDaniels. Like there was, there was pressure, probably unneeded pressure on Jaden going into the year. Because after the Rudy trade, that was one of the pieces of Utah wanted Danny Ainge wanted Jaden badly. And that maybe what led to an extra first round pick or whatever what the product that went to Utah, the players that went there, players and picks, it maybe could have it would have been lessened quite a bit, but the Tim Rolls insists on keeping Jaden because the high hopes on him for well, it teams love six foot ten. Like guys who can play defense, who can lock down, probably an all defensive one of the team guys. Mm -hmm. He probably should be, along with he can shoot forty percent on threes, and and he's starting to get a little bit of his handle is starting to improve a little bit, and he's starting to showcase it a little bit more. So, so it was very big for Jaden McDaniels, especially in that game on TNT, to kind of, all right, I'm this is who I am. Like I can score, I can play defense. There was the possession. I think you kind of referenced it when after Paul George was on his heater, he kind of like blew up the play that was yep. coming out because mm-hmm. he just didn't allow Paul George to get the ball and that he didn't do that all game. And then it was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how I play defense and you're just not going to get the ball and good luck. So that was, that was very big. So no, our Timberwolves versus versus the Lakers and what the, like pretty much the Timberwolves of years past is what the Lakers are right now with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We, we guys have, were getting minutes last year in the playoffs for us are are now uh, Lakers with we had three what our our starting lineup is right now when the Lakers are healthy it's LeBron and AD and the three former Wolves <laughs> with Vanderbilt Beasley and D'Angelo um, because it, it it fits really well um, it this is a good like it's a good puzzle piece of guys who all who their um, their strengths can be highlighted and their weaknesses can kind of be be filled in for um it's a really good fit because you know d'angelo gets to be out there he doesn't have to be the number one guy he's a good shooter so he can kind of be in the corner a little bit and if he is just off the ball that's fine and there there's something to him being back in la and playing next to lebron where he understands his role he knows lebron and ad he has fun with it um vanderbilt is just the energy guy that everybody loves he's nonstop. i mean within a half he was like the, the fan favorite within the first half of, of his first game playing. And then Beasley, the Lakers haven't had a shooter like Beasley, just a such a high-volume shooter that even when he goes two for 11 from three, they guard him. The other teams have to step out and guard him. So now all of a sudden, this team fits a little bit better. Um, on Friday, they said D'Angelo won't be back quite yet. He had a, a sprained ankle that says it, it Shouldn't be too bad, so he'll be back soon. I think Anthony Davis will be playing. But it, it is, it's kind of fun to see because these are guys that I've talked about with you over the last couple of years. And it is sort of fun seeing them play next to LeBron and and seeing how like everyone's the Vandalorian. People love Vando. I mean, he is just a total fan favorite. And uh we're yeah, we're we're Wolves West here out in LA now. And and love seeing that with like Vando because like Vando Vando was a huge Wolves fan favorite here. And he would get some attention, but also in Minnesota, you weren't getting the most attention. And then he goes to Utah, and it's 
not a lot of attention there. And now, whoa, L.A., bright lights next to LeBron. And people are like, Jared Vanderbilt is the greatest player to put next to LeBron up front. I like, know. Like, it's... And it's great to see him. Like, I love like, loved seeing him get the attention like that because people complain about these guys maybe not playing. Ugh, NBA players love if they don't play overly hard sometimes. Vando is just, he's a shot of energy the entire non- game. Non-stop. And, and you needed that next to, like you said, next to LeBron, next to AD. Guy that's going to do all the dirty work. He'll dive after everything. He'll get the loose balls. And he just doesn't stop non-stop motor. The same thing we're going to say for the Lakers just overall is, did this happen a little too late into the year yeah. for them? Right? If Even if in past years when the All-Star game was closer to the midway point, I think they would have been fine. Because I like this group of players. If this was the Lakers group of players to start the year, and I think they'd be like a top four West team if they were close close enough to healthy with LeBron and AD because they can go like one through eleven now, pretty solid. Like Austin Reeves is a good is a good basketball player. That he he's like a really good basketball player, rotation player. You know, um, guy like Lonnie Walker came in this year, and he's been very, very good. They were lucky the last couple nights to have Lonnie Walker because he went out there and he gave them a ton of minutes that they needed. The three guys they they brought in from the trades, they brought in Rui Hachimura, who is also not the guy that you thought when he was a lottery pick, but he is a good defender. He is a good shot maker. He can hit some threes, but he's got like a really good mid-range game. He had some big defensive plays last night. You start going through this roster now, they're like 10 or 11 deep, which is which is really solid and they are they've got some versatility and they can, you know, Darvin Ham can do a few different things. Just will there be enough time for them? Right, Dave, with with how late it all came together. That's my only worry is if you told me right now that also potentially the worry of that LeBron's injury here is bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is bad. bad because they can't, they can maybe get into to get to the playoffs. All they have to do is be a little bit better than some of these teams mm-hmm. around them. Right. So they don't even need to go like nine and one in the next 10. All you have to do is be slightly better than like Utah and new Orleans now. Yep. And so, yeah. Yeah, for, for them, sure. Like you, you just do that. Like if set the bar there and worry about like get LeBron healthy, keep AD healthy, and just figure out how the other guys work and everything. But yeah, like if Utah and New Orleans are on their way down, just get up ahead of them and take your chances because then you just never know. You've got about a little over a month and a half. You've got four to five weeks before those first play-in games and get and, to that and, and worry about it then. And that's the same with every team, but it is. It does need to be mentioned a little bit more with the Lakers than with some of the other teams because I think if they don't have a close to healthy LeBron and Anthony Davis, even with the the other guys they have in right now, they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. If you told me they they showed up on a play-in game and those guys were pretty close to healthy and you have the rest of this team, or if you told me the Lakers win the play-in and they're the number seven and they go play Memphis right now, or somehow they were to play like Sacramento, maybe Sacramento gets to two. And and I I don't think those teams would love would love it thinking, God, we had a good year. We got the number two th- seed or the number three seed. And now we got to play the freaking Lakers and Anthony Davis and LeBron. And like they made trades and it's not like the Westbrook team either. Like this is actually a team. I still don't think you'd want to you'd want to run into them in a dark alley. It I'm just a little bit worried about the timing. And now with the LeBron stuff, like 
is there just feel like there are too many things this year going against this team? It's the LeBron, like they're hanging on. They Then they tried to save the ship, which I, I think they did. I really like the Lakers moves at the trade deadline. Oh, they me were, too. They, it was everything you need to add, like for what they could have added without giving up AD probably. They like, it was what they could do. And they, they maximized what they, their roster was going to be in their ending lineups. And yeah, the LeBron injury just kind of was the dagger to it. But if he comes back and I don't know, it seems like LeBron, whenever, whenever he has a diagnosis like that, Oh, it's going to be er- three weeks. Well, it's always earlier. Week. I know yeah. it's earlier and he's doing the stuff on Instagram already where it's like, you know, he's like coming back the return, you know, he's doing these posts. So I'm like, I'm getting a little excited, just feeling like he's into it now. Anthony Davis is is in on this team again. His his focus and his mindset like a week or two ago wasn't very good, but I think he looks around now and he goes, "Damn, like this is not a bad team for me to sit here with if they sign up D'Angelo and Vanderbilt and Beasley and Rui and we've got Austin Reeves and this group for the next few years. Like this isn't a bad group now to have." Is LeBron gets a little bit older. Obama, like I, I didn't think he, I, I thought there was still a lot left there. Me and I too. Know he wasn't perfect for Orlando and what they drafted him to be, but it's still there. That's going to be another topic for Friday night because Mo Bamba and Austin Rivers, like three weeks ago, had that sideline scuffle at the oh, target. Yes, yes, and, that is great. Like Bamba was kind of like hidden away from everybody after that. And now they're gonna now they're gonna run. They thought that was gonna be it for seeing them. Now they're gonna run into them. Oh, that's and great! That'll be very interesting to see how that is. That is wonder great. What, now that I say that, I wonder if D'Lo D'Lo is still on the team at that point. I wonder if D'Lo and Mamba talked about that after. Oh, about that, yeah, that is great. And you know what, man? Your your Wolves guys came in and they were like they have said and done every single thing in the right way. They've like, we're here to, we want to help them win. It's so cool to be playing next to LeBron and AD. We know our roles here. We want to just do, like, we want to fill in in the right spot. D'Angelo is like, hey, you know what? I've grown up. I made some mistakes when I was here as a kid before. I'm so glad to be back as a Laker. And like, this is where, you know, I thought I was going to be for my whole career. You get drafted by a team. You always think you're going to be the guy for that team, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. what you think. And and it was in a time period where he was going to, he was supposed to be Kobe. When Kobe was was ending, he was like the 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 first of the big Laker draft picks that was supposed to be the savior guy, and and now he's you know and he he had the weird stuff with Nick Young and the phone and Iggy Azalea and different things, and now he's he dude you think about all the crazy stuff you and I did when we were nineteen, Dave. I mean, he's an adult now. He's a little bit more mature. He's he's grown up, and 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 it's and they have a chemistry they even said hey you know the three of us we know each other we've played with each other so i know malik i know vanderbilt it's not going to take us a whole lot to get to know each other um i'm way more excited right now than when we talked at the beginning of the year yeah. you know we just like we knew and even if it's not for this year as a laker fan i just knew with westbrook there was a ceiling it was just square pegs in round hole and it it's not even westbrook's fault right like he gets Sometimes it was like, oh, that was all Westbrook's fault. They shouldn't have made the trade to begin with. That that was the problem. It was never going to work with the personnel that they had. Yeah, he, he like, yeah, they knew what they were trading for. They tried to make it work. It didn't work out, and it kind of left them with that situation. Yeah, when we did our preseason, I think you had higher hopes. I was like, and I kind of was like the the dark cloud, like I just don't know, I don't know. But now it's like, all right, like 
the record is kind of where we thought it would be or a little bit worse, but it's also like, I'm more optimistic of this team now. Yeah. might be 30 and 33 than I was at the beginning of the year before anything had happened. Like, absolutely. No, you, you need, you need people who can shoot. Like I think Beasley, like Malik Monk was pretty good for the Lakers, but I think mm-hmm. Malik Beasley is probably a little bit more consistent, a little bit more well-rounded with everything. Like he's just a better fit in there than how Monk was. And he's a little bit like better of a years. player too. Like I think people yeah. just think he's a shooter. He can, he can make, he, he can handle the ball. He can get other guys involved. Like he can run some point a little bit. He can attack when you need to. And the one thing that all of these guys are doing right now coming in, they're trying on defense. Like nobody expects mm-hmm. Malik or D'Angelo to be the greatest defender in the world. Just move your feet and get in front of someone and just, a little bit of effort. So, man, I'm excited. Just not like, being Ole defense. Ole, yeah. Ole, Which was like, you want to laugh? You want to dunk? The, you want to The difference between no, like, Donovan Mitchell bit. in Utah versus Donovan Mitchell this year with the Cavs. He's mm-hmm. just trying on defense. Like, he just puts his feet in front, and that's all you need to do. And I'm excited now. You know, and I, I think if they can get into the playoff, they'll, they'll play in. They'll be a fun team. If they can get in a series, they'll be a fun team to watch. And I think for your squad, it's just, hey, Let's let's pick next year one of these two big guys to keep with Ant, and let's just build this team around Ant moving forward. And I, I think th- I trust him. I like him. I think he is the next one of those next generation stars. So you have him, build around him, keep him happy. It seemed like there were some times throughout the year where he it didn't seem like he was always content with everything, and I feel like he's a little bit kind of just. A better a better vibe with him now yeah he i think was trying to learn the role and like as a 21 year old kid wouldn't you step in and just kind of take over like because it's a mindset but that's actually going through and doing it i think once he came to grips of like all right it's i gotta do this that's out it's time for me i i think he locked in and that's like he was added to the all-star team but he he was a worthy all-star along with De'Aaron Fox, who also got added. But then I, I did think it was cute how LeBron took him number one overall in the, in the yeah. all-star draft, which was yeah. fun. I wonder if there was any other things LeBron was trying to go for with that. But no, it's it's good to see Ant do that because he is he's he's a great personality. The NBA needs guys like him. He he laughs. He shows emotion like He's 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 not a bad guy by any means. Like he's a great guy. Like in the he had a podcast that he did with it was the Austin Rivers podcast. And it was I'm kind of in the locker room and see these guys and how they interact with each other. And it's like Ant is who he is in the locker room as who he is when he gives out these great quotes that that go around Twitter. Like Ant, he's he's a great teammate and he's super fun. And it's good that people are getting to see him now a little bit like that. And, that, and especially in the recognition of being in the all-star and being on that stage. But who do you I like love- in the East? Can I ask you that? Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's do. Um, I mean, Milwaukee's won 15 in a row right now. You know, who's playing really well is the, the Knicks too, man. And you know, since they made that Josh Hart trade, like it, um, there was a clip going around because Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart played together in college, like uh, for a few years, they were really good friends. And when Josh Hart got traded to the Knicks, somebody sh- uh, it got you know released on Twitter, and Jalen Brunson was sitting there, and somebody came up to Brunson and showed him the phone, and they're like, "Hey, look, we just got Josh Hart," 
And he was so excited, like genuinely excited for his friend to come and join him. I like, I was like, oh, like it made me feel like, like, oh, that was great to watch. Because I love Josh Hart too, as a former Laker. He is a fantastic role player. And he is in the six games that he's been there, I think now seven, they've won all seven of them. And Josh Hart it was shooting as of last night, 63% from three in the six nice. games. Since he's been there, that'll get the that'll get the job done. He was actually shooting sixty one percent from the field and sixty three percent from three, and averaging like fourteen points a game on twenty seven minutes. And the only reason why he wasn't playing more is because the Knicks have been blowing teams out. Like over their last six game winning streak, they had been beating teams one twenty to one hundred seven. So like by thirteen points a game, I think the way that that it's set up right now, I could see them. Winning, if it was a 4-5 and they had a matchup with the Cavs, I could see them winning that series. I just like them so much more with the guy like Brunson. He's a good leader. He's a guy that we saw last year without Luka beat Mitchell. Wouldn't that mm-hmm. be funny? It'd be the same two guys on different teams. It'd be Brunson Ooh. with the Knicks against Mitchell with the Cavs. And like, yeah, I, I didn't think about that part. Yes, you are totally right on that, of that. But it's, um, yeah, with Hart, the Knicks, yeah, I had wrote down 7-0 with Hart and he's playing 20 some minutes a game, but that whole, like the Knicks went from like playing contention to like a home court advantage in the first round is now like that's in front of them. That's two and a half or a game and a half in front of them. Yeah. They're a game and a loss column behind the Cavs. And the, the other team like Milwaukee is going to be tough. I'm not that high on Boston. Again, I think you and I both kind of mentioned like Tatum is awesome and they're good. They're a good team. I just don't know if like a healthy Boston and a healthy Milwaukee match up all that well. The one thing I would love to see, I'd love to see the Toronto Raptors get the number seven, win the play in. And then I'd love to see the Raptors versus the Celtics in a series. I, I don't know if Toronto could beat them, but with like Siakam and OG Ananobi and Barnes, they would have some really good wings to throw at Tatum and Brown and make life super difficult for the Celtics. So I don't, I would probably bet Toronto in a couple of those games in the series, like as underdogs, if they were to play Boston and they're a team that we all thought they were going to trade all their guys. And then they kept everyone and they ended up bringing Pirtle back who they like. So they, they actually have a big man now. They're they're just not quite deep enough. But if I don't so I don't know if the, the Raptors can like win the East. But if you told me if I were Milwaukee, Boston, or Philly, that would be one of the teams I didn't want to play in a series because they're gonna make you work way harder than you'd have to. Yep, that was the team I wrote on because yeah, they're eight and two in their last ten. Mm-hmm. It looked like all the talk going into the trade deadline was they were gonna kind of blow it up and oh, this is Nick Nurse going to be out of there? Like, which players actually survive this? And it's like, nope, they went the other way. And now they're thriving. And, yeah, I, I can't believe these teams up top are going to feel overly warm and cuddly thinking, all right, we'll get Toronto in the first round. That That's a walkover win for us. Like, that's not going to be the case. Like, heck, even, like, Miami. Like, Miami's a pesky playoff team. Like, as a seven or eight seed, they're going to probably steal a game. Granted, I guess what I didn't say in this is Brooklyn is still they're, currently sixth. And they're, but they're faltering, they're right? Falling. Like we feel like they're free. We, we just, we look at them and they don't have a star, unfortunately. Like they just, they, they do got have a bunch of Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas and Bridges now. They just, they have like a lot of 
like good role players that teams could use, but they just don't have the the one or two guys that they need to yeah. to put them over the top. Yeah, they 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 created they stole every wing it feels like in the NBA you know, they threw on their roster and now they're they, all on the same they, team. And they made that trade like the Durant trade was early enough that I was like, all right, they've they've assembled their pieces and now they can yeah both Durant and the Kyrie trades. They had got their pieces in. It's like, all right, now what are they going to do with these guys? And it was like, no, they just kind of stopped right there. Like they didn't, they didn't repackage any of these guys and send them to other teams that would potentially need need them. So no, it's, I, I think the East, yeah, Milwaukee seems, I don't know Boston's there, but Milwaukee seems the head and shoulders above the rest of the teams. Interested to see when they take that minutes restriction off. Like Chris Middleton is coming off the bench for them right now, and it. It appears to be a really good role role for him, and they've won 16 games straight, and it's everything's going good there. And at some point, he's going to get switched back to a starter. But I I also wonder if they continue on with this, will they say maybe we have something here, and you're going to yeah. be the best sixth man? Yeah, we maybe have. we let you just come in. You'll play 32 minutes anyways, or 34 minutes, whatever you want. You know, we're going to close mm-hmm. the games, but you can at least get those few minutes when Giannis comes out, where you can run the second unit yourself kind of be in charge of the second unit. Man, Drew Holiday just gets better and better, too. Like, he's one of the more underrated players in all of basketball, both ways, defense, offense. Like, he's one of those guys that just plays hard all the time. We were talking about Vanderbilt. You know, like, he sets the tone yep. like that for someone who's a really good player as well. So, yeah, I mean, I I think they're the team to beat, and I think that the Knicks and the uh, the Raptors would be my fun sort of sleeper teams that maybe they can upset a team in a series or, or at least make – make some of these uh, really good teams in the East work a little bit harder as uh, it feels like the West is a lot more interesting right now than the East. Just like, cause we don't know what the hell's happening out here. It's literally the yeah, wild, the, wild West. The West is the wild, wild West this year. And even like, yeah, Denver's the number one team, but all right, are, this is the year Denver's going to break through. I don't know. Like the, the West, like really, you could probably say six teams. You Probably wouldn't be surprising. That would have a chance to make it out of there. Maybe, maybe eight. I I don't know. Which is so Nine. rare. I don't know. Normally, there's two or three. Go on a heater and and pull it off. In the, Any in the of these teams that are healthy and together and playing their best, which is so rare. We don't normally see that. We normally see two or three teams that are just head and shoulders above of everyone else, and anything else would be a surprise. That has not been the case, Dave. Few days out from uh, from winning a ton of money. I'm wishing you the best of luck in the <laughs> NHC, and I, I always got to thank you, man. These are a blast. I, like I love talking NBA with you as much as anyone. We have a good time going through all the different teams, talking about everything that's happening. And I'd love to get you back uh, come playoff time, and we'll see what what everybody Sounds looks good. like uh, for the playoffs. And we'll get a little playoff preview. We did it last year with your T Wolves with the uh, the play in preview, and they had a nice little run there. So, I mean, I wish you the best of luck. I hope your Wolves win all the games except for Friday. You know, hey, everything hey. else. <laughs> Maybe we'll tie. Maybe, it's like Maybe we'll tie. They was gonna say sudden death on uh, on Friday, but I'm glad it worked out to where we were able to uh, to talk. As long about. as both teams have fun, Gino. Right. As long as we get as long as we get participation trophies and oranges yep. at the end, then I'm happy. Then we're good to go. Um, make sure to give Dave a follow, folks, on social media. He does a, a great job covering the the Wolves. You can follow him at Superstats Dave. You always get fun stuff on there too. Just a, an overall basketball fan, Minnesota sports fan, a horse racing fan, and a good horse racing handicapper. As you heard, he's headed to the NHC this week. Dave, let's uh, let's pencil in 
playoff time to preview everything. And let's hope that we'll be talking about both of our teams come playoff time. Sounds good. I can do that. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you, Gino. And Always. yeah, hopefully I win the NHC for everybody. Exactly. Always very uh, thankful for you joining us, and we wish you the best of luck in the NHC. You'll hear Dave back here again real, real soon, so make sure everyone to uh, send some positive uh, thoughts for Dave as he could use any little boost and help in the NHC coming up next weekend. racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use drf with drf.com and the newly optimized drf mobile You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse. And you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Make sure to tune into our 
live stream. It's totally free. It's like the best hour and a half or two hours you'll get of just horse racing picks, tons of analysis, and everything that we give out is five to one and up. It's called the No Chalk Zone this weekend in Stable Duel. Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. If you follow me on Twitter, it's me, Gino B. It'll come live right uh, on the tweets. And it's me, Barry Spears, and Matt DeSantis. We give you all the Stable Duel info, talk about all the best contests for the weekend, and then we're always giving out five-to-one shots and above in the No Chalk Zone. Play, race, win. Okay, let's get into our horse racing uh, conversations. First up, it's going to be with David Aragona, the man who makes the morning line over at Aqueduct, New York. All the New York tracks works for DRF, Timeform US. David is a fantastic handicapper and a great, great odds maker. And he joins us to talk about the three stakes races on the card. The Gotham is an awesome betting race. And a big thanks to David for helping us out. Kick back and enjoy. We spend eh, 20, 25 minutes or so going over these three stakes races for Aqueduct Saturday. It is a very important weekend coming up in the world of horse racing, and it's it's important because we have a lot of these big prep races for the Kentucky Derby. There are three of them coming up this weekend. We have the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream Park. We have the San Felipe over at Santa Anita, and we'll have the Gotham at Aqueduct, part of three stakes races at Aqueduct. And anytime we can uh, talk about New York races, we have to get one of the best when it comes to talking about the New York races. He's the man that makes the morning line. He's a handicapper, analyst. DRF, Timeform US, uh, NYRA, all sorts of different um, places that David Aragona works for. And David, man, as you pointed out um, in uh, one of your tweets, the Gotham is probably the best betting race of any race you'll find on the undercard at Gulfstream at Santa Anita anywhere all weekend long. It is fantastic. It's really a great race. I mean, it probably took me longer to handicap the Gotham than it does to handicap a typical Thursday card at Aqueduct at this time of year. There's just <laughs> yes. so much to sift through in this race. And while the other two derby preps that we're going to see in Florida and California are more likely to have ramifications on the actual Kentucky Derby and the Derby Trail and subsequent preps, this Gotham is still a really fun race to handicap, even if it's not going to produce legitimate derby starters. Yeah, and we'll talk about a um, couple of the stakes races earlier on the card, but even in race four, which is the Busher, um, which is for the uh, the three-year-old Phillies and, and hopes to get to the Kentucky Oaks, there aren't any, like, super proven Phillies, but just on paper in that race, you have a horse like Capella, who comes in from Turfway with two very impressive wins. You have Ziarotti who earned a nice buyer speed figure and won the career debut by eight lengths and beat a next out winner. And you have asset purchase for Chad Brown, who was also visually really, really impressive winning their career debut by eight. So they're not necessarily household names in the busher, but I think there are a couple very talented Phillies there to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot of potential in this race. And as far as those two recent debut winners go, uh, both of them winning those races at Aqueduct, I'm pretty familiar with the competition they've been facing. I will say Zia Roddy, while she was so impressive on debut, uh, she's a horse that really did have everything go her way that day. I mean, the Mm -hmm. Aqueduct track tends to play pretty slowly at this time of year, but she went nearly 49 seconds to the half in a seven furlong race. If you look at the time form US pace figures for that race, they're just very slow. So she really did have a lot working in her favor. I think she's probably going to face more competition for the front end this time because asset purchase has plenty of speed. The rail runner check engine light has shown some speed in prior races. So it feels like it could be a more competitive pace, even though it's a short field. And then one thing I've, I don't know if this is 
accurate or true, but it just feels like because on synthetic tracks, a lot of time the races aren't as quite as fast. We don't necessarily get as flashy performances. Sometimes the speed figures are just a little bit lighter than you have where you have these horses that are big winners on dirt or open length winners on dirt or even like a sloppy racetrack. So we've seen the last couple of years, the racing at Turfway has really improved. It is a lot stronger last year and this year. A lot of horses exit Turfway and perform very well. I mean, you have a horse like Capella and what she has versus the, the other two that we just mentioned. She has the benefit of another race under her belt. She has two victories, whereas, you know, like Ziarati and Asset Purchase, they've only been out there once. She's also been longer in both of her starts, and both of them will have to stretch out a little bit. So while she hasn't proven it on the dirt, and maybe figures why she's a tad below, um, she does have some positives and some things that you may look at her as, you know, maybe a, a fitter or just a more ready horse for stakes company right now. Yeah, this is the kind of race where I'm more interested to see how it unfolds than I am interested in betting it because I don't yes. feel like any of these three horses are going to be particularly enticing prices. But I feel like they all have shown ability and I'll be interested to see how they stack up against each other. And Capella, as you said, I mean, she has some questions to answer with regard to the surface switch. But I feel like when these horses are making their synthetic to dirt or synthetic to turf transition, I watch those synthetic races not really to gauge their surface preference because it can often go different ways, but just kind of just gauge how they've run, how they've adapted to different mm -hmm. circumstances. Because like you said, those races can feature different dynamics than you will see on the dirt. And while Capella was able to control paces in both starts, she faced different pace scenarios, a much faster pace on debut, a slower pace last time. And on both occasions, she still finished up strongly. And I like the fight that she displayed to win that last race because she actually lost the lead in the stretch and came back to beat a rival Galloped out strongly and she's got dirt pedigree. I mean, she's a half sister to Bonnie South, who I don't know if she ever won a grade one race, but I know that she was placed in a bunch of them. So uh, definitely has the pedigree to make this surface transition. And, you, you know, with a, with a trainer like Brad Cox, who hasn't sent a bunch of horses to Aqueduct, but when he does send them, they're a lot of times well-met. They're in the stakes races. He has so many horses, especially this year, like three-year-old fillies and Colts that are good. I think he's, he, if this horse didn't fit in this race, he probably would have picked one of his others to to put in here. I think he probably thinks she fits well enough in this spot and she has a legitimate chance. And I agreed with your assessment. It, any of these three fillies could be nice fillies. They all three could be. We're not really going to be able to, to get a lot of value in this race with those three. And I, I couldn't really make a case for any of the others in here. It did to me look like which one of these three gets the benefit of the race shape, who gets the trip. And they may capitalize if for some reason one of these three horses is forgotten about on the tote board, then I would be OK with probably playing any of them that offered the value. But I, I don't think it's going to happen that way. Yeah, and one additional note I'll make about asset purchase is you might want to pay attention to the first race of the day on Saturday because the third place finisher from her maiden race, Liam's Champ, is running back. And she is a horse that had a big trip in that race. And I think the margin of victory would have been much narrower if she had not had so much trouble in the race. So just something to keep in mind about assets purchase purchases uh, eight length victory last time. But she's another one that, as you said, has questions to answer and is not going to be much of a price. That's race number four on the Saturday card over at Aqueduct. That is the Busher $200,000 up for grabs. And we'll see some of these three-year-old fillies trying to make their way to the Oaks. Now, 
The next ace race on the card is the grade 3 Tom Fool It's going to go as race number 8 Six furlong sprint here And on paper there's really no like super overwhelming favorite in this race either You have a couple speed horses on paper that look like they could set up for at least an honest pace Horses like Chateau and Pirate Rick feel like they're pretty one dimensional And want to be right up on the front end Little Vic also Pretty close, probably wants to press things uh, There And then behind them, there's like that next tier of horses Where Eastern Bay, Run and Son of a Gun They faced each other So have Running Son of a Gun and Nakatomi And all three of them really weren't Separated by much when they were um, Against each other in races So how do you see this thing shaping up And um, who are some of the horses that are on your radar In the Tom Fool? I'm always reluctant to say there's going to be a fast pace when there were two clear speeds because there's always that possibility that Mm -hmm. one of them takes back. But given that the two speeds are Chateau and Pirate Rick, who are horses that really do need to be in front or involved in a pace to have any chance of success here, especially that being the case with Chateau, who's drawn inside. It just feels like there has to be some some quick fractions up front. And not that the race is going to completely fall apart, but I think it could be difficult for either one of those horses to be successful, just given the presence of the other one in here. And horses like uh, the two that I pegged as the favorites on the morning line, Run in Son of a Gun and Nakatomi, they're just supposed to get the right kind of setups in here. And as yeah. I was going through it, I felt like they might just be the two best horses in the race anyway. I mean, Run in Son of a Gun, he's such an easy horse to root for. He's been such a success story for the these connections who claimed him for just $40,000, a son of Gunrunner who only sold for $16,000 as a yearling. I mean, he's just kind of been this rags to riches story. And I mean, he was picking up checks in some big races last summer and yeah. has just kept getting better and better. And he's not the kind of closer that has to be coming from way out of it. He can be placed in a stalking position and they gave him a bit of a freshening here. He's now coming back off a bit of a layoff. And I certainly view him as the horse to beat. Yeah, and then you have Nakatomi who's making his first start at four, but he has defeated and faced older horses in a couple of prior races. And he was right behind running son of a gun at Parks in the Gallant Bob. It's kind of a weird race. He dropped, Nakatomi dropped way, way out of it. He started to move outside and they finished pretty much right next to each other. But I, I agree, you know, you look at both of these horses' races now and some of the company that they, they faced la- last year. The races have come back live and good. Um, they face good company, like, even like Taiba and Dorst. Like those are those are good, strong running lines for Nakatomi, and for the same thing for Running Son of a Gun. I mean, he's faced Charge. It is going to run on Saturday, and looks like he could be one of the the top older horses this year. Jack Christopher and Gunite, really, really sharp runners when he faced them last year, also. So while these horses aren't necessarily like the top of the sprint division, these are. These are solid horses, like running son of a gun and then Nakatomi for different, right? He's he's more of like the Wesley Ward horses aren't ne- the ones that you necessarily root for as much because he gets the the really nicely bred horses and and a barn uh, full of like stars. But this horse feels like the right the right horse in the right spot. And again, in this race, which is it's kind of nice the way that the stakes race is shaped up. I had a harder time trying to get away from these two that you that you pegged to running son of a gun and Nakatomi. Um, I I couldn't really. Get to some of the longer shots I felt like I was reaching You do not feel like that in the Gotham Like you don't feel like you're reaching mm-hmm. At all uh, Making a case for or against like Any horse in that field David and I think On top of the fact that We have a bunch of these three year olds And it's it's a, a group of three year olds That's kind of unproven too 
I don't know how this race is going to shape up from a pace standpoint. There, there's no horse in here that has passed a horse at a mile. Like nobody. Um, I don't think anyone has passed horse going longer. Who's going to sit off the pace? Who's going to get shuffled back and get in trouble and then have no chance because immediately they're not right on the lead? Is it is it a fascinating race from a, a gambling standpoint, from a pace shape standpoint, how it sets up? Just so many layers to this one. It really is an interesting race, and it's kind of funny. I was looking at the Time Form US pace projector and analyzing it. I was, I was trying to formulate in my mind how this race would be run, and the horse who was shown in last, in 14th, on the pace projector is the number two, How Great Is Nate, who is not exactly a slow horse coming out no. of sprint races. I mean, it's just there are so many horses that want to be forward, as you said, and they can't all be on the lead, so you do want to start paying attention to those that have at least shown the ability to pass horses in some of the races. It's really going to be a rider's race. It's going to be a fascinating race to take in. And one other complicating factor that I should mention as we're teeing up this discussion, and it might even apply more to the race we just talked about, is there are going to be wet conditions on Saturday. That seems pretty certain. Uh, there is plenty of rain predicted between Friday and Saturday. I think at the last I looked at almost an inch and a half. Um, so it seems guaranteed we're going to have a sloppy track for this Gotham. Hopefully the field holds together because it's a fascinating race. And I think these connections will, you know, have they have the dirt be fever at this point at this point or they want to take a shot in the race so uh hopefully nobody scratches for that reason uh but uh yes there there is a lot to dissect in this race and i did peg the two brad cox trainees as the shortest prices on the morning line when i say shortest prices i mean they're four and five to one yeah. respectively so it doesn't feel like the kind of race where anybody can be that short uh but you do have to decide how short a price you want to take on anybody in a race that looks like it has this much potential for chaos so i would advise you if you're somebody that has experience making a value line this is the race to do it yeah, and those two Brad Cox, just from a, a starting point, from a conversation point, we can talk about them. You have Slip Mahoney, who lost in his career debut to Litigate, who came back to win the Sam F. Davis, and then was beaten only a neck by Tappet Trice, who came back to win a first-level allowance at Gulfstream and earned a 92 buyer in doing so. And then in his third start, he broke his maiden, and he kind of pushed through from the inside. He moved up to the lead. He put away the other speeds. And then he got a big challenge at the top of the lane from um, one of the major players in that race. And he won a stretch battle on the inside and seemed like he was kind of lengthening that as uh, as we got closer to the wire. And then you have on the flip side, Ian Clover, who's just like hasn't really been tested. He won by nine. Both of his races have been sprinting. But in his debut, he did beat a couple next out winners and he beat another next out winner in his second start. But again, they're both quick. I mean, they're both horses that have shown speed. Um, Ian Clover has been right on the lead, like sub 22 sprinting. We got to feel like he's going to be close up here, right? Yeah, Ian Clover kind of has to go forward, especially from the outside post position. They've got to try to get some forward position with him. And uh, he's an interesting horse. Uh, I know that they have aspirations for him. I think the connections and the ownership group has talked about targeting the Arkansas Derby. I know they've got to get through this race first. Uh, he's He actually faced a much tougher field in his debut than he did in that allowance victory when he stepped up against winners in his second start at Fairgrounds. The Oaklawn race just featured more... You know, quality horses than the fairgrounds one did. Uh, but he's gotten great trips. He really hasn't been tested for a horse that I think is going to take money on this race. He just still has so much to prove. And between these two Brad Cox trainees, 
I would lean more towards Slip Mahoney because at least he has shown the ability to pass, pass versus. Yeah. yeah, he did it in his debut. And while they've used more forwardly placed tactics in his last couple of starts, I think that's just what those races dictated. And he does have that versatility where he can come from off the pace. And he's just a real gritty fighter. When you watch his last couple of races, I mean, he was bumping Tapid Trice down the stretch two back. Like he really wants to get in a tussle with another horse. And I don't think we've seen that same grit from Ein Clover just yet, even though he might possess it. So I, I would lean more towards Slip Mahoney, but I'm not sure that either one of these horses are going to be big enough prices for me to really take in this race. Let me uh, ask you about a horse that I was uh, pretty high on in, in that career debut win, and that was Mr. Swagger, who sat, he sat a little bit too, which is nice, and he won at six and a half. So he was chasing the lone speed of Register. Register, who finished second that day, came right back to win their next start. Um, Mr. Swagger beat two next out winners that day. And when Register came back, he earned a 90 buyer speed figure in his second start. Fifth place finisher that day came back to win a maiden 40 claimer by 13. What I did like in looking at the pedigree, I think there are nine siblings that are winning siblings. And all nine of them have wins going long for Mr. Swagger of like the direct siblings. So as far as stretching out a little bit, I didn't think it should be a problem for him. Like with all these horses, it'll be what kind of trip can they get? But he showed a little of ability. What do you think of his chances in here? No, I agree with all of that. I saw those things. Even when he made his career debut, I was wondering if six and a half furlongs might be on the short side for him. And clearly it wasn't as he showed uh, plenty of gate speed that day. And uh, that has been a very strong maiden race. Uh, Register came back to, I think, improve his buyer 15 points. And even the fifth place finisher uh, came back to improve significantly winning a maiden race, a maiden claiming race by, I think, like 13 lengths or something like that. So that has been an extremely live race. And you're completely correct with the pedigree. He's certainly bread to go longer my one concern with mr swagger is he is drawn closest to the rail of all of those horses with speed mm -hmm. they're putting the blinkers on it seems like they have intentions of just trying to get clear and go forward with him but i have to imagine other horses are going to have that same idea in here so i wonder a little bit about what kind of trip he's going to get Carmel Road is a horse who will probably get some money because he's leaving the Baffert barn. He's coming into the Tim Yachtine barn and he's exiting a graded stakes race. But on paper, you know, he earned a nice figure, I think an 83 buyer speed figure. He finished second that day, but the favorite just didn't fire at all in that race and completely backed up. And the winner practical move kind of moved up through the inside pretty nicely. Um, Mo folks will see Forte in the running lines too I, I wonder if he'll get over bet a little bit What do you think about Carmel's Road's chances in here? Yeah, both of these former Baffert runners, he and Fort Warren, they're, they're just not for me in this race. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carmel Road, I, I agree. When, when he really faced some adversity, it didn't seem like he responded to it particularly well. And yeah, that was the breeder's futurity and he was facing some good horses, but he just completely threw in the towel and he got very good trips the two times that he was successful. And both times he was all alone on the lead, both in that maiden score at Del Mar and then last time in the Los Alamitos futurity. I don't know how he's going to react when he doesn't make the front, and it feels like he probably isn't in this race. The winner of the Jerome is Lugan Knight, who got the lead, was challenged by Arctic Arrogance. It's really tough to knock what he's done in his four races, and he's shown a little bit of improvement in each of his last three. He defeated General Banker, who um, General Banker was well defeated in the Withers, and they both end up back here. Um, I'm going to talk about the two of them or, or Lugan Knight's chances, how you think he stacks up with this group. 
I mean, I think Luga Knight is fine. I mean, the fact of the matter is this is just a much, much tougher race than the Jerome was, but that doesn't take away the fact that he ran well last time and he beat a pretty good horse in Arctic Arrogance. You might say that Arctic Arrogance is developing a little bit of a habit of hanging in his races and maybe Luca Knight appearing so game last time was a little bit of Arctic Arrogance, just not wanting to go by. Uh, but still, he ran well at the track, at the distance, uh, and he's drawn well outside of a lot of the speed and he's shown more versatility than a lot of these horses that are one-dimensional speed types, even though he won mm-hmm. in gate-to-wire fashion last time, he can sit off the pace. So I think there are some things to like about him. Yeah, then uh, Luga Knight was defeated by Victory Formation. Victory Formation went on. He was a favorite in the uh, uh, Risen Star and just didn't really fire. They tried to sit him off the pace a little bit, and Pratt said that when they asked him for run, he just just didn't have much. So we've got through a lot of the major contenders. How are you looking at this race just like to play it? Like Who to you, from a value-based standpoint, if they are close to their morning line, would be the type of value that that feels good for you? Yeah, so I mentioned it earlier, and I I went through the process of just making a value line for this race, comparing it to my morning line and the odds that I think the horses are going to be, just to kind of go through every single horse in this field and try to not miss a, a good value play, because there is one in this race, and you do want to find it uh, if your opinions are correct. And it's the kind of race where I really don't think anybody deserves to be under 6-1, to one, and I'd probably peg fair odds on a horse like Slip Mahoney at around 6-1. to one. I just mm-hmm. don't think he's going to be that high. So I don't want to pick him, even though I do believe he's the most likely winner of this race. Um, So I'm looking for horses that I think might get a little lost in the wagering that I think have realistic chances to win, maybe should be in that 8, 10, 12 to 1 range that could be higher. Um, One of them is the number two, How Great Is Nate? I know that he hasn't gotten a real test yet. He's beaten inferior competition, but he's passed every test so far. He's four for four in his career. And I like the fact that he's seems comfortable sitting off the pace behind horses can pass them. Yes. He's been in four five, six horse fields and now he's in a 14 horse field. So he's going to have to pass a lot more horses, but he seems like one of these horses that's making the stretch out that actually is going to be suited to going longer. Cause when I watch this horse's races, he doesn't look like a sprinter to me. He's got this big loping stride. He's a son of Spitzer who was a quick horse during his racing career, but does get horses that go longer out of a tap at dam. I just feel like he's one that might pull the right trip and could slip through the cracks just going out for connections that people aren't too familiar with. He's my second pick, and the horse that I put on top in this race is the number seven, Transect. Um, a horse that has a okay, lot... I'm glad we mentioned him, too, because I wanted to get on him, too, but coming from Turfway. Yes, another one of these horses making the transition from Turfway synth to dirt here. Um, and yes, he's a little bit light on the speed figures, but he just feels like a horse that, while he's faced inferior competition in his first couple of starts, has just shown the kind of versatility that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Came from off the pace in that debut race and finished really powerfully uh, to win that day. And then last time out, was able to go to the front, got a challenge and turned it away. And then galloped he did. Out. It looked like that horse was going to come, like was moving late and he just sort of put him away and then and was drawing off again. Yeah. Yes. He finished strongly and then really galloped out away from the field at the end. And he looks to me like a horse that is going to get better going longer. He's by gun runner. And when you go through this pedigree, especially on the dam side, it's all dirt breeding. I mean, the dam has produced a couple of horses that excelled on the dirt, including uh, Runway Magic, who was a stakes placed runner. Mm-hmm. And then the second dam is Madcap Escapade, who was an awesome uh, grade one winning dirt sprinters, just extremely talented. And that entire family has been good dirt horses. So I feel like there are some signs pointing to transect maybe getting better on the dirt and just another horse that I think is going to be a fair price in a race where you really do want to search for that value. Yeah, that's the key because this is the type of a race where 
some when they're all pretty evenly matched, like we said, it doesn't even seem like the horses, you know, like Slip Mahoney and, and the other Cox horse, Ian Clover, like they haven't done so much that they just they they stand out over everybody else on paper. And that's where you want to try to look and find the most value that you possibly can because some of these horses are going to be forgotten. There's going to be a couple that end up 20 to 1, 25 to 1, that just higher than they should be. And uh, how great is Nate? Has checked some of the boxes, has passed some of the tests already that many of these haven't. We know that he can sit. We know that he can pass horses. And you have a horse like Transect who's also shown that they can sit and pass horses and shown some versatility. So a couple of uh, strong endorsements from David. But David, on a uh, a, a fun Fun weekend. There's a lot going on between your big day at Aqueduct, the really big day at, at Gulfstream with the Fountain of Youth and all their undercard stakes, and then at Santa Anita, they have a, a strong four stakes races too, uh, four graded stakes races over there that ends with a really nice big cap. I was um, recording with uh, Emily Gullickson, who you guys were just just short on du jour. <laughs> Last time yeah. DeJour yes. ran. Um, and so DeJour will be coming back again running this weekend. And I was telling her that one stung me a little bit. I was closing. Um, I was alive in the pick six in that race with DeJour, Air Force Red, and Iridao, the horses who ran two, three, four. I also had the 10, the, the, the import who was on the lead, but I had no Earl's Rock. And Earl's Rock split me and got him. And so I, after that, I took a, I took a week off. It was the first break I've taken in like four years where I was like, <laughs> I need a few days to clear my head because that, was one, that. that was one that was going to sting with me. But I wanted to give you some props because you guys definitely mentioned uh, DuJour and that sort of just at least gave me a little more confidence to throw the horse into some exotics. And uh, Emily does a great job. And I always want to mention, please uh, give your podcast partner, Craig Milkowski, uh, as hard of a time as you can for me. Uh, I, lo- <laughs> I love I love Craig and I love giving him uh, love giving him crap. And you guys do such a fantastic job with the with all of the content that you have out there. Um, anything else you want to mention about stuff that you've uh, you've you know, you promoted this week? Um, any of your work shows, podcasts, written stuff out there? I mean, I've been doing a lot of stuff on uh, DRF's YouTube channel lately, uh, stakes previews. I do those with Craig, uh, but also uh, some solo stuff, uh, handicapping all of these derby preps. I have videos out for the San Felipe, as well as the Fountain of Youth, in addition to the Gotham, of course. And I've also been doing a, a derby watch with Brad Free that you can find uh, on DRF's YouTube channel and also DRF.com. So I've been a little more dialed into the derby trail this year, uh, doing that work, just trying to follow all of these horses. And it's been fun. I mean, I don't like to develop handicapping opinions about the derby too far out from the race but uh it's been fun to follow these horses through their development uh throughout the spring david man when it comes to putting out the morning lines you are as sharp as accurate i know you're someone who it's you take it seriously it's important to you you like being accurate as possible it's not just something you do and then you just roll your eyes afterwards and and the same thing with all the work that you put in you are always someone who is so well prepared um you're very eloquent and with your your points and you know what man it's been a long time that you've been helping me here one of these times whenever i get a chance to make a trip somewhere i definitely owe you dinner and a few drinks for all the help through the years uh that that you've helped with and and we get great feedback from from my listeners, they they know when you come on that you're going to be someone that is going to really help them. So thank you again so much. I personally watch and listen to a lot of your content out there. I know that at win or lose, I know that you've always put the time in. And that's all we can ask for in horse racing. We're going to lose a lot more than we're going to win. But I I, I always trust all of the, uh, the prep that you put in. And we can't thank you enough here on That's What G Said for all your help through the years. I really appreciate those kind words, and I completely agree. I would love to meet you in person and get to dinner at some point. That'd, that'd be really fun. I enjoy always coming on your podcast, enjoy listening when I can. So thanks for having me. 
David Aragona, the man who makes the morning line out in the uh, NYRA, and he does a fantastic job doing all the, the great stuff for DRF, Timeform US. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Horse to Watch, and you'll be seeing a lot of his great work coming up in the next few days, leading to these uh, these big prep days at Gulfstream Aqueduct and at Santa Anita. David, buddy, you have a great rest of your evening. Thanks so much, and good luck this weekend. Thanks, you too. It's David Aragona, folks. Don't go anywhere because there's still a lot more to come on this episode. Big thank you to David for helping us out. Such a good handicapper and uh, such a, a hard worker, always putting in the work. We really appreciate David carving out a few minutes for us whenever there's big races in New York. So best of luck to David this weekend. And as we get ready to move to Gulfstream Park, before we do, we want to remind everyone of the longtime sponsor of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. Cindy Carava. That means she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors. If you are looking for home improvement, gardeners, landscapers, painters, all sorts of great, great folks that she's worked with and has experience working with. Maybe you need help with a home loan. She'll connect you to the right type of lender that will expedite that process, make things really, really easy for you. That's her job, just making your life easier, making sure she checks all those boxes so you don't have to worry about it. That's Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A. Dot com. Let's get into Gulfstream Park with Barry Spears, the sniper. We get through the Saturday card. Big Saturday at Gulfstream Park coming up. It is Fountain of Youth Day. And on these big days at Gulfstream, they bury, they have the best big days, right? Like of the big days when they just stack them with these stakes, like Pegasus Day, Holy Bull Days like this, Fountain of Youth, Florida Derby. There's so many of these days, and it seems like their days just have such great racing all throughout the card. How you doing, my friend? I am doing. Yes, and I, I may be a little bit biased, but yes. They have the big days. The good. So days. I had to bring Barry on when we talk about a good golf stream card, and we can kick back. I'll just go full. Uh, I'll go full screen on our DRF. I wanted to show our beautiful faces for a moment, just so they know who's talking. It's myself. Ah! It's the it's the sniper Barry Spears, one of my good buddies. You uh, you see us all over Twitter, social media, talking racing, and we're gonna dive into this really good card at Gulfstream Park on Saturday. We're gonna talk about the uh, the stakes races on the card, and we'll look at the DRF past performances. If you ever handicapping the races i'm always using drf we always pull up formulator because it's so easy to go race replay chart pedigree information trainer statistics whatever you need you can get it within just a few clicks and barry what, what's also cool about these big days not only do you get the stakes all throughout the card but you get the strong maiden races and then you'll get allowance races like like the third race, for example. We're not really going to talk about it, but just to pull it up, like with all these familiar names, Olympic Runner, Rise the Guy, AP Secret, Prevalence, Candy Tycoon, Coinage, all these horses <laughs> we've seen in stakes races through the years. Like this is a stakes race, but it's basically disguised as, you know, a, a sec, like, an, like a strong allowance race. Yeah, there's another one too. Race seven is like yep. that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's the place to be right it now. Is. So, uh, you know, this card is, is really good start to finish. I mean, there's really not anything weak here. 
I mean, nope. the, the whole card is, is, you know, the, the field sizes are good. The, the competition level is good. There's some, a lot of competitive races. I, I think there's only one in that stake sequence. That's, that's kind of has a standout, but yeah. the rest of them are pretty competitive. We got Kentucky Derby points on the line. You've got the two-year-old champ from last year making his three-year-old debut in the Fountain of Youth. So not only are there great betting races, big stakes, but you'll also see some of the stars on the card. Let's dive into the stakes races, buddy. This one is the Colonel Liam, and it's named after a former very, very nice stakes winner himself and a horse who had some good success at Gulfstream Park. This is a mild turf race for three-year-olds in – uh, looking at this race, some of the horses that'll take some support towards the outside, the nine dude in Colorado, three to one morning line favorite. He comes out of the kitten's joy um, and he's been really good in his career. He hasn't done a, a whole lot wrong. The number six Santorini was a recent maiden special weight winner on the turf. He'll likely get some support, but you have, you know, a horse like bluebirds over who's a great stakes winner on the synthetic trying the turf a horse like web slinger who was in the breeders cup juvenile. He came back and was impressive um, just a few weeks ago on February the 11th. Balloony is an import for Chad Brown. Who are some of the horses that you're looking at in this one? You actually, you know, hit it right over the head with those two web slinger and, uh, and bluebirds over. They're really interesting in this spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've always been a fan of this five, the bluebirds, bluebirds over, right? I yeah, think you, I, you got, you hit this course a couple of one, at least one of these times we talked about it and you had this one. Yeah. I, I, I had the debut, yep. um, but I, you know, it, it's just, I, I don't know what you really can make of dude in Colorado in this race. I mean, I tend to try to, play against favorites especially ones that draw to the outside where there's you know they this horse i have you would have to think has to work a little bit to get to the front mm-hmm. yep um if that's the case then you know a horse is probably going to be favored gonna have to be used from the outside to get to the lead i'm gonna try to play against yep and and there's there's a lot of options here i mean you know Literally the first four horses, Bapio, OK Boomer, Baloney, Web Slinger, and then you can even add Bluebirds over. All of them. I, I All of them I'm, have a huge shot. I, I mean, there's, you know, I, I really don't know what the board is going to look like in this race. But if, let's say, Dune Colorado's two to one or lower. I mean, how can you? How, no way. I, I can't. I can't do it. No, it's, so, and he seems you know, kind of, like you said, he's going to be... He's going to be a little one-dimensional in this race because he's going to have to go from way out there too. So, and there could be some other speed in here with a horse like Boppy O from the inside, at least flashing some speed. Boomer shown some versatility in his two. I kind of like him the most. I think. Okay, Boomer. I thought his his race was pretty impressive last time out. It was very different from his debut race. He his dam is also a multiple group stakes winner. So, I mean, he's just done n- literally nothing wrong. He took a big step forward, and if he just takes another small step forward that that puts him right there yeah absolutely i i mean if you if you know this is thursday before the race so i personally if 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 i was going to make a decision right now it'd be web slinger yeah i mean the the only race that he's run run if you want to say run poorly was his his uh british cup juvenile turf race but this horse was caught wide literally the whole way. And, and it wasn't even that bad. He was only no, four lengths. He was four lengths. He was yeah. right there. I mean, and, and he's improving. That's the thing that really gets me on, you know, on board with a horse like that. It was a good start um, for him in his first time back 
at first time at three and his first start back from the Breeders' Cup. He he made an he was like way back early, and then he makes this early move and he just sustains it. It was it was visually pretty impressive there. I have no problem with him at all. Yeah, I, I did like two four as sort of my top tier that I'm I'm gonna be using in all of the exotics. I like Boomer and I think Web Slinger the most. I don't really have any knocks on Balloony. We're gonna see a couple different imports like this that are sort of wild cards all throughout um the card. There's a few of them that sort of are are kind of tricky to read too because they're all coming off of like four, five, six month layoffs where they haven't been running recently and they're they're shipping in and imports. Import. Yeah. And they're like they're this is like this horse, for example, we only saw run at two. So the six months between where we've last seen him and now at three, that's a lot of development. For these horses, Could be. It, for and or, maybe or regression or, or regression, right? No, exactly. <laughs> like for for the horses that he's facing, a lot of them have developed and shown improvement, and he may be just behind. Um, so it, it makes him like a tricky read, especially for a horse who will probably get bet. Uh, he probably will get bet just just off of connections. But Webslinger feels like you know if he's six between six and ten to one, that's a very fair price for him in here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it, I'm always skeptical first time uh, North America anyways. Yeah. You know, um, especially horses coming from France. They, they, you know, the, the ground over there seems to be a little bit softer. Mm-hmm. And and I think those horses tend to like a little bit of give. They may, you know, like a farmer than, you know, then what they're, they're getting. getting right. Not, not, they want a little softer than what we have. Correct. Right. So like and, something and, sort of in between. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, I, I'd like to give those kind of horses a race, especially when they get pounded at the window. Yeah, you watch them, and if they beat you at five to two or something, you don't really yeah, worry too much. Really you, care. Yeah. you can see, and maybe you play them if they move up in a better spot and they're a little bit more playable sometime down the line. But that's the first of the stakes races that goes as race number five on the card, the really good Saturday card at Gulfstream Park. We move right next door to the very one. You and I liked uh, Lady Rockstar as uh, one of the horses we liked in the uh, Philly and Mayor Turf. And she ran well. Mm-hmm. She ran third yeah, that day. She really did. And she comes back here, um, and she'll be like one of the major players in this race. I, I think they're going to go a mile and three-eighths in here. Phillies and Mayors, four-year-olds and up, and this one's on the turf. So, uh, yeah, just from a talking point, she's super honest, and she's been in really nice form right now. And that like that's a good race. Just a repeat of that makes her a player in here. So how are you sort of looking at this race and kind of talking about her? Yeah, it, it's another situation where, you know, the horse on the outside has speed and there's other speed in here. I, I, I I'm against I mean, her this in this spot for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, she, she's a nice horse, um, but I don't know what she's gonna do. I mean, they don't really like to go to the lead, but what else are you gonna do here? I mean, she, I, and she's I, I, not what kind really of trip is she going to get exactly. Is, she's not really fast. You know, she just gets the lead in some of those like New York races where they're not going very fast and she's inherited it. And that's when she's been at her best, but I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm watching her in, in this spot and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely against her. And so with that, you know, a horse, even like lady Rockstar, does, does give you fine value. If you're playing against a horse like Virginia joy, who's probably going to be two to one. At least probably shorter than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. That's what we want. And we want yep. people to <laughs> the bet yeah. the 10. Um, the five, uh, the four horse, my lady, um, yeah, looks 
like made like I don't know. It's it's hard. It's a hard read because Source hasn't been out since October. Didn't run that great, but has a race in 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 you know North American style mm-hmm. because I don't know if you've ever seen how they run races in Germany and stuff like that. It's, much different. It's much different because they're really, 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 really slow early. Yeah. And, and you know, you got to think that horses transition. like that are right. And, and having that one long race at, at uh, Woodbine under her belt can only do her good. The problem is it just, she just hasn't been out in a long time. Yeah. And if and, she, and, if she's around this price, that'll, that's at least a fair price, right? Sure. Like, eight to one ish above five to one, you know, that's at least giving you some value to represent the questions that we have. But I totally agree. She's the horse. The three that I looked at in here were three, four, and six in trying to beat the 10. Yeah. And you, you know, we hit on lady rock star completely agree. My lady, I think that second start now will really help her. She's been in the Brown barn now for a while. And, and then I, I looked at transient, you know, who, We'll go second off the bench and sort of got the uh, the first start back off of the, the bench. She showed, showed a little bit improvement. And sometimes we see these mares get a little bit better as they start to get older. You know, she's still relatively right, lightly raced for being a five-year-old. She's only raced 11 times. And I, I actually like the fact that she's be able to string some races together. So if I'm trying to beat the 10, I'm going to throw her in some exotics, at least in under spots and and, and along with the, uh, the three and the four. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'll even throw one more in there um, because I, I, I think this horse has a shot um, depending on what goes on with Chad's other horse and it's higher truth to seven. Yep. There, There's a situation where that horse can kind of shake free and get on the lead by, by herself. Mm-hmm. If Fresh. that happens, I think she's going to be very, very tough. But, you know, you have a horse like the two beside herself that has some zip. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that horse has the class. So even if even if that horse gets in front of Higher Truth, Higher Truth can probably sit off that one and and run a really really good race. I, yeah. I think that one falls into a good trip. It's just a matter of of if this horse can finish it off. Yeah. So that next tier of horses, if you are really playable in here, if if you take a shot against the the outside horse, Virginia Joy, and that's I think that's a good approach. Because and you can sort of take your pick of of a lot of the ones that we mentioned and see who's the best on the board. This is early on, and it's kind of, it's it's the sixth race, so it's sort of an in between race. So this might be a good race to play. You know, if you're playing a race individually or if you're playing some sort of pick threes, um, might be a fun race to start that here and play against that outside horse. Um, and and you know, see if you can catch one of these horses at five, six to one or so. And uh, yeah, and I'm probably going to put my foot in my mouth, but. Um, one horse I am against is the eight ensemble. I do not like that horse at all. Um, I think that 35,000 yeah, not... optional claimer that this horse just ran away on the synthetic was just a, just a weak race. All Middle move around. to the lead and then just It was, was a perfect gone. trip. And that's why yeah. he got the buyer, you know, she did. But yeah totally totally against that horse at all costs in this and she race. probably will get bet a little bit off of that race and her turf form overall hasn't been that great so yeah i'm i'm not using as well ensemble that's a look at race number six uh, yeah you mentioned that you know, it's one of those things um that is a really underrated skill is eliminating runners rather yeah than adding, absolutely knowing who's not going to win is 
pretty much as equally as important as trying to figure out who's going to win. Especially um, when you can eliminate the short, the horses that are going to take money, right? Exactly. The one and, and you can turn in, okay, a couple of these are just, they don't really fit one or two of these, whether or not they win, they're going to be too short for their chances to win this race. And then you can, you narrow it down in every race. And that ends up being a lot of the time why, you know, you and Matt and myself, when we do our shows, sometimes we're on the same horses because that's sort of the process you go through time. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, Hey, look, this horse is nine to five. This horse is five to two. I'm not really even going to start looking with them. Right. Like right off the bat, I'm, I'm saying they're a little too short for their chances of winning this race. Now, there's maybe two or three horses that are 30 to one or 25. That might be, they, they, they can't really win. Now we're in that range of who can fit in here. And that's, you know, we make it down to like three or four horses sometimes. And that's, that's, that's what you have to do as a gambler and as a, well, uh, a handicapper. Well, I know when I handicap and I go to strategize for the way I'm going to play, if I feel confident that I can bet against a favorite, those are my favorite places. Uh, Absolutely, know, favorite races to play because, in my mind, I already know I got the favorite beat. It's yep. a matter of who's going to win and how much they're going to pay. And I just got to find the right one. Right, exactly. And 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 you know that's how you get into the the attack mode. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where you want to attack races like that. Get really and, aggressive. And get yourself right, and get yourself in a position to win. You know, either coming through that race or you know in in. Uh, in, in verticals mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that's where you can get creative and that's what opens up your, your playbooks so you can, you know, fire away and, and, and exactly. Really nice exactly. Exactly. So we keep rolling along on this Saturday golf stream park card. Yeah. Barry mentioned that seventh race, which is, or which is fun too. Cause you get high Oak white Barrio. Um, yeah, Weyburn, Coastal Defense, we've seen in stakes races. Um, it's a lot of familiar names. Collaborate, who I played last year in the Gulfstream Park Mile behind Speaker's Corner and Fearless. I liked him a lot that day, and he just got outrun by horses who are a little bit classier than him. That's a fun race um, in race number seven. Not a stakes, but certainly very quality as we move to race number eight which is a stakes race. It's the Canadian turf. And we'll see a pretty heavy favorite in here with Emmanuel, who was good as a three-year-old last year, Barry. I mean, overall, he has not done much wrong in his career. He has the Saratoga Derby that he didn't really fire in a tough race. And that was the race that sent him to the bench. And he had a few months off before that. So if we just eliminate the August 6th race and look at the rest of his form, it's very good. He was fourth in the Fountain of Youth last year on this same uh, undercard. He was third in the bluegrass behind Zandin and Smile Happy. And at the time, those two were were good. And then he came back and won um, when they tried the turf with him for the first time. So overall, he's not been a bad horse. He's done very good work, and he's going to make his second start back as a four-year-old. What do you do with him, though? Do you, do you think he's a horse to play? Do you sort of toss him? How are you looking at this race? I'm I'm tending to think that that he may have run too good in that comebacker mm -hmm. aggress um, a little bit I, I think he broke the track record at the distance um in that race and i think it was it was kind of a perfect trip and i don't i usually tend to to, to shy away from horses coming back off perfect trips like that that run you know career best buyers because it, it, it's usually not duplicated sometimes it does happen where you know the 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 setup is exactly the same and i don't think it is in this race because I think this horse is going to have to 
be forced to go to the lead or be very close to the lead. And I don't really think that's perfect for, for what Emmanuel wants to do. I know he has won that way in the past, albeit it was on dirt. And one time on the turf in the Pennine Ridge, he, he kind of went wire to wire, but there was really nothing in that race. Um, so at a short price, I'm going to have to try to look elsewhere. Yeah, the I, outside, there are a couple horses that sh- that are probably going to have to be. Right, they have to go. Too. Right, the, the 10, know. definitely the 9, mm-hmm. and the 8. The Yeah, all three of even those. Even the 1, you know, has some zip and probably will have to kind of. English B. Mm-hmm. They could yeah. all be, be forwardly placed. I, right. Any combinations of them. And then that makes it difficult for Emmanuel at a shorter price. So who who are some of the horses you're looking at in here? Um, I think Fort Washington is very, very interesting at a big price. I, I sincerely doubt that this horse is going to go off 15 to 1. Um, but I can definitely see this horse coming off the layoff and improving for sure. You know, it's kind of what he does anyway. Um, it's just a matter of getting this horse in the race early. Jose Ortiz doesn't like to sit way back anyway. So I think he's going to try at least to get right. And I think he's going to at least try to get this horse in the race a little bit earlier than he has been like in the past three races. He's been way, way back, like dead last and comes on fast. If he's a little bit closer, I think this horse might have a better shot. Um, Shadow Sphinx is another one who really needed that tune up in the last race, but you know, at least lately has been trouble finishing races off. Yeah. Which is concerning, but has some races, you know, comparable to what's in here at eight to one, definitely on my radar. Yeah. The one that I'm going to be throwing in is the five good governance who I think is set to run a, a pretty big one. So in the Fort Lauderdale, um, and, and this horse might just get overlooked a bit because in these two races was 60 to one and 48 to one, <laughs> you know, so was way like way dismissed on the board. But ran really well in even in the transition over from the trad the Chad Brownborn. The form has still stuck. And and Anime has done a really good job with this horse in these two races because that Fort Lauderdale only beaten, you know, a length and three quarters and then came back. And let's watch the um the the trip from for good governance in it's the It's almost like the same field, though, actually. The, the yeah. Fort Lauderdale feels real similar to this race. Yeah. And this is a horse who was the two, and again. Most people probably don't remember good governance trip in the Pegasus because they it wasn't weren't playing. Good. Yeah, because they well they weren't it, playing good governance too. But you know it's like oh this fifty to one shot. It you wasn't know. good, especially but it was not in the stretch. Got in the not a great trouble. trip. Um, so yeah. the two got bumped a little bit at the start and is traveling towards the back of the pack. You can see the two um in the blue silks and. One more bid was up front. King Cause there with Atone ends up winning this race. And Atone sits a, a really nice trip. We like Atone. We talked about uh, this race when we handicapped and then went through the uh, the card. But good governance just deal is dealing with some traffic inside. And, and then it's like a total tease because it looks like good governance is going to move through on the inside and get some room. And then just gets blocked. See, right here are the two at the top yeah, of the lane. So, right, you, looks like you're going to get through with the inside. It's like, oh, nice. Okay, cool. We can move through. And then all of a sudden, it just sh- sh- tightens up. There's Stop. just no, yeah. like, no, there's no room. The three in front of you, you're just at a total wall. The 13's backing up. Watch the two continue to look for room down there with just nowhere to go and was not beat a whole heck of a lot. And was right in that flight of horses. Good governance, I think, fits pretty well in here. You're definitely not going to get that big of a price, but again, if uh, as big as he did last time, but six, eight to one in this field, 
I'm okay with that. Um, especially if we're looking for horses, you know, against Emmanuel and we think Emmanuel might be a tad short here. Yeah. Yeah. Always looking to bet against those favorites. So that's a look at the, uh, the Canadian turf. We talked about these horses towards the outside, probably flashing a little bit of speed because of their draw too. Um, so that's, that's going to be tough for a horse like steady on who can sit a little bit, but might have a tough time trying to sit from, from way out there up next, my friend, it is the, here comes the bride. And we saw a really impressive performance from Cairo consort last time in, oh, man, uh, yeah. in that sweetest chant Cairo consort was a horse that on paper in that particular race was the favorite but, but like didn't have speed figures that were dominant over the rest of the group. And so she looked like a kind of beatable favorite in there, a horse that's like, yeah, you know what? She's a shorter price. And there's a, there's a couple other horses in here that we can, we can play. And what ended up being weird about that race was she misses the break spots, the field like 10 lengths early on. We can watch it. And, and Mally Moo, who was a horse who closed really impressively did the opposite, did the opposite. And Malimu ended up on now, the lead, Stephanie's which charm, was – I was not expecting Malimu to be on the lead at all. Sweet Lou's got aces was also in that race. Yeah, they are the I one – I definitely did not want that. No, because you like Sweet Lou, right? So the seven is Cairo Consort, yeah. not in the picture. Just completely missed the break. And then we get Malimu, who ends up yeah, right on Mally the lead Moo, with Sweet – Yo, yeah, yeah, go I ahead. I didn't think Malimu was going to – I didn't think Malimu was going to, to be that close up. And it changed it the complexion of the race. Closer. Right. Yeah. It, it changed the whole dynamic of the race. And and you see the 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 jock change this time going to uh Joel Rosario, which it looks Joel? like they're not gonna want the lead here. Take they're her gonna, back. They're gonna sit off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Just don't be on the lead. And, Joel, and, do and I what think you Malibu's do. Take got her a big back. shot. I agree. I like Malibu. I, me too. I want different tactics for Malibu in here. And yes, honestly, you will very rarely hear me get mad about an, an aggressive <laughs> ride or being more forwardly placed. But in this particular case, I, I just didn't think that was the tactics that the horse wanted. Now I understand you got a good start. You didn't want to, I guess, grab a hold and take this horse all the way back, but it you basically necessary. ended up battling with sweet lose got aces all the way around. And then neither one of those horses had a shot, right? They dueled themselves into submission. As and they say. He, Here's Cairo Consort now coming into contention with the field. Way, way back. After missing that. And then gets a beautiful sort of split right here, right? Moves between and then tips to the outside. Like, that was nice. And still has to get by a couple horses, though, who got the jump. This Heavenly Sunday horse was two for two and looked good on paper, too. She blew right by and then was geared down. That was really <laughs> that was really impressive. She's a nice, yeah. she's a nice filly there. But... Again, from a value-based standpoint, to me, I got to give Malimu another shot because looking at this race, we have three first-time U.S. imports. All three of them are coming off layoffs. So for all three of these horses, we haven't seen them since they were two. Same situation that we talked about with the other one earlier. These horses have been off from August, September, and September. All of them have now turned two to three. And they're all coming over and having to run in a different style of racing. And they're going to probably be close to the same price-ish. <laughs> I don't know if they're really going to offer all that much value in this race, win or lose. I don't think so. I, and to, no. So, so again, like we eliminate them. 
as like, are they going to be playable? Maybe not for me in this race. I want to watch them, see what they do, and then we'll be able to kind of get a better feel and a better gauge for them moving forward. And that just brings us kind of by eliminating other horses to to Malimu, who yep. if this is a horse that's double-digit odds and we can maybe read into it with Joel coming on, okay, hey, Joel, bring her all the way back. Let's just stay out of traffic kind of tip her to the outside or, and, you know, or, you know, find a seam late and come running. And we want you to do your best and just be the strongest closer that you are and see how close you can get. Like that's, that's what I want to see from her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you can even see um, in Malimu's first race at Dundalk, they didn't go to the front. No, that's why it was so crazy that, that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure those weren't the instructions on, on February 4th. Yeah, because they go to the lead. I think they just ended up there, and all he had to do was just kind of ride it out, and and that's what happened. I, I I just think this horse is better with a target. Me too. Malimu feels like the value in here. No real knocks on Cairo Consort, and you got these three imports who none of them would shock me, but I, I'm not really in love with any of them. Would you give American Sweet Rocket? Yeah, is that American Rocket first time on the turf? American mm-hmm. Rocket. Um, wanted to get on the turf in the career debut, broke the maiden that day. And then in both the Spinaway and the Frisette, she was super playable. She's kind of a little bit quirky. Then in the Golden Rod, let's just put a line right through it. That race has actually come back pretty live. And it was just, it's one of those races where if she was fourth beaten like five lengths, it would bother me. This doesn't bother me. When you, when a horse is just eased, you know, it's just, it's, it's so bad that it's a toss race. So it's kind of like a starting over point with her. Um, do you give her a look in here? Um, I'm on the fence. I, a damn I, I one really, on turf. You know, it, it's one of those things where you know this horse is talented, has talent, but hasn't really shown it. You yeah. know, there's flashes like when, when the horse bolted to the – basically took a right-hand turn and, out of the gate at, at Saratoga and, and then came flying at the end you know, uh, behind leave no trace and wonder wheel who are. Cause she's, know, she was supposed to run in the breeders division. cup. Right. And then she scratched. Mm-hmm. Um, she was entered because uh, I believe Sarah El Badwi, our friend, she, she's like this. Yeah, she was, all, she liked that horse. Yeah. yeah. And you know what, what, and I'm glad you were sort of dancing around this point. And what, that's, what's scary about her is that, you know, there's a big race in there coming. Yep. And you want to be there. Like on this day when she's 10 to one or 12 to one, you, you want to be there before it happens and not after, you know? And that's why she's like, she's always intriguing to me when she shows up because like if she pops in this race at a big price, let's say this, I would be more inclined to throw her in maybe even than some of the import horses at double their price. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I give her a little bit of a look. If you're spreading out in this race, I'm fine with her. Um, because yeah, I, think- I mean, look at the races that she was in. The the ones that she didn't win. Leave no trace. Is going to be one we're going to see in just a few races in the Devona right. Dale. Was second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Behind the Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner, Wonder Wheel. Wonder Wheel, who finished second <laughs> that day. Yeah. Then you have Chaka Gelato, who's who's no slouch. No, and she was a, a major player in the Breeders' Cup also. Like, and- they were, look, she was four to one that day. Chocolate right. Gelato. Coming and, off of her back to back, no trace was third in that race, also. And then, yeah. you know, who's your Philly who's very precocious early, you know, want to want to quite her a few wins races, have been awesome, you know? yeah. right? So, and pretty mischievous was third in that race. So, yep, 
I mean, this horse has been facing, you know, kind of the top echelon. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, turf now, you turf know? and can this horse get it together mentally? <laughs> yeah. To no, you're right. Put it all together. And maybe now from like, we keep talking about in a lot of these races with these horses that are now two to three, maybe she's grown up a little bit. Right. Well, yeah. Maybe Bill Mott, and- you know, he's notorious for doing things like this, switching services mm-hmm. and then having the horses just maturing you know, rip off wins so and she's you know, worked on the turf a couple times too so she's at least familiar with the surface now and he's at least seen it to think yeah there's enough there and the way she's traveling over it and we know she's bred enough for it like again we looked at this pedigree a second ago there's no monster turf breeding but her damn one on the turf in her only turf try and she does have a winning turf sibling um and she's classy because she's a, a half to frank's rocket so lots she checks lots of boxes for a horse who's going to be you know, double digit odds in this yeah, race. If, I mean, if you're this looking is, for value. That's, that's what long shots are, are made of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finding, you know, uh, instances like this where the company lines are really, really good here. This horse hasn't embarrassed herself no. at all and comes into a race that, that seems to be kind of wide open on paper. It does. So. Cause like we, we have the one horse Cairo consort who was super honest, but again, she's not like an overpowering standout. Like if she wins, she's the most likely winner. Then we have three horses who we don't really know what to think about as far as their form. Cause we haven't seen them in six months and we haven't seen them since they were two. And they're all coming into new barns and shipping into a new country. And like in a race like this with wild cards, I think we've talked ourselves into a couple pretty good ones in the two and the three, you know, American rocket and Malibu. That. With uh, with some nice value here, and you know D- Barry and I will be up part of the Stable Duel show on Friday morning with Matt DeSantis. These are great horses, you know, in Stable Duel at twelve and fifteen to one. They don't cost anything in your Stable Duel lineups to use, and you can really start to uh, to build up in the other races. So it's a fun race, race number nine. As we turn the page to the Gulfstream Park Mile, we had Charge It was super impressive making his four-year-old return. Charge It was the winner of the Dwyer last year. He won that race by 23 lengths. And <laughs> he uh, he was second in the Florida Derby in just his third start. I mean, this horse has a lot of ability, Barry. And this is a good, this is a good spot for him to kind of test it, to see, okay, was that last race just, again, you know, a good spot where you just really keyed up and ready and you just beat a, a much softer group. He'll at least get some competition in here with, you know, some horses that have been in good races and have faced good company. We, you and I liked a horse named Endorse, who's right next door. Endorse is sharp, and he's at least like a good grade three type measuring stick horse. Yeah. I mean, you know, once the the year turned into 2023, you know, all those three-year-olds are now four-year-olds, and now they're they're running against a lot older horses. Yep. Um, you know tested types mm-hmm. that, that have gotten us some some battles but that being said i i just don't see how charge can lose unless he just completely is a no-show which regresses yeah and i don't I mean, think he, even if he does a little bit he still could probably win this race yeah he, um, he could have a really good year this year he could have a really nice year in the older division like he could be he, he's a nice horse nobody he's, else i mean he's yeah who's out he's there super, He's super lightly raced. He's got upside. He has some speed, but he's shown that he can sit off a little bit. And in this particular race, he's proven at Gulfstream Park. If you just toss his Kentucky Derby, everything else is good. Yeah. Like 
there's just, it's hard to knock him. Um, and as you've been listening and watching this, we've in every race tried to beat the favorites for the most part. This one that is, is a little difficult to do. So the, the horse to me, that's intriguing overall is just nitrous channel as a horse. Um, mm. I, I don't mind his form. The only thing is that race has that the horses he beat last time out, they didn't come back and run very well. I don't know how strong it is. I just, he's got a little bit of upside. I don't knock anything he's done. He'll make the third start off the long, long layoff. So he probably has a step or two forward, but his step or two forward and charge it taking a step or two backward probably would, would still probably have charge it above him. (laughs) You know, like of all the, of all the other horses in the race, he was the only one that I, I could even find like a lot of positives to there. These are not bad horses, but, like a B plus effort from charge. It probably crushes this group. Right. Yep. That's what I was thinking. I, I mean, honestly, it, it's hard for me to get past charge and endorsed here yeah. um, in the top two spots. And, you know, it'd be interesting because uh, just to see what the other tactics are from the other riders and how they're going to ride this race. But in the end, I, I just think charge is just better than these. This is the, And this is a good spot for him to, to take a nice yeah. little step. And, um, yeah, I, I expect him to have a really, a really good year. This is the start of the pick five, that 10th race. The 11th race is the grade three honey Fox. This one kicks off your late pick four. And if you're someone who plays those coast to coast pick fives, the, the races this week are the 12th, 13th and 14th. And then they're, uh, the fifth and sixth at Santa Anita, the two stakes races early on the, uh, the card at Santa Anita that are both very good. So, Barry, let's get to the late pick four in the grade three. Honey Fox, mile on the turf here for Phillies and Mares, four-year-olds and up. Speak of the devil was so impressive last year, first time in North America, and it was on that Churchill Downs turf course. It looked like she was poised to have a big second half of the year, and then obviously something goes wrong because she shows up favored in the just a game. A race that has come back strong. Regal, Glory, Wakanaka, and an Italian, they all had really nice second halves of the year, and they're they're very nice. But Speak of the Devil just didn't fire. It was more that there was a problem. And now she's been off since, but she shows back up here. And you have to wonder, you know, with, with horses like this, when they ran so well on that Churchill turf course, I'm always a little like, hmm, that was a weird turf course. Maybe there was something about that, but she does have ability and she was classy before coming to North America. You can see some of her form over in France, which was, was very good, right? She was group one place. She was a, a group stakes winner. Um, so she's like a very, very classy individual. Oh yeah. I mean, it's definitely the horse to beat. Um, yep. It's just so weird when you get a horse that runs really well first time out and then throws in a dud the next, you know, a month later. <laughs> it's like, what, what do you what do you take away from that? I, I, yeah. I really don't know, you know, because it's so far away from the form that she had, you know, in 2021. Yeah. I mean, she was running on a regular Ten months ago. Yeah. So 10 months ago was a good race. And and but we're we're talking about like what? 18 months ago, yeah. 20 months ago for when she was, you're right. Like in actual, like consistent racing form. That's, that's where my concern is. Um, you know, obviously the source is talented, but what are I you mean, really going to get on the layoff? Yeah. And, and she's going to be a, a minuscule price. And she's and, not, and she's not fast early. No. Right? And that, that's the other thing. She's a closer and, and that's, that's got to work against her in, in, 
a lot of ways, you know, this field isn't that great, which helps and, and, and does factor in, yeah. um, in her favor. But I mean, I, I guess, you know, the other, the other Chad Brown, the one has to really force the issue here and try to just get on the engine and fly, yeah. um, to set it up for, for, uh, for speak of the devil or, of the or devil, at least yeah. make sure nobody else gets out front and slows things down, <laughs> at least right. keeps that one company um, enough, you know, a horse maybe like sweet enough right next door would try to show a little bit of speed. The, the four outside wife, horse too. the outside horse is nice too. And I, I will tell you, this is, she's a nice Philly. This is mm-hmm. going to be a little much from that way out there. Um, Cause it's a tough post, but, She's always been good, and the only issue she really had was when she just couldn't put a couple races together, you know. And now, if she's able to string two, three together, this is a nice filly. She won first time out. She came back and won a stakes at Keeneland, and then in her third, all of the horses she lost to were just incredibly sharp at the time. Like all of them, she lost mm-hmm. to Marissa's Lady when Marissa's Lady was rattling off this five race win streak, uh, or I guess a four race win streak. And then won another one. She came back and she lost to the horse that Marissa's lady beat in that race, Matarea, in the eight bells. And that was coming off a little layoff. And then a race that sent her to the bench. And look how strong this race has come back. Wicked Halo had a really nice rest of the year. Pretty Birdie had has come back and run well um, at the end of last year and this year. You had Gerrymander who came out of this race in one of the a graded stakes race, you actually had awake at midnight who did some really good work in Southern California uh, was multiple graded stakes placed out there. Now this was a strong group and she, she's got some ability from a value standpoint. I just like, she'll get the jump and she's a great price. Like, I don't think she'll be 15 to one. If she is, that's, that's like, that's too big. I don't <laughs> know if this, she can win this race, but she's got some upside here. Um, what about what's the other one? Right, Frost is is at least worth mentioning, right? The the Mott horse who came off a yeah. long, long layoff in one. She should sit close, and she's got some ability here too. Yeah, that that one definitely. You know, the, it's just so crazy with with horses that look like that. Is I never know what to do with them on the next race, especially right because this, they're, this they're, race they're going to get bet right. You know, this horse is going to get bet second choice most likely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it just doesn't seem like this is the right spot for this horse to win again. No, I agree with you. And I, I really, you know, it's just, I, I couldn't pinpoint exactly why, but it just doesn't feel like this horse fits in this race. I mean, just from a, a pace scenario standpoint, it's like, well, if you drop all the way back, you're going to be forced to go up against speak of the devil in the lane, who's probably a better finisher. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to get too far behind, but you don't want to be too close because you're going to, the, the pace looks like it might heat up here. Um, I agree now, now. And now as we continue to look through it, you know, the one and the two will, will probably be forwardly placed white frost. Shouldn't be that far out of it. Wants to at least get the jump on, you know, horse like speak of the devil mm-hmm. and towards the outside, the, the 11's pretty much forced from way out there to go. Yep. She Gotta at go. least ha- like has to go out there. So now, you know, the, the nine's coming out of sprint races and the so last time she was a mile, she was right on the lead. So now they should be going pretty, you're right. She might kind of be a little bit 
a little bit undervalued or a little like not great value in this race based right. on like kind of lost in the shuffle of the pace scenario like is that you know, she's too short in this spot and i like yeah the way it might set up better for speak of the devil than her you know as like i think i prefer speak of the devil and looking at another long shot or two than even white frost the more we talk this out so yeah miss yearwood is the one that, that they, caught my eye at a price um just steadily on the improve. Yeah, the eight it had two nice races on the grass before uh, going on going to the bench for a little while. Some, you know, good steady turf works, you know, going all the way back to January. Um, I, I think this one might be sitting on a good race. This this race is, is a little strange. Um, and I think that that's the trip horse, basically. Um, one that could fall into a nice spot. Yeah. Miss Yearwood. So uh, there's a look at race number 11 at Gulfstream Park. That's the Honey Fox. As we keep rolling along to the 12th, 13th, and 14th, the final three races on the Saturday card. First up is the 12th race, and this one is the Devona Dale. We've got five that exit that forward gal that was won by Red Carpet Ready. She defeated Undervalued Asset. And Atomically and Positano Sunset in that race. You'll also have to the outside, Leave No Trace, making her three year old debut in her four starts. She didn't do a whole lot wrong. Her only, like her, her most poor performance was in the slop at Aqueduct on a track that was a little bit quirky that day. She ran well in the Breeders' Cup. She was second. She won her first two starts sprinting. How do you see this race, Barry, as a red carpet ready three for three? will likely be favored in here. She's two to one on the morning line. Yeah, I'm not really fond of that one either. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if, you know, there, this is a really She got a perfect race. trip last really time out. Did. She she got the jump on all the other horses in that race. She sat perfect when everyone else either just was a little bit slow or or behind or maybe didn't get the type, the type of trips that they wanted. And I could see a lot of uh, those horses being more aggressive in this race now. And not yeah. wanting to sit behind as much. Exactly. Like, I, um, I think that's that's going to happen because they, they have to get a lot more. Aggressive. Like undervalued asset and Positano Sunset. Both the horses that were behind her in their race and they were farther back than I think they would have wanted. Especially yes. undervalued asset. I think they're going to get more aggressive here. Yeah. And, and that'll do them a lot of good, I think. Um, you know, a horse like Leave No Trace really kind of jumps out to me a little bit just because of the company lines, the way this horse ran last year. Um, clearly she can sit is, too. She, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, having everybody inside of her, um, you know, kind of seeing what, what kind of happens is, is a good thing. Tyler will, will get this one placed correctly. And, and it's just a matter of the, if, if she'll be able to finish it off. But I like the way she finished up her races last year. Um, yeah, I think that one has a big shot. Me too. I like her. Uh, I, I like her quite a bit. I, you know, it's funny. I actually picked her in my. Uh, I'm, I'm in a fantasy horse racing league, and she's she's on my team. I, I like her uh, quite a bit. So I, I hope she has a good a uh, good year this year and a, a nice couple of races coming up. I think she'll get a, a very nice trip in here. And so if she sits the trip and a couple of these other horses get more aggressive, she could be a, a nice. You know, if she is five to one, like seven to two plus in here. Um, between that and maybe six to one, that would be fair value because then she could get a really nice trip sitting behind, you know, undervalued asset, red carpet ready, 
Infinite Diamond, I think, is going to want to get aggressive. I wouldn't be shocked if the horse from the rail has to get a little bit more aggressive either from the rail just to try to get um, out of there and more forwardly placed and not like into some trouble. So I just see this this heating up a, a little bit here. Yeah, it could Barry. fall apart. I mean, you know, if, if that happens, a horse like Lynx might be yeah. one you want to gravitate to if you if you think that this pace is just going to going to be that fast yeah supersonic yeah yeah um but they, you know that horse hasn't run really it hasn't run badly at all not at all um, no just you know running style kind of compromises a lot but you can see she was bet down twice to favoritism uh delivered one time going away in a, in a state bred stake but um yeah that, that's not a you know a horse to you know, if you're going to spread in this race for any kind of multi, she's on the ticket for sure. You got to put the seven on there. Yeah, totally agree because she's one of the few that you're really, you're really confident that she, she will come closing. It's just, does she get the trip? Is she close enough when she starts her rally? And is she maybe good enough? Cause a couple of these might be pretty nice Phillies. So they may, they may be a little tough to pass down the lane, but I don't have any knocks on her links and she'll reward you with the price. At 12 to 1 on the morning line. As uh, we take a look at the Devona Dale. 10 three-year-old fillies lining up. Yeah, I liked Positano Sunset last time. She didn't really have a chance with the way the race was. She just kind of got shuffled too far back. I don't know if she's as good as some of the others. But she certainly can run better than she ran in that last race. And she will, she'll she'll be fine value again in here um yeah it kind of broke flat-footed and and it mm-hmm. you know and, it and was then that was slow. just it right yeah it, w- it was too slow and, and and the horse couldn't get into the mix but it you know first time off a decent kind of layoff yeah so she should be know, sharper that, that, yeah exactly yeah i i'd expect the improvement off of that effort that's positano sunset there as undervalued asset and red carpet ready will likely be favored in this one but perhaps beatable as they have to go uh, a little bit longer now and maybe deal with a little more pace in this one. We turn the page to the 13th. It's the Mac D'Armida. They will go a mile and three eighths on the turf in here. Barry and astronaut has been very sharp since coming into the Tom Albertrani barn and has really improved on the speed figures. Um, Astronaut, Threw in 200 plus buyers in the uh, the last two uh, races and was a graded stakes winner in one of them at 15 to one in the Red Smith. So this is a, a horse who will be, you know, one of the favorites in this race, probably favored in here as we scroll through the field. Who do you start with in this race, buddy? I don't know. I'm not really fond of the <laughs> of astronaut. Me, yeah, I mean, I, I to think the there tune are other that I don't even go. think that horse is going to be favored. I, th- I think so. You like one. the one maybe. Is probably going to be the favorite. Highest um, honors. Yeah. Just as a better body of work, I thought. Um, you know, so, I, I don't I don't I don't regard those California turf races, especially the marathon ones, as that good. No. Um, so you know, it, it's it's a little sneaky because he obviously runs those long races, but there's only a certain few horses that run in those. Yeah, um, and, they, and they're, they're, not, they're not all really that good. No, they um, kind of beat up you know, on each other. Right, exactly. So I'm not I'm not sold on, on astronaut. Uh, you know, even at five to two, I, I I think that's that's really short. The horse who's intriguing to me in here is uh is masterpiece. Um, the the two uh he was in the Pegasus last time, and we can see he had a a pretty tough trip 
And yeah. uh, let's watch him. He was the number 11. So sort of gets squeezed back right at the start, Barry, and, uh, and he's sort of in between horses. And he's a horse who, you know, is usually going to be coming from the back, but now he, because of like the squeezing back and, and wanting to try to get over, now he has to be dead last, which is always yeah. like, you can have a closer, but when you're dead last, it's always like, ah, I couldn't have one or two horses beat. Like I'm just going to have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of traffic to overcome or a lot to deal with. And he, he tried to move inside. So he's the 11. He's at the back of the pack in here. And we can kind of just skip forward a little bit in the race. Um, Cause it's a little longer. So he, he's trying to move inside. You can see um, he's the gray at the back here, but there's nowhere to go. You know, he's got traffic in front of him. He just got a, a wall of horses here. So he's, he's trying to move in the two path and there's just really nowhere to go. So he's sort of waiting. He's waiting. And now he starts to kind of kick into gear and he's finding like a little bit of room down there. So watch him as he gets through this seam and as everything gets clumped up, he sticks his neck out and he almost gets third um, wow. among that wall of horses. He just didn't have the smoothest of journeys after having to be dead last. I think if he can just start his rally a little bit earlier, he should be saving ground in here again. I think he fits better with this group. It's a little bit softer probably than that last group that he was in with no Ivar and speaking scout and a couple of the other tougher horses, you know, like a tone who won. So I don't, I, I don't mind masterpiece in here um, at around five to one or yeah, so. I mean, he, he's going to get a better, you know, he's got a better post position this time. I yep. don't think he's going to be as far back as he was. I mean, these horses aren't as fast as those other ones in the, in the Pegasus. Um, so he, he might lay a little bit closer and it'd be better for him. He'll get a better trip that way. Yep. That's a look at masterpiece. You mentioned highest honors who he's just, he's sharp. He's honest. Like he's no knocks in his recent races, his recent form. He's, he's been right there in the, uh, in aqueduct Keeneland and at, uh, at Kentucky, as we kind of continued through on the, throughout the field. The, what about uh, a bond? What do you do with that horse? I know because he's so one, di- he's like one dimensional. He's he had one or two races where he sat, but then for the most part, it seems like he just wants to go and his good races were really good. But since last year's race, when he was favored, his form is bad. It's like so bad. And he's taken so much money, but this is a time where he's actually not going to take money. So he might be sort of interesting to include. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. What, they got to go to the front, right? Oh yeah. Especially from out there, you have to go. So he's going and he'll be at least pushing it. I mean, astronaut doesn't have to go. He'll probably sit. No, he probably you know, doesn't he want to. He doesn't want to like front. get caught up and he'll, he'll sit a little bit, but it'll be, you know, I mean, if a bond can get to the lead, you're right. Cause going through this field now, who's <laughs> pushing my shot, right? He's pushing him. Maybe this horse stretching out from a mile is a little more forwardly placed, but if he is in that eight, 10 to one range in this race with not a lot of other speed, I can, I can throw him in a pick four. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, how about the 10? That's the other horse that I liked a little bit value engineering. He was second in the William McKnight. He sort of made a big move early. Uh-huh. He uh, he was asked for that early move, three deep up the challenge at the top of the lane, moved to the lead. 
Um, but then he was challenged immediately by Red Knight, and he tried to go on with that one. I mean, he was just a clear-cut second best that day. We see him a few starts back where he lost to Atone, and so now that form looks pretty good because we saw Atone come back and win the Pegasus. So even if he's maybe a little light on class overall, he his form has, has held up. The horses that beat him have come back and have run well. He might be interesting at about six to one. Yeah, I, I would, I would kind of want more than. than yeah, maybe a little, one. a little more value. Um, as we talk out the Mac D Armida, anyone else in here worth mentioning or uh, or on your radar? Mm, no, I mean, it's it's this is this is gonna be a, a crazy race because if if a horse like a Bond just shows any kind of glimpse of what. Any bit of liveliness. Yeah. Could, this it is a good wire spot this field. For him. Right. He's, a, he's making his third start back to of the form cycle. So this could be like his best race back. And he should be a little bit fitter because he went from a mile and a 16th to a mile and a half. And now we get a little bit of a cutback. I'm talking myself into a bond a little bit more. Into just <laughs> at, at least using him if he's this six to one above price for a horse that we know has a big enough race to win this with the right trip. And his trip is just, Hey, you're outside. Just go. You have to try to get aggressive. See if you can clear this field and and then slow things down. Right. So that's the, uh, the 13th race, the one that leads us into the fountain of youth with Kentucky Derby points on the line. Fountain of youth goes as race number 14, Barry on Saturday and have heard that general Jim may scratch was sick. There have been oh, no. some some negative reports, which I just don't like because oh. man, I thought I thought if you were like he to me, I like him. <laughs> I really do like him in this spot, and and he was the horse that when we talk about like eliminating and who looks bettable, if you're betting this race, and I don't, I mean, I I, mean, I can't bet Forte to win. He's looked good trading. He's good. He's good. I think he'll run well, but I wouldn't be betting him to win at even money, and. And the second choice in this race is probably going to be Blazing Sevens, who's also coming off a layoff that you think will probably need this race for his best and be a little bit better with the race under his belt. So all of a sudden, it sort of takes the first two horses out of the race as being bettable. And I didn't like much else in here. And I like I really liked that General Jim has proven he can win going longer on the turf. He proved that he can win on the dirt and run well on the dirt. He had legitimate trouble in the race on January 1st where he sat behind the lead. He tried to get off the rail and they pinned him in. He couldn't get off. He got stuck behind and then he ran down a pretty nice horse named Super Chow last time out. So sounds like you you were uh, on gym too. We'll just sort of have to see what happens with him this weekend. Yeah, that like you said, it's not a good sign. Um, even Even just hearing the rumors coming into the biggest race of his life right one thing about uh the six horse blazing sevens is you'll notice that you never see chad brown horses with a lot of early speed they're Mm -hmm. always off the pace and that is like an automatic like demerit on a horse running on dirt going two turns (laughs) at gulfstream yeah I mean, it, it's just it's it's just hard to do. I mean, you could prove to be superior than these horses and do it, but we don't know that yet. And this horse is going to get bet down. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously not as as much as Forte, but 
you know, I, I'm thinking probably going to be about two to one. And you say Forte is probably about six to five. But there's other possibilities in this race because there's some speed in here. There's there's a good mix of, of closers and, and, and speed horses. Uh, it, it, it ends up looking like it's going to be a rider's race. And a horse like, you know, funny enough, a horse that, that probably will get overlooked, even though he won last time in the Holy Bulls rocket can. Yeah, I, I do. I think he's going to get overlooked too. Trip. Right, yeah. he might get the same trip. I mean, I, I also like his stablemate, the three shadow dragon um i mean that that horse just uh, improved a whole bunch and i'm not really sure about the the distance but you know i, I could give that horse a shot at a price getting jose ortiz not the now, worst thing in the world the one that's the the interesting horse to me is um i guess there are a couple we can talk out but is cyclone mischief now because i did not like him at all in his last race in the holy bull I thought he was going to be a little bit over bet. And I liked Rocket Can a lot. We feel like Rocket Can was going to get the trip, and and he did. And it's not like Cyclone Mischief had, like, the worst trip in the world. He was in be- between horses in a little bit of traffic. He sort of lost positioning. He just didn't have any late punch, and he backed up. But I I sort of like playing a horse like this in the next race. Like, I, I thought he yeah, would regress a little yeah. bit. Yes, like the bounce back. And instead of being favored, he's going to be 10 to 1 in this race. And we know with an a game, like his best effort is pretty good. And he has a little bit of speed, but he can also sit, which he showed us. He ended up beating litigate who came back and won the CMF Davis. So the race that he won has at least come back live. It wasn't like he just beat a bunch of nobodies. Um, You know, litigate came back and won that race. So he's, if, if we're talking about value and price, I'm, I'm warming up to him at like 10 to one or so. If you're, you know, if you're looking for others to throw in, because this might be a, a nice spot, like you said, for him to bounce back. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he could fall into a great trip here potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if if General Jim was, you know, hundred percent, I would really like him. Yeah, I would really like him here, but I, you know, it's a lot of questions. I mean, it, it's stuff you just got to evaluate <laughs> right up until post time in some cases. Because Forte is nice and he's looked good in his return and like in his return races. But again, he's yeah, but how not, much better can he be? And he doesn't that's, need to be. That's no, my he, thing. He's like, he how can't much be better that can much he better. Be? And he has bigger, bigger plans. aspirations, right? Like Florida Derby and then the stepping stone. He wants to peak for the Kentucky Derby. They want to be ready for the third start off the bench. So they're not leaving it out all out on the racetrack right here. So classy, nice. We'll see how he shows up. What do you do with Mage? I'm gonna say that horse needs some experience. Yeah, this is a lot. This is a lot to ask to go mm-hmm. from that seven furlong maiden win in just your first start. So it wasn't even like you had a couple races of foundation and seasoning either before you broke your maiden. You just did it right away. Definitely talented. Like put put that rival away. But yeah, I mean the pace will probably go through him. He should at least be forwardly placed in here and and. Probably him the 10. and the, yeah, the 10 and like the two. two. Yeah. They'll probably be mixing it up. And that's what would have been so nice. Jim could have sat right behind him. Right there. Yeah. I know. Just getting a great spot. So we'll see what happens with general Jim, but Barry, it is a good looking 14 race card on Saturday over at Gulfstream park. 
my friend, I really appreciate you hanging out and uh, going through all these races. Cause I know if we're talking Gulfstream park, we've always got to, we always got to enlist the services of the sniper. What, uh, what do you have coming up? We always know about big Mondays going in circles. What else do you have coming up uh, either this weekend or anytime soon? Um, I'm going to be out at Tampa Bay Downs for the Tampa Bay Derby. On nice. The Doing some 11th. work on the broadcast with them. Yes. Yes. Great. I'll be on there all day. Um, yeah, but you know, popping up here and there. Barry, my friend, you got to find friends just like this, who you can sit up and chop it up on the races with for an hour or so, talk them all out. You help lead me to a few horses. I hope I helped steer oh, you absolutely. in the right direction once or twice here or there. So good luck. However, you're playing all throughout the Saturday card. And uh, yeah, we'll be going back and forth throughout the day going yes on the winners. And oh, what the <laughs> heck, what kind of ride was that? Or back and forth. So I always love, uh, love these, uh, these big Saturdays. And I wish you the best of luck. You and your family have a great one, my friend. Yes, you too, my man. Thank you. So if you're uh, listening on the podcast, we have a lot more coming up. If you're watching us on social media, uh, this is it. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Make sure to give Barry a follow on Twitter there and uh, and check out all the great content and all the, the stuff that he's a part of. A big thank you to Barry the Sniper, one of our best buds out there, always helping us out, always so well prepared, always coming with a nice strong opinion. Big thank you to Barry. Let's turn the page to Santa Anita. We head to Santa Anita for Saturday. It's Big Cap Day. It's the San Felipe. So Emily Gullickson will join us to talk about the four graded stakes races on the card. Don't forget the Pick'em Contest are back at Santa Anita. They're totally free. Pick'em.SantaAnita.com. And they combine the Santa Anita races with prop questions. Like a lot of times they're just picking the the point spread in a college basketball game, how many threes a certain team may hit in a game, in a NBA game, check them out for free. Pick them.sananita.com. Speaking of Santa Anita, let's get there to Saturday for the four graded stakes races. We recorded this a little earlier in the week, so if you hear, you hear us talking about how there aren't morning lines and stuff, it was because we recorded this uh, on Tuesday, but we get a good feel for prices and who should be favored and that kind of thing. So kick back and enjoy as we talk for a little over an hour about the four graded stakes races on Saturday for Santa Anita. Big Saturday coming up at Santa Anita. Also a big day coming up at Gulfstream Park. There's big races this weekend at at uh, Aqueduct with the Gotham. And what's nice is on these bigger days, they will, uh, they'll put the races out and they'll draw the entries a few days early. That just helps all of us handicappers and all of us content creators so we can get our handicapping done a little bit earlier and we can start promoting these races. So we're recording this on Tuesday early in the week, and we've already finished handicapping a lot of the San, uh, San Anita Saturday card. I'm very lucky to have a good friend who's joined us on That's What G Said podcast many times. She's one of the absolute sharpest handicappers you will find. Uh, does a fantastic job working with optics and with uh, all of the different places that she has done content for, different racetracks that she works with. Our good friend, Emily Gullickson. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, and yeah, good good segue because I've I'll plug Hawthorne here as well because I'm working thought- with Hawthorne, and Hawthorne opening day is on Sunday, March 5th. Awesome, yeah, I saw you pointing that out too. So right now, as you and I um, talk on you know the end of February leading into March, what tracks are you looking at consistently right now? Uh, right now, Oaklawn, Southern California, Hawthorne, uh, Fairgrounds. Okay, so but I mean, I'm also I'm kind of all over the place too because I do the Hawthorne live show, which does 
Aqueduct Gulfstream in Tampa. The early race is on Friday. So I'm still I'm still all over. But as far as notes, um, those four tracks and then full card analysis for Hawthorne and Oakland. So any fans of uh, Emily's out there, you can get her analysis and some of her thoughts on all these different races if you ever need a little bit of help. And uh, we we could use a little bit of help because one of the benefits of um, some days being canceled and because of wet weather, we have some really big fields at Santa Anita this week. There are some good races in particular, the four stakes races that you and I are going to discuss. And even the rest of the card, I was starting to peek at some of the other races that you and I won't be hitting on really strong card. And and that's what happens when you have a couple days canceled because of the rain, they haven't run in, in Southern California for what's going to have been two weeks. Right. Or, or you just have a big horse population, whichever, whichever way you want yeah. to look at it. But yeah, big yeah. full fields, competitive races will always take that. And then the quality races, the stakes just get a lot of attention because they are what they are. So uh, for those of you who are following along, me and Emily are going to discuss races five, six and 11 and 12. They're four graded stakes races on the Saturday card. They're all really, really fun, contentious races. And we can dive right in starting with race number five, the Buena Vista. So this race, Emily, we're going to go a mile on the turf. And as is the case with a lot of these races that are, you know, kind of series and prep races, we'll see a lot of familiar faces. Like you have the one uh, closing remarks in Quattrell. They both come out of the same race along with school dance and uh even the debt all four of them exit the megahertz most recently uh, a race that was won by quatrell and what kind of happens in a lot of these uh turf sort of distance races it it kind of becomes like a your turn my turn with these rivals it becomes who gets the better of the trip that day well quatrell was always sort of knocking on the door and she finally put it all together she actually ran right by closing remarks down towards the inside in that race um who are some of the horses that are on your radar to start in here in the Buena Vista? Well, there's really only one horse on my radar in this race, but I mean, I can start by commenting on those two. I mean, as sure. far as closing, closing remarks, you know, she's been around for a while. She started racing it too, and she is who she is. So running down, running down closing remarks is fine. She's a fine horse, but this is grave stakes caliber. She really hasn't shown she's quite on that level. She can pick up a minor share. So as far as Quattrell, I mean, she ran well. She got a good ground saving trip. She got a great ride under Berrios. Closed ground was at a time when the Mullins barn was hot. Got a great price on her that day. So that kind of seemed like the time, but you mentioned um, Nedette and that's the one horse for me in this race. Um, and, and really the kind of the rest of the field, it's sort of like I can, really say the same thing about them is they just haven't been on the greatest stakes level or they're stepping up to the greatest stakes level. And as far as Nadette, this goes back to the autumn miss last October where she ran a better than look race. She broke she slow, did. closed a ton of ground. And I thought as far as the megahertz, that race just kind of looked like a prep for her where she was inside. She was up close early where it was not, that's not her running style. So it looked like the type of race that we're going to get some fitness out of her and you might get some, um, added value because people will see that uh, Raspoli is sticking with TikTok famous. And, you know, maybe people are thinking like TikTok famous, TikTok famous is the, is the up and comer, but uh, Nadette's going to pick up this jockey called Frankie Vittori. And I think he's yeah. okay. I think he's, he's all right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really mind that change. And I just think this is such the right horse. I mean, you talk class, she's a class of the field. She has that fitness on her side. She even has the stakes experience on her side. Again, keying off that autumn miss. So for me in this race, 
if I don't take her, it's anybody else in this group. So that's, that's where I land. You know, I sort of had a, a similar kind of uh, assessment of the race with you. I, I liked Nadette quite a bit off of that race last time out. And I was or off of her uh, U.S. debut. Yeah, I guess I was a little disappointed. She got bet. But when you look back at the race, you're right. It just seemed like a race that they were sort of trying to get one in. And I'm expecting a better effort from her here. But I'm not. Quattrell and closing remarks coming out of that race. I'm really not sold on either one of them. And as we start eliminating runners, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like school dance is maybe a horse. Now she won at a mile. I think she's a little bit better going a little longer where she can sit kind of a softer upfront trip. Um, which she did. We saw kind of in the American Oaks when she was right behind Rhea moon. And she did when she won going a mile and an eighth. And I, I started just eliminating horses. The one that I'm, I guess like minorly intrigued by would be the four Kitty Katana. I think she's kind of just getting a little bit better as she's improving and she might be able to sit a trip. How do you see the pace unfolding in this particular race? Is is it going to be fast? Do you see, cause it doesn't really seem like there are any, I mean, we have Anna Galassa and then kind of everyone else sort of picking their, their spots behind. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna really be a rider's race. I mean, the optics plot fit, it's a red plot fit, so it's not the reliability isn't quite there as far as the horses getting trips. And that comes mm-hmm. with a fire contention, but I take that with a grain of salt because there's really not many front running types. The seven, obviously, the two can show early speed, and then some others in this field can be on or near the lead if needed. So I think it, you know, it's gonna come down to how the riders are going to ride, how the horses are informed, what kind of trip they get. But I think it's hard at this point in this, we're looking at these races to, to really determine that, right? Because you, mm-hmm. you could draw it up 15, 20 different ways. And as of right now, none of those scenarios would be wrong, right? Yep. And then when they run the race, you could be like, oh, it's the 21st way that I didn't mm-hmm. quite see that <laughs> how they're going to play, you know, how they're going to play out. I mean, Kitty Katana um, has the benefit of, of Pratt, who's been aboard in the past and has had success aboard her. She's been very consistent. She's been on the board and in all of her starts. Um She's even run well in graded stakes company. She finished uh, a, a decent race in the sweet life. She had some trouble that day where she had to move and was wide. And then she ran in the autumn mist, which is that, that common race with Nadette. And um, I just, you know, I preferred the race from Nadette that day. I thought uh, Kitty Katana was, I agree. Fine. She was coming off a little bit of a freshening, but just her overall visuals distance wise, she's probably fine for a mile. Um, but it needs needs that kind of top effort needs that top effort and trip trip so, yeah you know again it's like i i could see i could really see like kind of any of these horses that's why it's sort of a spot where i'm like i'm gonna just kind of make a decision yeah probably get a price you know yeah because i i agree with you she she was one that she had that really brutal trip, like her first time in the U S and she's one that like, we've probably kept an eye on for quite some time. Cause she's always run well, but she hasn't, she's shown like some gradual improvement lately. I, I still feel like she might be a little better than she is, but I think for her, it's, can she get like that? Can she sit third, get like a really nice, no trouble, no traffic trip, like get the jump on everyone. And that's probably how she wins this race if she were, but the one that's the most intriguing as we start eliminating horses too, it's, it's just really got to be Nadette. She got bet last time. And I think she's going to give us value because she was, she was a little disappointing last time out, but th- we know there's a better race in there and the intention 
may have been with someone like Drysdale, just like you said, to get that race under her, get the fitness level. Now she'll really be making her third start in the U S I'm just, I'm she's a must use for me in exotics in any type of rolling exotics. And you've kind of keyed in on her as your horse to play in here. Yeah. I mean, cause then it it does come down to, you know, play playing the race and, when you had the the past performances up for for Kitty Katana, it really jumps out that you know how many times she's been favored. Yeah. So it just tends to be a horse that's that's popular. Now she can also kind of sneak away a little bit. Um, but as as far as being favored, uh, do you think she will be in this race? I mean, it, like I said, it's kind of, it's kind of tricky. It's yeah. I think I mean, the five is probably going to get a good amount of money too. School dance that was horse was favored in the megahertz last time out. And I, I wouldn't be shocked because like the Demonos will take a good amount of support. I, I think most likely Anna Glassa probably will be like the, the speedy kind of long shot of the Demonos. I, I think so probably will get the least support of them. Um, mm-hmm. Quattrill doesn't usually get bet. She'll probably be, you know, you know, in that like next tier right after the, like after the shorter prices that that'll probably be school dance, maybe Kitty Katana. Um, and we started to talk a little bit about Macadamia. Do you give her any sort of chances? She's kind of a new face. She's another D'Amato in here that puts a couple starts together. Yeah, I mean, she she was just kind of one of those that sort of expected a little bit more from her right from the start. She didn't have trouble in her first start in the U.S., though it though it might appear like she did. Um, it really wasn't anything that impacted her. And sort of the same thing in her second start, um, the other into allowance where she was going 11 furlongs at Del Mar. And just as far as class, now she she was able to win last out, but really got a setup that day uh, yeah. with with the ride, benefit from the smart handling, and then the, the, like the rest of the riders in the field um didn't didn't show up with their best so a great she's point. one that she had been running in those um a, a group or grade six races you know uh in South, South America but uh as far as her form maybe she is one that's just kind of putting putting it together but uh, one that would need some price compensation because does have her hurdles as well yeah and that's a really great point they took you, when you watch the race, she she looked like a winner, really, all the way around, just the way the race was shaping up. She took back nicely, and there was a bunch of traffic in front of her, and she was able to just kind of tip to the outside, wait patiently, and she just kind of blew by and geared down late. So uh, it, it was very much like the setup for her in that race. And sometimes when horses get such a great trip, it's not that they can't again, Emily, but we're usually playing them off of the great trip that they got in their last race, right? You're usually like spotting some of that value. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that it goes one step further when you're watching, you know, when you're watching races, I think a lot of us kind of get keyed into, you know, looking for trouble or, you know, looking for those types of things and, and not necessarily like why horses run good races or bad races. Mm -hmm. I know this is something I've said before. um, And I've heard like, uh, Matias talk about that in the past who, who watch a lot of races as well. And that's, and that's really the key of like, you know, why these horses are running good races and bad races. Was it circumstance? Was it class? Was it, you know, they're in the right part of their form cycle, um, et cetera. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, you know, we'll see. She may, maybe again, you know, that was just kind of the confidence she needs. They're obviously running here and taking a shot. So, uh, yeah, we shall see. We uh, will move along from race number five to race number six. And the sixth race on Saturday is the grade two San Felipe with Kentucky Derby points on the line. Now, uh, the talking point for this race is that we've had a lot of the Bob Baffert runners move 
into different barns. They needed to move into different barns if they were going to pick up Kentucky Derby points and try to qualify themselves to run in the Kentucky Derby. So in this particular race, we have five horses that are trained by Tim Yachtine. Four of them were formerly trained Baffert horses that are moving into the Yachtine barn. We saw Baffert send some of his runners to Yachtine. Um, they know each other very well, was an, a former assistant and was um, so there's a lot of uh, familiarity with them. So, I mean, do you take that? Does that t- weigh anything at all into your handicapping that we've seen these horses in the care of Baffert now move into the Yachtine barn within just a few weeks or do, do you like treat that anything differently? I think, I think a lot of times it it's sort of overthinking it. I mean, we saw reincarnate last weekend in the rebel who I thought ran a good race. Actually yeah, had some trouble. I, I thought he was going to run. Me too. Um, a good effort in there, but the, you know, this is like, this is such a recent bar. And then there was another horse that didn't run well, who was uh, at the fairgrounds mm-hmm. uh, as well. That had moved to like, that had moved to Asmussen uh, kind of ahead of time. I forget the horse, but I know it was a yeah. five. Yeah. Um, and it's the barn change being so recent that I would look at these horses as what they're telling you right now. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like that saying, like when people tell you who they are, believe them. And like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't hang out with a lot of people. So with the horses, where the horses kind of tell me who they are and I, I tend to believe them. So at, at this point in time, I don't really see these horses that are making this barn change necessarily like moving up or moving down. Just looking at sort of assessing their current form based on what they've done on the track and how they fit today's race. That's sort of how I'm assessing it until they tell me otherwise. And it sounds like you do what I do sometimes too. Like I will call people horses sometimes when I'm interacting with them, I'll say something like, I'll say something like, like, Oh yeah, that horse went there. Like, oh wait, no, that was a person that did that. It wasn't that yeah. horse that, that made that move or, uh, or like when, I, especially I think, when you're like I driving, I, I think I do it more like when I'm driving, I'm yep, like, I exactly. get off the rail when I'm driving, around- right. I'm like, Oh man, get over two paths. Come on. Come on. Yeah. So, so, uh, this one though, it's, it's a really deep group here. And it's not as if there seems like on paper, there's necessarily one absolute standout from the Baffert barn that just moved on over. There aren't any of these that are like the real, real super proven horses either. Um, it's, it's pretty contentious. I mean, we have Hajazi national treasure and, you know, and of, of the Baffert Brad. horses. Yeah. Like those were the Baffert Fort Bragg and Mr. Fix. Those are the ones, but Hajazi national treasure, probably the most fancied and the most well-known the Jazzy was the $3.5 million purchase who he's never really run a bad race. His debut, he was heavily favored and he was a runner up and he's kind of figured it out. He was in against graded stakes company. He was behind cave rock and national treasure. He'll take a lot of money. National Treasure will take support. You have Go Rocket Ride, who for Richard Mandela was very fast. A sprinter earned a nice figure in, in winning first time out. Skinner has kind of put it all together. He got a really nice win after you know showing some ability early on in his career. Talk to us about the uh, the San Felipe and who are some of the uh, the major horses on your radar here. Well, do, do you want to talk about it? Like, Yeah, yeah. Or do you want to start by assessing those those uh 
horses? Or, yeah, let's yeah. go for yeah, let's go that way. Let's go for the Baffert horses, so we can kind of okay. start inside out going through the field with National Treasure, the number two, probably you know like the most accomplished as far as what he's done overall in, in stakes company. He's never really run a bad race. He's you know second in the American Pharaoh behind Cave Rock, third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile behind Forte and Cave Rock, and he ran behind Reincarnate and Newgate. And that race looks a little bit better now after a couple of weeks because Newgate came back to win and Reincarnate came back and was a troubled third in the Rebel. Uh, where do you stand with National Treasure making his second start back since the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? Yeah, I mean, you could you could say he's he's the class of the field. I mean, based on the horses that that he's yeah. run against, right? I mean, yeah. he's, you know, run running a couple graded stakes races, ran behind uh, Fort, who's going to run this weekend, the Fountain of Youth, and then as you mentioned. Uh, the sham, which was which was such a tough race to assess because those those three Baffert horses ran one, two, three, and there was two other horses in the race. One was a turf horse, one pulled up. Um, so as far as national treasure, I, I, he is, I think you said, like the most accomplished and consistent yeah. as far as speed figures, been able to take this race around two turns. He just hasn't really like quite impressed. And I think people like wanted to get there. I know, I know. people really wanted to get there, like in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Yep. And maybe just that foundation carries him in this race where he's drawn inside. He has some tactical speed. He has the ability to, to pass and finish horses. He's kind of like, he's in, He's a quadrant one square, but he's kind of like towing the quadrant two line. So it's like he's a horse that definitely doesn't need the lead, but that tactical speed, you know, puts him in the race and he should be able to finish from there. So so the horse that's, you know, it's tough to knock. Um, he should be he should be a little bit longer odds than he was last out. And so that's that's probably something that upgrades this horse. I mm -hmm. think that's probably sort of the way I'm gonna look at this race is more Me too. From that standpoint, because there are so many ways to go in here. Um, yeah, he does just look more bettable here, most likely. Like he, he kind of reminds me a little bit, just looking at his lines, a little bit like Medina Spirit when you saw yeah, him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know, he's sure. he's just not really flashy, you yeah. know, but he's just kind of always there, kind of hard knocking behind some of the horses that are like more fancy than him, or maybe a little bit sexier on paper. But you know, he's he's. I, yeah, I don't really have any knocks on him. Like, I'm not trying to beat him in this race, and he probably will present us a little bit better value um, while we're talking about these Baffert now into Yachtine barn horses. Let's talk about Hijazi, who is always the really highly fancied horse. Um, he's been favored in three of his four. The only race he wasn't favored was when he was in a grade one against other Bob Baffert runners, and he still was only, you know, three to one that day. Um, he finally put it all together in his last start. He basically was just sent from the inside in a sprint race. He drew the rail and they just sort of pushed him along from the inside. And so we know he's, he's really quick um, as well as a horse who has a ton of upside and, and they thought super highly of what are we doing with the jazzy? Um, well, going, going back to the debut, my note on this horse was, you know, he's a step slow and then he rated off the pace setters. But just from a visual standpoint, he looks like a horse that wants to be on the lead. So the mm -hmm. fact that it's like it took him like three, four starts to get there, and then it's like, oh, you let him finally do what he wants to do. So yeah. I think that's that has to be the plan. I think that's what this horse wants to do. If they put him on the lead, um, he's run the fastest races in this field mm -hmm. and could just be the fastest horse. And I, I think that's that's going to be the strategy here. We're going to find out 
uh, you know, where he's going to stack up just as far as like getting that win. Cause as you mentioned, he has come up short at those, those shorter prices. But again, I think it was trip it was the way he was mm-hmm. handled in those races um, and go, going to the lead today. That's what he wants to do. And we'll just see if he's good enough. He, yeah. He just, you can tell when he was running, when he just sort of looms up, like, I don't know if he wants to really start and stop. You know, like if they when they grab a hold and then ask again, I think he's just best, like you said, freewheeling, get aggressive with him. Those bigger horses like that, too. When you try to like if they get into trouble or you have to try to ask them multiple times, it usually doesn't work out as well. You're best off keeping them sort of in the clear or right on the front end. And you know what? I will give um, Mike wasn't always Mike Smith isn't always someone that we think of as a, a jockey that is like that. Right. But he has been that way a little bit more recently in with a couple of the horses on the card that we're going to talk about with the jazzy. And he, he did the same thing with stiletto boy um, coming out of the Pegasus race where he just said, Hey, you know what? My best chances in this race are to just ride this horse really hard aggressively early on and make sure he gets the lead. Even if I have to go a little bit faster early, keep him out of trouble and, yeah, that feels like the plan for Hijazi, um, but he'll probably have some company right next door um, with Go Rocket Ride, who we can get back to in a minute. Let's just keep talking to the other two Bafferts right now while we uh, while we can. We have um, Fort Bragg and Skinner. Fort Bragg comes out of the Low South Futurity last time out. He was behind Practical Move. He did have some trouble at the start. And then the, uh, the final of the Bafferts is Mr. Fisk. He sort of interestingly, when you look at his like template, he didn't get any action at all in his first two starts, which is so rare for a Baffert horse to be like 10 to one and 18 to one in his first two. But then he came back in his third start and he broke his maiden just kind of seemed like a horse who wasn't really one that wanted to go short. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's also, if we're talking Mr. Fisk, he's also a horse that's just not very fast. So no. I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, this horse of. just might not, he might not be very good. Um, at all. I mean, again, like I said, you know, we, we only have a horses to go off of and based on what he's run to date, he's so much below the other runners in this field that you're going to have to project like 10, 15 point improvement for a horse that really hasn't shown much in terms of improvement in his races to date. So where that improvement's going to come from, where that trip is going to come from, because when he did get a tough post trip. in a big field against the best competition he's faced too. Yeah, right? he, looks, he looks pretty much below, but I, you know, I think, you know, he's on the grounds, the homebred, take a shot, you know, find out, find out, uh, you know, if he wins, I mean, he should be, let me look real quick, probably the longest shot in this field. Yeah, I think he should I mean, be. his uh, his numbers are even below Chase the Chaos. Uh, so Maybe Crypto. I mean, the, the Calbred Crypto ride will probably not Oh, get. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah No, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, like that. No, no, but you're right. Yeah, he'll but, be uh, the second longest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we be. have, yeah, it, he will be definitely of, of like the more fancied of the Baffert run, the former Baffert runners. I, I couldn't get quite to him. Um, positives, negatives on Fort Bragg, who actually does lure Hernandez. Yeah, I mean, a Fort Bragg going back to his debut looked like a horse that would that would benefit from added ground. Now, while he has actually moved forward in each of those three starts, and it is a gradual progression, 
um, you know, could still present a move forward again today, but again, another one that's been a little bit soft. As far as the low south futurity, um, it was another race that was a, a more compact field. Arabian Lion was in that race, and he was a big favorite. And Arabian Lion going into that race looked like he should have been a complete standout, and that horse is just gone completely the other direction um since so he's gonna get a a class test today a practical move comes out of that race which again if you consider that being kind of a a four horse field another one that's gonna get he got it like he got a really nice rail run through too like things kind of went really perfect for him that day in that particular race when one of the major players doesn't fire he gets a nice rail run through and wins it was i sort of want to make him prove it to me again in, in, in a spot like this yeah, but the you know the distance is is finally what he wants to do, and having that foundation and and one of those horses that maybe if he gets lost on the board is yep. you know one that you can start to just kind of upgrade, just kind of based on based on the price. So uh, so following those Baffert runners, um, let's talk about another horse who win lose like the horse or not will probably have an impact on this race. That's the number eight Go Rocket Ride. He's um, making his second career start in his debut. He was six to one. He showed speed from the inside. He drew post two that day. He got the lead over the one to two favorite who was pressing him throughout. And he, you know, he puts that horse away. Um, That horse was a runner up, came back to win their next start um, very easily. Go rocket ride Pratt aboard for Mandela. How good is this horse? Can he stretch out from six to a mile and a 16th? Um, is he fast as a horse like he jazzy right next door? How do you uh, feel about go rocket ride? Um, He's just another horse that he has. Uh, he has a lot to prove yeah. um, and could get a lot of attention because I think that running line and figure makes him look very flashy. The rest of the horses in that field are extremely slow. Um, even Sonoran who, who came back, which is another Baffert horse, it's a Baffert homebred. And while Sonoran did win and he won by seven lengths in his next start, he ran on optics figures in 86. Yeah. That's even, you know, an 81. So it's like an 81, isn't going to make compete in this race. No. Yeah. And then, um, you know, being kind of the best of speed and being inside and not really not really facing much on debut. This is just such a big class test. And again, it's kind of the type of horse that he might be an underlay in here. And maybe he's the goods. You know, honestly, maybe he is the goods, but um, it's a lot to ask. It is a lot to ask. He's going to have to step if he's facing tougher competition for the first time. He's stretching out in distance for the first time. If they use the same tactic, they're going to be, as you mentioned, running into Hajazi, maybe some others in here that are going to end up, you know, going to end up sending. I guess Bluegrass Go-Go is going to probably be one of those other longer shots in this group. But, um, uh, you know, there's just there's a lot to prove on that horse that. You just, uh, for me at least, I, I guess I'm not going to really tell people what, what they can do, but uh, for me, the type of horse that I would require price compensation to play. Absolutely. Kind of, it kind of feels like maybe it won't be there because of the connections and because of the way that running line and figure just kind of jump out. Yeah. Go rocket ride. It looks like when they're working in the morning too, as, as what they try to do, they're trying to work him with a target and get him to relax a little bit, but then sometimes that will sort of um, hinder what your best weapon is, your speed. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we can get a little bit too cute when you, especially when you're trying to get horses quickly ready for something like this, 
you know, when you want them to progress for this race and have them ready for the Santa Anita Derby and then the Kentucky Derby. So I'll be interested to see, like, are they going to try to get caught up with Hajazi? Just in, in seeing like the some of the recent works, I'm I'm, I'm wondering, but yeah, he. Well, um, well, I mean, if you like, let's play out that scenario, right? Let's say they try to rate. Like, I mean, is Hajazi just like home and hosed at that I know, point? Because right? you know. If- if he's only dealing with like the maiden in bluegrass go-go, who's trying to put a little like token speed on him and he has no, no class whatsoever. Yeah. Right. And he's, yeah, he's not he just, fast enough. Um, yeah. I mean, the more we talk this race out, especially if go rocket ride does, this could be a Hajazi on the front end trip. And that's what ends up get, getting a little bit difficult about these races with the multiple Bafferts with speed, like, or like Fort Bragg probably wants to be pretty close, but are they going to all want to press each other? Um, again, in this race, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. So yeah, that they, cause we could have three speed horses right next door to each other too, with the jazzy go rocket ride in Fort Bragg, all, uh, all with an alert beginning, they could be sort of dictating, uh, things out there. One more I want to mention, and then we can get to anybody else in the field. Um, that's on your radar too. Uh, Skinner Skinner was a horse who I, I played in the American Pharaoh in his third start. Cause coming off of his debut, didn't really fire, had some trouble, but he was behind these just faster horses in smaller fields, like having a meltdown in cave rock. So he doesn't have that kind of early speed. He's always going to be um, behind horses like that in those types of races. I thought the American Pharaoh was a race where he would maybe get a little bit of pace to run at. He just, again, didn't fire that day at all. He was off for a few months, but he showed back up in his first start at three and he was very impressive. Uh, he won nicely. He came from way off the pace in a race that did set up very well for him, but he took a big step forward on speed figures and everything. And, um, he looked like he grew up and matured a little bit. He's bred very nicely. They paid 510,000 for him. So it's no surprise here. And we know that John sheriffs can get horses ready for some of these bigger races. Do you think Skinner has a shot in, in here? I think Skinner's a very good horse. I mean, his debut his debut was sneaky good. That fifth place finish back at Del Mar in July. That was a very good effort. He was wide. He closed ground. He galloped out. Even his Del Mar featurity. I mean, even just from Sheriffs to run in a graded stakes race. Now, this summer at Del Mar, CRK was really had like a strong meet. So I think they were pretty confident and pretty aggressive pointing their horses. But ran very well in the Del Mar futurity. That's when to go back and watch if people don't have that one kind of fresh in their in their mind. Because he made a couple moves in there. Both the Baffert runners finished one, two. It was like a, an open length winner. And then as far as the American Pharaoh, it looks like he had like a bar shoe on that day. And the ride was just not... It wasn't a good ride. There was just no confidence. They were unable to establish early position. He was caught wide. He was wearing cheek pieces that day. Um, so that race, uh, that race does bother me. But at the same time, it seems like there was kind of enough going on in there, and especially with the layoff that followed, to be a little bit forgiving, especially coming back and running, running the race that. He that was, he did. We kind of thought he knew he, yes. he, he was capable of running, right? And so if he's if he's able to pair up those races, now he is going to have to come back in 20 days. He's going to be, you know, back in against greatest stakes company. He's going to have to step up. But I, I do think there is still something there. I'm not counting him as a one-off because he did run so well and show run at times that um, – I think he's a very good horse. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm any type of exotics that I'm playing. Um, he's he's going to be in the mix for me too. You just see versions of this race where they go 
a little fat. Like we've, we've talked about how, yeah, you know, Hijazi maybe can sneak away or maybe one or two of these speed horses in, but then you got to play it out in your head, right? There are simulations of this race where Hijazi, Go Rocket Ride, Fort Bragg all show a little bit of speed. We get one or two of these others in this bigger field that just want to be forwardly placed, keep themselves out of trouble. And then all of a sudden, now this pace is, is cooking pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and I guess maybe the one horse we kind of touched on him a little bit, but just kind of going back through is uh, Practical Move, who is the kind of Yachtin, Yachtin runner. I think you mentioned it just as far as kind of getting that perfect trip last out. So coming off the the slight freshening, this will be the class test for him and still distance test, really. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, we got through most of this field. The only ones we didn't talk a whole lot about, Chase the Chaos, was up at Golden Gate. He won the El Camino Real Derby. Um, he's he's only been on the dirt one time, and it wasn't even dirt. It was a, a wet track over at Canterbury in his career debut. So they're just, I mean, you, you take a swing here with a horse like this who, you know, won the prep up in Northern California. It doesn't really hurt you any to come down here and sort of see where he stacks up. And if he runs well here, then maybe you can go and one of the synthetic, maybe you go over to Turfway and take a shot over there at, on the synthetic because you know he likes it. Would would you give this horse at all a chance against this, you know, classier competition? Uh, this this is a much tougher spot. I don't think it's even as much as as much of the surface. I mean, he'd obviously yeah. just have to improve on the dirt, which is yeah. unknown. But yeah. he's a good horse. Like he's he a is. good horse in his own right. I mean, he's he really has kind of improved race to race. Um, got a great ride in the El Camino Real, but, but he still ran, you know, he still mm-hmm. showed up and, and ran his race. So, uh, as an individual, I, I, I can't knock him. I just think this is, this is a tough spot, but yeah, there should they- be plenty of price compensation on him. Absolutely. And then uh, we pretty much talked about the whole field. The only one we didn't was uh, was Genius Jimmy. We mentioned Bluegrass Gogo, who's a maiden, taking the blinkers off. They should probably just try to get him forwardly placed in here, but he just looks overmatched. And then Genius Jimmy was a, a turf winner going a mile and an eighth. They got aggressive with him last time out from the outside, and, uh, and now they'll try the dirt with him and another horse where you're just sort of taking a swing to see what you got. Yeah, and, and you know uh... – why not? Right. I mean, yeah. they, they kind of took a swing with the trip last out and it worked out. And if he's in form right now and tends to run every couple of weeks, put him in here, see what happens. And if not, you still have your N1 condition and go right know, back to the turf there. Yeah. You go right back to the grass. So uh, that's a look at the San Felipe, a very intriguing field, just even from like a handicapping, talking it out standpoint, as we have a lot of horses that look like they have talent and some real upside, but they're not quite all that proven yet with their, their biggest of races. Like we haven't seen that national treasure, maybe big race or even the Hajazi big one against big competition. Um, maybe they have one in it. Maybe it's someone else. That is the San Felipe. One of a couple prep races. There's three this weekend with the San Felipe, the fountain of youth, and also the Gotham. So a lot of Kentucky Derby points on the line this weekend. Emily, let's move to the final two races on the card. We have a couple more fun graded stakes races to discuss. First up, it's race number 11. It's the Kilrow. Uh, they will go one mile on the turf in here. And you have Hong Kong Harry, who will likely be the headliner in this one. Hong Kong Harry has won five of his six starts in the U.S. His only defeat came when he finished second in the Eddie Reed. He has won three graded stakes races uh, during that stretch. And he's defeated a couple of the common rivals, horses like Master of Foxhounds, Irideo. Um, in that race on November the 26th, he also beat horses like Santin and Smooth Like Straight, who are, are pretty nice runners. Um 
We have Gold Phoenix, who last showed up in the Breeders' Cup, but he was very consistent prior to that. Master of Foxhound seems like he's always in these graded stakes races. Um, you have, you know, DeJour, who showed up off of a long layoff and was very impressive last time out. And then Royal Ship, who was a graded stakes winner, multiple graded stakes winner on the dirt. He's actually been a horse who had some good success on the turf in Brazil, not as much in, in the U S since he's come, he's been more of a dirt horse here, but he certainly has some, uh, some grass credentials. Um, again, lots of ways to go. Air force red tried to sit a little last time out. I think they may get more aggressive with him again. He's probably a little better when he's kind of freewheeling it on the front end. Talk to us about the, uh, the 11th race. It's the kill row mile. Who are some of the, uh, the horses you would start with here? Yeah, I mean, this, this, I think starting from the standpoint that technically this is a grade one race, right? You have a lot yeah. of horses that have been running in like the grade two, grade three company. We talk about, you know, kind of West, West Coast turf, uh, maybe not as, as strong as, as strong as anything that goes East and certainly not overseas. And so from, from most of this field, they, they are kind of that horse, right? Where they're like, they're proven in the grade two level, um, but haven't, haven't quite done what is needed to have been done in the maybe few times that some of these runners have run in the race. So can be a little bit softer race part, which can create some chaos in here. Um, a lot of D'Amato runners in this field could turn into a rider's race and kind of what horse is in form. Um, as far as the, the kind of pace scenario of this race, as you mentioned, Air Force Red, not a D'Amato horse, but could be forwardly placed. Master of Foxhounds also likely to be a little bit more forwardly placed and probably a little bit better going shorter. I know they've, they've tried to keep this horse longer. I'm not quite sure if he's if he's a miler, but I think he's better when he's, when he's on or near the lead. Um, and then you know, Hong Kong Harry, he's kind of one of those horses that's like, he's so tough for me because he's like, he's like favorable trip Freddy, but then, I know. He, you know, then he's like, he just keeps like, over he just keeps him. getting them and blowing by. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. And, and that's like, I want to just keep beating him because he has these favorable trips. And then he just keeps like working out another one after another one after another one. So um, at some point you have to just like give him credit for that. Um, You know, you mentioned, you mentioned du jour, which, uh, uh, last time for me, I mean, uh, I did this sequence. That sequence um, was a late pick five with David Aragona. We had some really great ideas with Dujour being one of them. And um, we handicapped the race before the morning line came out. And both like David and I thought this horse was like a, a, like a real logical type horse. Like we didn't think we were like, you know, uh, really, 20, really stepping, stepping outside, right? I thought he was like five to two, three to one, you know, somewhere in there because he was just so logical. And the morning line came out, he's 15 to one. And it was like just pretty crazy that he's he stayed that way, but ran a huge race. But this is a tougher spot. Now he's going to have to come back where he's probably prepped for that big effort that day. And this is a tougher spot where he's going to have to get faster and he's going to be a shorter price. Now, you, you mentioned Royal Ship. Now, as far as grade one, he's run in grade one company and he's run very strong races in grade two company now, as far as the turf i think people are going to kind of maybe steer away or maybe not quite look at him as a turf horse 
but that might be a little bit of a mistake yeah. because going going back to 2020 when he ran the Del Mar Mile, he ran a huge race that day. And I know it's a third place finish, might not look like much on paper. That was a winning type effort. You can watch the visuals. And then same thing, ran a good race in the City of Hope Mile, didn't get a good ride that day, was kind of buried down inside. And then as far as the, the Frank Kilroy Mile, grade one back in 2021, that was a better than looked effort. That was a huge race for him where he had traffic and trouble and he closed. So this is a horse that actually is proven in grade one company and on the turf. He's also proven grade one, you know, stakes horse on the dirt. I think there's a lot of quality there. He's coming off the layoff. So there are the challenges, but there should be price compensation. So that's a horse that I'm definitely using in here. Me Outside of that, it really becomes kind of a spread and kind of looking for prices, um, not taking too short a price prices on some of these horses and then you know maybe upgrading just as far as race shape right but yeah but for sure um for sure royal ship is a horse that i'm using in this race yeah um as far as the way the race shapes up it probably goes through air force red on the front end they had him sit off the pace a little bit it was sort of a weird um a, a weird race because on paper air force red looked like he was probably the fastest last time out there was a horse that drew way to the outside and they got aggressive with the the with that horse so i wasn't expecting him to be on the lead um and air force red sat fine just off the pace and i mean turning for home he looked like he was going to win but he didn't he just didn't quicken in getting a perfect trip and when i see that a lot of times and watched a couple of his races where he sat off he just doesn't run the same sitting off like he does when he's right on the lead I, I would imagine they probably try to get aggressive with him again and put him right back on the front end because I, I think that's where he's best. Do you, mm -hmm. you assume the same with Air Force Red? Yeah, yeah, and but but again, I mean, it's it. You could also make the case that it's it's class as well, right? Absolutely, because that race was it. softer than this yeah, race. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Those were all those were all softer spots. So I think that they're best and and knowing that and knowing that as well is kind of the key is the fact that hey, you know, Great Stakes Company has been a hurdle for us. We've got to go to the front. Like that's let's use yeah. our advantage, right? We yeah, don't want to use sit our here. advantage if we're not good enough. So be it, you know. But that's, we don't want to sit and kind of try to close with the closers, you right. know, because we're not right. going to do that. And that's what ended up happening with Air Force Red. He tried to sit and close, and he sort of he kept a lot of the other horses in the race there. Um, now, horse like Gold Phoenix. We haven't seen since the Breeders' Cup. He was just overmatched. A lot of these, as you mentioned, like a lot of the West Coast turf horses are just overmatched come Breeders' Cup time. But when he was with his West Coast friends, he was pretty competitive in a lot of those races. He was right there with Master of Foxhounds in the, the John Henry. He won the, the Del Mar Handicap. I mean, he's never run a bad race. He's kind of a quirky horse, though, and it was sort of tough to ride. We saw in a couple of his first starts when he was sprinting. I think he settled down and matured a little bit last year do you give him a look in here at all would he be a horse that you sneak into any of your exotics uh, in exotics i mean it, it, it could be anything i mean i just think as far as he's been running longer miles are typically you know you need some kind of brilliance and i know he has one at a mile but it's a lot different when it's a non-winners one allowance yeah claiming race. it's first, just class there. races and just the fact that they they, they have kind of kept him longer that's usually for a reason, it's often because the mile is such a, a a distance that requires, you know, that class and kind of brilliance and and all of that. And I'm not sure where Gold Phoenix has that, despite, as you mentioned, he has races that are certainly competitive. Just are they at today's distance and are they going to come first off this layoff? Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, 
yeah, I'm kind of watching. Yeah, I'm just watching. I, I agree with you. It seems like this could be just like a nice starting point for his year too. And I'm not saying that, oh yeah, they're using a grade one here to just prep with zero intention of winning this race. But if you know this is a horse who's probably a little bit better going long, you get him in this race, there would be no, they wouldn't have a problem winning or running well in here. But I, I would, I, I'll play him if he runs well here going longer next time and later in the year. I, I think that's probably where he's he's a little bit better suited. I, I agreed with you. Um. Yeah, we have a couple other horses like Cabo Spirit and Baliknikov. They're stepping up, uh, and they're facing older. Cabo Spirit did last time for the first time. He had post-12. He just had to take way back and then go way wide. Baliknikov will face older for the first time. We didn't hit on Iridao. Is there anything else or any of those that you have any uh, any positive endorsements for? You know, I thought um, I thought Cabo Spirit's race last out in the Thunder Road was, like, really sneaky good. That was it was. Yeah, part. it was. Uh, in my opinion, I, I still I still don't know if he's if he's quite good enough because this is another step up in class and he's been a little bit overmatched. But, you know, he gets he gets a little credit for that. And he's probably in the right spot. As you mentioned, Balanikoff, another horse that's um, has some quality to him, could be on the improve. Again, you know, it's making his first start as a four-year-old, a developing type, because he did improve last year. The last part of the season, he really started to step up, started to get faster, um, had had some issues finishing second, uh, it, where he was restless in the gate, and he was kind of stuck behind horses on hold. Um December 26th, I guess it's not really last year. It's the first yeah, day right? of the meet. <laughs> yeah. but, but it had some, uh, you know, had some trip issues that day. It picks up Raspoli, who's been aboard in the past and was aboard when he won the Oceanside. So there could be some confidence there on kind of a lightly raced, developing type horse. As far as uh, Iridao, he's just another one of those horses that I, I think it's kind of one of those horses that, oh, we'll use for underneath. And maybe that's maybe that's the way to go because he has been a little bit below just on the win end, but he does he does show up with run every he time does. you can't he, you can't discount that he's not far behind no. this this group and i had on uh on that february 4th day i i that was the day that that caused me as a gambler to take a little break because i was in, uh, alive in a lot of those exotics that you're talking about with uh du jour air force red and iridao closing i had no earls rock um in the pick six and pick five like so i i had some exotics that were going to pay me close to like around 20 grand um ending and i had no earl's rock who snuck through in between horses and i had the the two three four runners and I, that was i took a week off after that one i didn't look at any races for the next week that was the first time in about four years where i haven't looked at a race for a whole week i told a couple of the places i work with i said i need a few days to not look at a race i just get i don't want that bad feeling i got a bad energy right now um so maybe we can flip the energy back around with a couple of these runners. It, seeing a lot of them from that February 4th day um, in handicapping this card. I got I got some good feels and I got some bad feels all throughout. So uh, Iridao was close at 33 to 1 behind Dujour Air Force Red. But he is at least an under exotics horse because he, like you said, he's not far behind. And he could, if you're playing looking for prices, throw him in. Yeah, yeah. He just he just shows up. He just runs his race every time. It hasn't quite been good enough, but you know you're gonna get an honest effort. Let's move to race number twelve. It's the big cap, and we'll go a mile and a quarter in the Santa Anita handicap, and we'll close out all the exotics with this one. Some of the horses that I think we'll get top billing in here. You'll have Defunded, who was your uh, your second choice in the Pegasus World Cup, was just about three to one. He won the awesome again in the Native Diver. Uh, Stiletto Boy is sort of a, a name that we all know because he's been in a lot of these big races. 
for a while. He's right to the inside of defunded. Um, he's the last couple of years, he has not dodged anyone in any of the big races. I think proxy will also get a good amount of support coming in from the Pegasus world cup ran a kind of a weird race there. Um, Emily was taken back a little bit and then at the top of the lane, he, he, he's just off the screen. He's like distance. He looked like he was just pulled up. And then all of a sudden he like flies back onto the screen again and, and, and is coming on late. Uh, very weird there. So I guess as we're talking about him, let's start with proxy here. Cause I think he'll be one of the, probably one of the major players in this one. He was the Clark winner. He was third in the Stephen F uh, in the foster. What do you think about proxy and his chances in the big cap? Well, maybe he gets overlooked behind finishing behind defunded and and stiletto boy. Yeah, well, if, but, if he does, I hope so. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned you know you mentioned the trip, but in my opinion, I going into the race, um, I actually thought that was that was the trip that he was going to end up getting. I thought I really thought he was disadvantaged with the rail draw and with his running style um, because. You know, in the Clark, I know he also drew the rail, but it was a more compact field. He was able to angle to the kind of the outside and, and sit in a perfect trip. And the way that the the Pegasus shaped up, it was like, that isn't happening here. No. He's going to have to get shuffled way far back. He's going to actually get the run that he had in the Foster. And if you look at those running lines, they're pretty similar because his Foster run looks just the same where he gets shuffled all the way back. He makes that huge run and he comes on late. Now, the fact that he's drawn outside in here where the pace should be honest, he's going to be able to have a little bit more options because he's not going to get shuffled behind horses and have to take kickback. So I think he moves up in this spot. The post yep. change is uh, is a positive for this horse. And um, as far as the, the Pegasus World Cup, it kind of seemed like a weaker race. But then last Samurai came back and won the Razorback and ran a really big race that day in order to win. Um, I think he's the only horse that's come back from that and, race. And it's not like they weren't a bunch of like real grade one proven horses, but there were a lot of like the resumes for the whole field is a little bit better than people were giving it credit for. When you go yeah. sort of horse by horse and their accomplishments, these horses are all pre-proven and they've all had some some good days in the last few years. So I agreed with you while it was like there was no um, life is good or a Knicks go on paper. Right. And I think that's what people were a little disappointed in. But overall, it was like it was still a contentious betting race. And you had a lot of like grade two strong grade two horses. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and and. Proxy's a, a legitimate graded stakes horse. Like he's yep. he's proven. It's just that was just not he just took the, you know, I'm not one of those people that like plays post positions blind, like, oh, the rail is, you know, da, 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 da. it's like because everything is situational and knowing this horse, kind of following the way he runs, watching those trips, and it was like, this, this is not gonna be good for a horse that, you know, is is not gonna be able to run the race that he's capable of. And he's probably going to get back to run the race he's capable of in here. And and he's a fit. I completely agree. He's major, major player to me. And I'm glad we started with uh, talking with Proxy. And then let's get to one of the other horses who will uh, – uh, I mean, I think he'll be at least a shorter price than Proxy. That's Defunded, who was one of the top choices in the Pegasus World Cup. He was a horse who was – I played him back to back in the San Diego and then the Pat O'Brien before he won his two races in a row. Cause those were races on paper that looked sort of good for him too. Like he was going to get a pretty good loan F type trip. Then in the Pat O'Brien, they cut him back. I thought he'd sit a little bit more. Um, and then they just really got aggressive with him in the awesome again, Pegasus world cup. He sat second 
He was just behind Stiletto Boy, who is drawn to his inside. And they were one, two throughout a lot. He really didn't have many excuses. I mean, he had every chance at the top of the lane. He has to prove himself at a mile and a quarter. He's never won going that far. Um, I, he got the trip that he wanted probably last time out. I, it, it's, it's been, it was a trip, and in particular in that race, Proxy was like the only horse that was passing in there too. Um, Art Collector sat just behind Defunded and Stiletto Boy, and those three were the top three, and nobody else really passed the whole time. Right, right. And I mean, if you look at this field, I mean, both those horses, especially if you're saying that the Pegasus World Cup is a race that the form is going to hold up out of, um, those horses are, you know, kind of proven graded stakes type and have some tactical speed. Um, both are getting some rider changes in here, which uh, could kind of go either way. I mean, Smith is going to choose to stick with Hopper um, or jump on Hopper for the first time, excuse me. And then... Um, Hernandez, obviously, uh, is Maldonado out? Is he Mal- uh, Maldonado's on the nine now, Scarlet Fusion, I guess. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's just, there's kind of some shuffling. musical jockeys. Yeah. Yeah. Some shuffling going on, which is, you know, which is kind of odd or whatever. But, um, you know, both those horses, they could just be, they could just be short prices. And I wasn't that crazy about Defunded in the Pegasus World Cup, and I think Trip carried him, and I thought as far as Stiletto Boy, I was actually, I thought he would run the good underneath spot. At yeah, because you've always said that about him, and you've you've yeah. popped him a few times in situations just like that. He's he's just a tough horse, right? He just, he doesn't like getting past. You just kind of have to hard, um, hard ride him early like that, and he'll keep He'll keep going for a lot of the time. And he do, he's like, he's sort of stubborn, but he just loses to horses that are like a little bit better than him a lot of the time in, in situations like in tough spots. Yeah. And I mean, the, 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 the Pegasus too, it just kind of seemed like the race that they were pointing to because it was second off um, at, at that time, you know, he, they, they had him training at golden gate and he really likes that for whatever reason. I don't know. It's like this weird quirk, but it was just like such the race that I don't know if he's quite like, like you said, he's probably not good enough to win, but I know the intention is that they're going to Gulfstream Park with the horse that they're gonna they're gonna try. And yep. sometimes that's all you can ask for. And that's yeah. what this horse gave. He gave it. He gave a try. Yep. Um, now, is is he gonna kind of regress off that? It's possible. Um, and again, he's gonna be a shorter price today. And I think there's there's some other some other ideas. So of the horses exiting that race, um, I'm higher on proxy. Yeah, me too. Uh, so if we see maybe stiletto boy defunded, so you think it's going to be a quick pace in here, um, with the mile and a quarter with those two, at least in here with hopper, um, probably pushing the pace. And then a couple that aren't really mile and a quarter horses, they may just end up being a little more tracking and, and kind of pressing in here. I was, um, I was looking at kind of two, intriguing horses um that i think will will be really nice prices and i think could offer us really nice value emily and so i want to get your thoughts on some of them if we can throw them in exotics uh first off the one there goes harvard who comes off of a a turf race he was in the thunder road we talked all about the thunder road um when we spoke about one of the earlier preps he was three deep he was hooked wide chasing a fast early pace um he was still in the mix at the top of the lane and then he faded that was his first start since july um and it was his his first start after a race that had a couple months off. So there were some physical issues for him because he was off for a while. But last year, he strung together some good races on the dirt. And what I liked is he actually showed 
going a mile and a quarter in the gold cup that if he did have a race where he didn't get that perfect trip sitting right there, if he got shuffled back a little bit, if he had to go a little bit, um, you know, if everything wasn't perfect, he could still overcome that and throw up a big race. I think with a, an ideal effort, he could get into the mix with this group. Would you give a horse like there goes Harvard any shot in here? This horse is extremely live, extremely, extremely live. Um, let's go back to that Hollywood gold cup. The race before that was, I know he won it, but it was a mile on the turf. This is the exact, it's the exact same pattern. And it's a pattern they've used in the past as far as going turf to dirt, as far as like moving forward with that surface switch. So I think this horse is extremely well met in this race. I think this is the race they were pointing to. I think they got what they needed out of the Thunder Road. Um, Kimura is going to be aboard. He's been riding some some live runners for McCarthy. Looks like everything went according to plan. And then some, they came out of the race. They worked bullet since... Again, I think this horse is extremely live in this spot. Yeah, definitely and he, used. Def, not he, even just for underneath. Like even in just like a yes. simple sense, like he beat horses like Defunded and Royal Champ. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah, he's no, beat, he's, I mean, like I said, wow. he's he's live in the spot. This horse, this horse fits. Like yep. you know, the San Diego um, that could be tossed. It was kind of off a layoff. He was also cross internet in a turf race. Didn't seem like there was intent that day. The intent last out was to prep for for something. He shows up here off a similar pattern. His other races are are fine as well. So uh, this is definitely a use. The other, and I, I liked him more than the other. This horse, I wish we had. I wish I I could see one more recent race. Um, but I'm talking about the. Uh, I'm talking about the number seven Haywoods Beach, who I've no problem, and I, I don't know again class wise if he's quite as good. I've no problem with him as far as distance is concerned. He showed us he can get the distance. Um, but I I and I, and I think he could get a, a decent trip if he had a, a race a little bit more recently or just maybe a better race than that last one, which was a little disappointing when he was behind country grammar. He wasn't that far. I mean, he was behind stiletto boy who was a clear cut second that day. I feel like there's something there on his best efforts. Um, Haywood's beach. Is he a horse that you could use into exotics or make a case for? Well, I mean, I think the case, the case for him is that you're, you're just going to be price compensated yeah. because I, I think this horse just gets completely lost and, and he fits on his best day. Not quite has been at the grade one level in the few grade one races that he's been in. So as far as class, he's a little bit below. He has had some favorable trips at times, but some of those rides have been under Vasquez. And as far as the San Antonio, if you are kind of looking for some excuse, Sadler was still pretty cold at that time. And then noted from a physical standpoint that Haywood's Beach was washed out that day, which for a horse that I have notes on going back to his very first start i don't have a single note where that horse has ever been warm in any one of his starts so it could have just been where you know it wasn't his day and he just wasn't you know wasn't wasn't quite ready coming back from keeneland or you know whatever um and he's he's freshened now so i think there's there's going to be plenty of price compensation if you can make a case for this horse i i certainly wouldn't talk you off because i think he'll be a big price in here yeah, I just like that there's there is a mile and a quarter win on the dirt at Santa Anita too, which is nice. Just seeing him like sit the trip where he, he ran a race that would not be far off of what it would take to beat this group there. Um, Haywoods Beach at a price, a horse that I will throw into at least some exotics there. 
Let's uh, let's hit on a few others uh, in this field before we finish up. Emily, we had three horses that all came out of the San Pasquale, Newgrange, Hopper, and Parnelli. Um, top of the lane in that race, Newgrange looked like they were done. I thought Newgrange was done, sort of all in, like scrubbing. I think uh, Juan Hernandez g- gave a couple taps of the whip. And then turning for home, he sort of just kind of class got by Hopper and Parnelli. Um, and, and for Hopper, we could understand why maybe he got a little bit tired. It was his first start since June. So he noticeably got a bit, a bit tired there late in the stages. Uh, the three horses that come out of the San Pasquale, any positives, negatives, do you like or, uh, or toss? Um, I, I, you know, I think they're all going to have to step up. Um, I, I mean, they could, as far as you mentioned, you know, Hopper's probably going to be forwardly placed. Smith maybe chose to go there. It's really hard to know like what, with the shuffling, what, what goes into what, but I think the plan is to, to be forwardly placed. So they are drawn outside. Maybe they have some options, but you know, looking at him on the plot, it seems like he's going to be, uh, should be on the lead kind of has that early gate speed. Um, as far as, uh, Parnelli, I don't think the ride was that ideal by Espinoza, where he's just, it, it's kind of like that indecisive, like I'm you're, pushing the pace, but I'm like, not in between. Yeah. You're it's I'm the in between ride. I call it. it. Because you're not like, making you know, a decision, right? Yeah, like it's just yeah, yeah. It's like make the call, go. go or sit, one of the right. two, you know? Yeah, or just in that type of scenario, it's like just don't fight the horse. Just let the horse just do what it's going to do. And I think mm-hmm. the fact that there is that there is more natural speed in this race completely that they don't have to take that trip or they don't have to force into the lead. And, um, you know, distance wise, I don't think this is ideal for him. So I think that's a hurdle overall. I think he's got a lot of hurdles on his side, but I can make a case just as far as trip. And then Newgrange to me, as you mentioned, it, it never looked like he was going to win. And I, I, and he might not have except for those horses tiring. And yeah. I, I really think it was more of a function of that than the Newgrange coming back, but more kind of getting a setup with those other horses coming back to the field. Um, So I'm kind of looking outside that group in here. Me too. Me too. And uh, we, we can at least give a thought on the others that we haven't mentioned. Uh, Warrant who was, uh, he ran the the best race of his career last year in this race, going a mile and a quarter. It was the only time he's gone a mile and a quarter. He did finish second going a mile and a half in the Brooklyn behind fearless. Um, And he's, I mean, he's remarkably consistent. Like he doesn't run bad races. His speed figures have been a little bit low, but Keep in mind his last couple two races, you can say that one of them was the race that sent him to the bench in the Cornhusker. Following that race, he was off for the rest of the year. And then he showed back up on January the 26th in a really soft spot and sort of got what you would want in a first start off the bench, you know, first start of the year, really easy victory to get things going. Um, what about Warrant's chances in here? Well, Drew got what he wanted that day because that was his twenty or two thousandth win. Yes, uh, so, yes, you're right. Yeah, yes. so that was that was like a. Go ahead. Know, they were they were kind of they finished all out in a drive. Warrant flipped to the left lead, so he's going to have to improve. He's going to have to step up. Oh, Prout was aboard as you mentioned um, back in the, the standing the handicap way back, and it was kind of a similar pattern. If you're talking pattern, like a a second off type. Um, but again, another horse that's really going to have to prove himself and especially just kind of off, off that race, he's going to have to step up, um, on, on this circuit. Yeah. What was the, what was the other one? Scarlet Fusion? Uh, yeah, the, they're right next to each other. The, uh, the nine and the 10, um, okay. Scarlet Fusion comes off that turf graded stakes win. He's been, he hasn't been 
in any graded stakes on the dirt yet. So this is sort of acid test time for him. And the same thing for Tiz Quantum, who who broke his maiden against maiden claimers. And he stepped up from, you know, a starter allowance into a first level allowance last time. Uh, either of those horses, any anything at all, just as we're getting through the rest yeah, of Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like optic, optics has like the, the turf conditions, just puts question marks. It's like, I don't even know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even matter. It doesn't yeah. even matter. It looked pretty, it looked pretty windy. And Scarlet Fusion looked very well meant that day. The horses bet down from uh, eight to one morning line. Uh, he was chase covered up off the first flight, just kind of finished like all out in a drive, um, sort of a blanket finish, but that horse is sort of much the best that day. So uh, his, his form prior to that is pretty soft. And the same thing for, for Tiz Quantum. He did run a big race in his most recent start as far as like his most improved race to date. That barn can be kind of sneaky and be live at times, but as far as getting that win and speed figure, he did benefit from a softer early pace. And I think that did help him. And he's certainly not going to get a soft early pace or doesn't look to get a soft early pace in this field. Emily, thank you so much. As we finish up here with the gold cut or with the, uh, with the big cap, the Santa Anita big cap, that's race number 12 on Saturday, a fantastic betting card at Santa Anita with the four graded stakes. If you just watched us talk about these four graded stakes, you saw they're big fields, very contentious. You can make a case for many of them. And I always appreciate your work, Emily. Like I said, you're someone who, um, if I hadn't looked at races, I would blindly go with your analysis. I, I completely trust you. I know that no matter where it's Hawthorne, Oak Lawn, Santa Anita, you will always put in the same amount of time, the same amount of effort, the same amount of work. And you have a great tool and a great resource with optics. Tell some of the folks out there again, um, you know, plug optics, plug some of the stuff you have coming up this week. Where can we see you? Uh, tell us uh, everything that you uh, that you want in the next couple minutes. Yeah. Um, so as far as far as optics, um, off, obviously, there's always the packages on the website, uh, plot notes, um, grid, which is kind of like your grid being your standard past performances. The plot gives you that visual representation of the race shape and then optics notes and optics grades, which helps you assess class and form, um, which is key and takes you know a lot of the time away from having to watch replays because that is just, you know, it's time consuming. It's energy consuming it's uh you know people can watch races in different ways and like have a different system but it just saves you saves you so much time this thursday i'll be doing a video with um john doyle we've been doing weekly weekly videos on thursday we recap the triple crown preps or the dirty preps and then we talk about the upcoming um races so we've got a big slate of races this weekend to talk through with all the the preps um as far as hawthorne hawthorne we, um i do a live show with jim miller which is an hour it's um i guess one o'clock eastern time you can catch that on youtube we usually cover a few races from gulfstream park aqueduct um, and Tampa, because it's just within that, within that hour, and then um, discuss one of the preps that weekend. And then with Hawthorne opening up this Sunday, throughout the entire Hawthorne meet, um, Optics Plot and uh, the past three run lines, we kind of put it together, like what it looks like on the Optics program, like for Optics program user, where it has the, the past three running lines with the Optics figure grades and notes, is free throughout the whole meet. Oh, that's so, awesome. For, yeah, it really is. I mean, especially with Hawthorne this year, you know, doing that 12% win play show takeout. So if you consider that, plus your your 
past performances, you know, if you're playing those and that's all you have is optics plot and those past three run lines, I think you're going to do pretty well with just those things. So, you know, your barrier to entry can be pretty cheap from that end. Um, uh, and you can get a great is, way of, of hearing you, like how you use it for yourself, right? When you talk yeah. about the races yourself, if you're watching and following along and you, and you want to look at those past performances, you can see how Emily uses the information like for yourself, positives, negatives, how you talk about the grid and um, all sorts of different, you know, whether it be racing comments or the circles and squares, everything. I like hearing how you use the information. And so that would be something that's great for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just having like good information, like, I don't know if I should, if I should say this, cause maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have like a bad day and this will like backfire, but doing this prep for these four races, I think I spent 10 minutes for yeah. all the races, for all the races that we just, the four races we just talked about. Now, now there's a lot of trip notes that went in. So there's like months of work. Yeah. So you're doing the prep a lot of the time, putting those notes in and you know, yeah, these yeah, but and as stuff, far as like but... now that, now that the data, now the data is available and I just have to, you know, I just have to like look at it and assess it. It's like things just like, just kind of like pop. Right. And now, yeah. and then it's, and then it comes into play to where it's like, okay, now I'm just assessing the board and how other people are reacting to maybe information that they have or, you know, ways that they're, that they're seeing and then looking for opportunities. So having that information, it does help you, especially if you're playing, because it can allow you to kind of stay flexible in order to kind of make, make those adjustments on the fly. Oh, they're overbetting, you know, they're overbetting, uh, you know, proxy. I thought he'd be at least five to one and they're betting him down to six to five. Well, that's unplayable. Well, if he's being overbet, who's being overlooked, you know, and you can, have that information to kind of help you make, make those adjustments. Yeah. There's no, like, there's no immediate get rich, quick scheme formula, anything like that. But when you can have tools that can help you get the information, because once you have the information, like we're saying, everybody will do different things with it, right? There's never going to be anything that's like here, this is an automatic winner, but this is going to save your process so much time or the days that you maybe haven't had the time to go like on a big card. A lot of people probably like to do their own work or like to do a lot of it and find this stuff out, but maybe days throughout the week or one particular race, or just like you said, when the race changes and all of a sudden the betting board is different than you expected. Now I have to call an audible. Now I can look at the plot. Now I can look at optics and see, you know what? This horse is not far off of what it would take to win. And the price is double what it should. Boom. That's my play. Right. And especially, especially with the track, like, like Hawthorne, like, you know, you know, out in Southern California, the big circuits, you have a lot of people that are, are watching races and your public handicappers that kind of follow those circuits. We're all seeing the uh, same stuff for the most part. Pretty yeah, close to and, it. And yeah. The information is out there. There's, you know, there's buzz on certain horses or whatever, but you know, I'm uh, Hawthorne, Hawthorne drew uh, today for opening day. And um, right before we went on, um, I was doing, you know, making sure I have all the notes in for that, you know, and I'm watching, watching replays from Mahoning and, you know, tracks that like, I don't follow mm -hmm. to get that. And it's like, that information is probably not, there's not many people that are, that are doing that. No. And, and I, and uh, there's a big advantage that I had going into this because all the Hawthorne stuff is already done. All the fairground stuff is already done. All the Oakland stuff. So all those horses 
all those notes like throughout the last probably six months are already in there. So having six months of information on horses, especially horses that are, you know, uh, non-winners of two, you know, it's like when they're, when they're going to run a good race, like you got to know when it's their day, right? When it's coming. And this is something that I found out honestly over the last five years, my best days and my biggest scores came at Sam Houston and at Louisiana for the same reason that you're talking about is that when you're, when you're people that play and that sort of handicap the way that that we do to what you're looking for, we're kind of not we're not looking to play the chalk horses. We're a little bit more trip oriented. We're looking for those bigger bust out long shots. Less people are putting in the work at tracks like that, right? It just makes sense. There are less people betting it, so there are less people putting in that level of analysis and you're going to get a great great starting point if you're using optics at a place like Hawthorne. Like you're yeah. already so far ahead of the curve right off and the bat when you just it- begin. And it's free. Like it's, it's free. free. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's totally free. I'm not even, I don't even have to sell you on it. Just like click the link, you know, no. like that's it. You're done. Folks, uh, you need to find friends where you can kick back and talk about races like this with Emily. I never even tell you how long we're going to take. And you never even tell me like, ah, no, I can't do it for this. I got to be done by like, we just talk and we go. And sometimes it's a little shorter or sometimes it's longer, but for every race, it's always different because every race is different. We kind of talk it out and you never should go into it with a template saying it's going to be this way. Um, all of the the fans and all the listeners of That's What G Said, uh, they always they always love when you come on, Emily. I always get great feedback, and they always ask again, when Emily's coming, when's Emily coming back? I said, I have to I have to do the dance where I'm asking often enough, but not so often that I'm <laughs> annoying her. So it's like, well, you I want to... <laughs> you know, you know what, what I, I always say in life is that you should, you should always ask because right. the worst that somebody's going to tell you is no, no, right? Right. And then, and then you're in the same spot. So, so really don't hesitate to ask. And I, I absolutely appreciate that people listen and that they enjoy the content that like, that means the world to me. Um, it really does. I really like, I really appreciate it because, you know, putting out content is it's hard work. And so I'm glad that people find value and enjoyment from it. Yep, we've had a lot of hours now through the years um, and that you've helped me out. And I'm, I'm so happy uh, that we've become friends. And again, we talk about it. We still haven't even had a day where we sat down and, uh, and played some races together at a track, which has to happen one of these days coming up where we can uh, we can meet in person and kick back and, uh, and have, a, have a nice time. So I, this is a great week coming up. Lots of big races. Good luck at Hawthorne. Good luck at Santa Anita, Gulfstream, uh, Aqueduct, uh, Oaklawn, all the tracks that you're playing, Emily. We're going to be following along with Optics and uh, and all the great work you do. And again, just thank you so much for your time through the years. It's It's been a blast, and I, I know you always put in the, the hard work, and uh, we really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, and good luck, everybody, this weekend. Make sure to give Emily a follow. You'll hear her back here again real soon on That's What G Said podcast. Don't go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more to discuss on a big weekend of racing. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget, if you're looking for This Week in Wrestling or the old wrestling rewatch, WrestleMania 11, that's on the following episode. So just take a look at your podcast feeds, and that will be a separate episode in itself with all wrestling for this week. Thank you to Emily for helping us out. Thank you to David Aragona for helping us out. Our buddy Barry Spears, the sniper. We had Dave Handelin and Eric talking NBA. Covered a lot of ground on this episode. Good luck on a big racing weekend. Hope you all crush it.